Ah! Mama! Mama! We made it! Wait, 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 wait! What it, what it, what it do now? Yeah! Ladies and motherfucking gentlemen, call your Italian grandmother, tell her to make you a dish. Call your fucking gorgeous Italian mom, tell her to make you a wish. Call Pops and say, get the fuck up out of the mafia, you dig? This is a story. This is about to be a movie with my uncle Nino. (laughs) Nino Scalia, everybody, welcome to the motherfucking podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Shit, this is a fucking <laughs> honor. You told me it was an honor. I wanted to slap myself just because I knew I was human. You feel me? I'm We're, still uh, struggling with the fact that anyone is wants to hear what's going to come out of my mouth. Let's see where it goes. Well, look, the shit. beauty is that you don't have to struggle and just let us do the handiwork. You know what I mean? We own, <laughs> baby. <laughs> you know. It's it's beautiful because you and I have like crossed paths and and like to be honest let's just let's just start here. You are a staple in this culture, regardless of you know no no sugars and bells and whistles. But you are a staple in this culture. You're somebody that literally has been a part of this culture for a very long time and has done a lot of really fucking cool shit. You know what I'm saying? And we're gonna Thank get you. into all of that. And it's beautiful because you and I have just met randomly around, like seeing each other. Oh, okay, cool, familiar face, more familiar face. Oh, here, there, the other. Um, and we got the opportunity to finally like sit down and just like break pasta, literally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we did. We went to macaroni. Yeah, it took a second to figure out what the like most traditional and most ordered dish was over there because the waiter was like, "What are you fucking talking about?" Yeah. And Nino was about to have a heart attack. Like, bro, are you fucking? Oh, kidding? that's right. Is it, I, is, I, is, I, is it just like it's not on today? Or are you fucking yeah, the with me? Bolognese, right now? man. The they were, and they were hating on me. <laughs> so. Um, and literally like just being able, cause at the, at the end of the day, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, but at the end of the day, so many people, especially in this entertainment era and especially in these regions like this, regardless of the, um, regardless of the career path, a lot of people, especially as we get older, really connect to one another based on function alone. Like it's no longer like your best friend from middle school or high school or that romantic shit, but to be honest, like the like one of the bigger reasons why you do this podcast is because the form, knowing the form, knowing what created the form, really allows you to respect and appreciate the functions. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And the depth of that form is really what gets us here. Um, and with that being said, I I, I really want to be able to talk to an icon in my eyes, um, and 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 start really like seeing where the path started for you, like. What was what was growing up like? Like, what city did you grow up in? How was that like? And what was like young Nino like thugging with? Man, uh, well, I didn't I didn't grow up any one specific place. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, okay. I my dad was an admiral in the navy. Wow, oh, he was an interesting fuck? dude, man. He did a lot of things in his life. He was an admiral. He uh, all star linebacker at LSU. Turned down really. The, yeah, turned down the New England Patriots to no go way. to medical school in Ireland, where he met my mom. What Ooh. the fuck? Yeah. Came out yeah. the gates with I'm a blapper. It, it, it was you know look like I'm. 
I'm, I'm story is everything. Yes. Right. Like, 100%. like, and not in the sense of weaving bullshit, but like really doing the best you can to understand where you come from, which kind of informs on who you are, which Absolutely. can inform your future. Yeah. You know what I mean? On, in many levels. And like, so for me, it's like, I have, you know, my mom didn't come to America until she was 40. No way. Yeah. Where my is dad, she from? She's from Galway, oh, Ireland. From Ireland. Yeah. So, and then my dad was actually the youngest of eight kids. Uh, in the opening, you said Italian, but Sicilian, but nevertheless, like, you know. My apologies. Ita- Italians don't think Sicilians are Italian, but Sicilians believe they are Italian. Respect. Because, Respect. Like, literally, I do not it's, want it's to be a like, cultural appropriator. Yeah. No, 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 it's like, We're not gentrifying but, a community. You know, like my, 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 my father was the youngest of eight kids, actually born on the steamship coming to America. Like, my grandmother was pregnant with him and gave birth to him. Wow. On, so he was born, like, in, like, uh, you know, uh, international waters, we'll say. That's <laughs> insane. And though, even though on his birth certificate it said Monroe, Louisiana, nevertheless, whatever, I, I, I like, I hold, whatever I do, I hold near and dear to me, I guess, I would okay. say. Like, you know, if it's, no matter what it is, like, there's an emotion to everything I do. And, you know, for better or worse, I think good and bad. Like, I, so I moved around a lot, right? And I was always the new kid, like, mm. and sometimes like two, three times in a year. Wow. And it was tough, man. Like I was born in South Carolina. Like I lived in like Groton, Connecticut. I lived in Clovis, New Mexico, shit, Gaydon, Louisiana, uh, Shreveport, Bossier City. Uh, I lived in. Uh, the quintessential new kid. Yeah. Like I thought like, I was the new kid was and like, it was like 10 times like, more. I was like, there was a point where I just gave up. I didn't I was like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm like I'm not going to see you in like 3 months. Like what? Oh. <laughs> you know, like and you how, should Joey, how wild is that that that's been that, that's recurred like 3 to 4 times in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, a lot of our right? guests have had yeah. that same thing and it's like I mean, it's such an insane challenge because just what you just said at first, you're like, you get a hang of what it's like to make new friends. And then yeah. there's just a point where you're like, I'm not going to be here, so fuck everyone. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. care. I, I, yeah, you don't, it's not necessarily, you're right. Like, you know, it's not like a fuck everyone as much as like, you just like, you kind of like, yo, like, it's cool. Like, you got to pass your time, obviously, when you're there. But you know that like, you're. Is it you know, a level of like defeatedness or is it like more just like, okay, this is what it is? Yeah, I think you just accept it for what it is, cool, man. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, like, it, and also it's developmental. You know, it's like it changes in different stages. Like, you know, I, I remember the first time, the first place I got bummed that I left because I had a really good friend was uh, this shit box town that I lived in called St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. And it was okay. like it was Saint on the St. Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the western side. What? You gotta remind me to tell you guys this off mic crazy ass story about Off how top. life no it's it's not like bad it's just like no, how really, life works yeah. but it involves my brother and our next door neighbor but um you know and I had this really good friend there and I was in third or fourth grade and I got really into building remote control cars right like wow. we would buy these because uh, there was nothing to do the town had a population of 900 kids Holy and fuck. it was it was crazy dude it was like because you know I had these European parents that would uh, you know they, they're wide open people you know I'm learning about culture all over the world and like on a certain level like uh, you know we you know when I was younger my dad had some dough you know he was a pretty successful doctor mm-hmm. right and he ended up like everything went belly up. He lost it, but that period of time, like you know, my parents had very like pretty good taste, right? And like I knew about Louis Vuitton when I was a young kid. You Word. know what I mean? And like would wear like like Ralph Lauren to school, and like get I made fun it. of because they were like I was mad preppy, you know? Like I, I remember one time it was crazy. Uh, we moved to Hershey when I lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania, 
and <laughs> I, I had like a like like longer hair that I would brush backwards. My hair's mad wavy, right? So <laughs> yeah. I wore. I remember we went and uh, we went like we went ahead of time. Uh, before we had moved into our house and stayed for like a weekend because my dad would always do this to us. Whenever we moved, he would be like, oh, we're going to our new town like a week uh, in advance or two weeks in advance. And he had like doctor colleagues that would like, we would hang out with their kids while they were doing dinner or whatever. So there was a dance. And I had on, like, check it out, like I had a white polo tennis shorts on. I had had Sabago Dock Siders on. What the fuck? And a pink polo shirt tucked in because I thought I was killing it. Wow. (laughs) And I'm in like... You were the college dropout before Kanye even knew what that was. 100%, dude. And like, I was like, I was, I was like that kid. Do you have a picture of that? I'm sure I got a dug up somewhere. (laughs) Oh, we need to go into the archives low key. But, uh, you know, I remember we went to this dance like uh, the, the the doctor, they were the Mazakas. And the, the Mazakas. Mazakas kids took us to this dance while our parents were like hanging out, having dinner or whatever. And, how old were you then? Uh, it was fifth grade. I don't know how oh, old you cool. are, but it was for, like fourth going into fifth. So when we were getting there, I was going to start fifth grade. But uh, I don't remember, man, like like all the kids looking at me like I was a fucking maniac. Like I was, they were just like, who is this kid? Like what? Like what? Like this preppy weirdo kid, you know what I mean? These were like like Hershey, Pennsylvania, like salts of the earth people. Like, yeah. There's no wealth in that town, you no. know what I mean? Like like you know the the most the wealthiest person in that whole area was the Hershey family, you know. And no one saw them. And they probably most of them didn't even live there, you know what I mean? So it was like a thing. Fuck. But nevertheless, you know, it was a thing of uh, having moved so much. You know, you you kind of become more dependent upon yourself and the yeah, people closest to you which true. is like my brother and my sister you sure. know my brother's five years older than me my sister is three years older than me so you know we were all different people but it was it's like one thing it does make it do is it's hard to connect you know yeah but circling back around so I, I had that one friend you know and when we left the town I was bummed because we left we moved from St. Mary's to Hershey actually and like I was psyched to get get out of St. Mary's it was awful it was yeah. like aside from the yeah. one friend you're like all right I yeah it was it. oh my god dude it was like it's like a it was crazy like the like to put it in perspective it was like a town of like I, I want to say like 900 to like 1100 people but the major employer was a brewery and alcoholism was like out of control to mm. the point where they actually didn't have DUIs in the town really because they didn't have yeah DUIs. because everyone was fucking drunk all the time oh my you know god. What I mean? like, and what was even crazier is it was a hunting town this is this is some crazy shit that people a drunk ass hunting yeah, town but look man like all right for all your listeners like wherever they may be but i'm going to assume that most of them are coastal people because of like you know what you're involved in but i have traversed this country i can't tell you how many times and that's from between living and work-related shit, and there's so many fucked-up issues. And when you really get into the minutiae, you really can't understand how Donald Trump is our president. As fucked up as it is... I feel you. You're right. Like, like, here's a small little thing, right? And this is... You just don't even think about it, but, like, in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, there was a very common issue, right? Hunting season was the shit, right? But there was less hunting licenses that the city hall would grant than there was men in town that wanted to hunt, so there was always this thing, it was like a thing every year that they got together and they basically fist fought it out and last man standing got the hunting license. Shut, Shut the, the fuck, fuck up. Dead up. ass serious. Like, yo, wait, yo wait. on some gangs of New York shit. Shut like, like dead up. ass, man. Like, People, and, like, crews got together and fist fought it out. Over a fucking hunting license. Did you see <laughs> any of this happen? Yes, because the town, yo, yo, the town, the town, yo, the town was three first? blocks long and there was a town square. Kids would go and drive around all night long in a circle. That was what they did on a Friday night. There was a second-run theater 
There was that had one one theater inside, right? Second run cinema that had one theater, and we got movies like nine months after they were in like her, or in Philadelphia, you know, like like shit like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and if you wanted to drive to like the big, there was this area called Dubois, which is hillbilly for Dubois. It's D-B-O-I-S, but <laughs> hey, dog, no, we going yeah, to Dubois? And, and, and yo, when you were really killing it, you drove to Erie, Pennsylvania, right? Like, kill me now, but like this is, this is like some <laughs> some crazy shit though is like there was so beyond the the hunting license there was this outbreak a lot of our friends didn't have fathers right because of the fact that the brewery was the main employment in the town so everyone was fucking drunk all the time and these assholes would go out and hunt drunk and they would fucking shoot each other no way who thinks about that? You know what I mean? We're all in our cool. Like, we're making clothes. Like, you're making clothes. I like, you're fucking, have... I don't know what you do yet. But I work like, in music. Okay, you yeah. work in music. Like, I'm doing whatever the fuck I think I do every day for a job. And <laughs> then, like, I'm like, you're, there's kids whose dads are getting killed by their other on the regs drunk by drunk hunters. hunters. You know, you know, you know what, what I mean? Like, we what, don't deal with this shit. The like, first thought I had when you telling me that, like, this was a fucking city that eradicated a DUI and hunting was, like, the prime, yeah. like, jump off. Not progressively because yeah, they had no choice. I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, but, like, in my head, the first thought that popped up and you got there, I was like, how many accident murderers are out here? Yeah. Like, if Nas was there, like, talking about accident murderers, yeah. when they're shooting elk and, like, little Johnny's dad gets clipped by fucking Billy's dad. Like, what the fuck? Yo, yo, some other shit that's even funnier, too, is that after hunting season, all there is in all the restaurants, because everyone buys meat locally, is venison. Oh my How crazy is that? Yeah, venison, like, yeah. Venison. Like, it was like, like, what? Like, Bambi is getting served up all day long in fucking, you know what I mean? In, in, in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. Like, it's like, and, and it's like, and everyone's wasting, and everyone's wasting shooting their pops. You know what I mean? And it's like, but you, you forget, like, how crazy shit really is. Like, you know, it's it's perspective is everything. You yes. know what I mean? It really is. And it's like you you I've moved so much and I've seen so many fucking crazy things and there's so much I haven't even been exposed to, you know what I mean? But even in that, it's like it's you really see how like like diverse human beings are, you know what I mean? And it's like yeah. it's hard. Like it's hard to connect. Yeah. And to find like a, a common thread, no matter what it is, you know what I mean. And it's like it's just interesting having lived in all the places I have. You know Straight what up, I mean? what, what was your outlet like, or what was like the you know? I, what I'm saying? You know, I didn't really have one until I discovered skating. And when was yeah. that? Fifth grade. Shit. Yeah, so you right, and Hershey right. and you yeah. start skating. Shout out Danny Herniak, man. The guy changed my life. He wow, hit me up on fake Danny Herniak. Yo, he was Russian and Ethiopian, man. He was like, he was like living, it. yeah, living in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And like another thing that, like you know, once again, like being married to Story and thankful <coughs> for like that making you who you are. It's like, dude, like fifth grade, the quote unquote derelict in my town who I met because we went to we went to a Catholic school. My sister tutored him. Right, and he rode a skateboard to our house after school, mm. and he had a Nottis Coppus Santa Monica Airlines skateboard, and he did a kickflip out from it. And I near, I goddamn lost my shit. Like I was up. like, whole, I mean, that was like the most amazing thing I ever saw in my life. And wow. like, Danny, everyone hated Danny in our town, right? <laughs> he was like, he got blamed for shit constantly that never happened, just because he was one of the few dark faces in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Right, you know right. What I mean? And wow. Like, he and I became best friends, and I would travel back there constantly to go see him. He'd come to Philly after I got moved to Philly after Hershey, and, you know, it, it set me on. Everything I've done has been because of skateboarding. 
And I wow. thank the Lord every day I found that skateboard, man. Like, it's led to everything. And I've thank done. God everything. your sister was a tutor and Danny yeah, was that you know, little, like, fuck like, boy in the community that yeah, like, man, was getting was, ostracized because he was darker. Yeah. And, like, but it's like, you know, not only did he give me a skateboard, but it's like, I remember little things like, you know, his mom was Eritrean, right? And uh, so she was, cu- she came from Eritrea to America, right? And she was covered in all of her tribal tattoos, which oh, was wow. the cr- like, Crazy to see in general, yeah. but like imagine in well, I don't know whatever year in the eighties it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. These like like I'm, I mean it's white, yeah. like it's white yeah. there, you know. Yeah. And like them seeing this woman driving around in their town, you know, and like they weren't they weren't like a wealthy family or anything. She everyone everyone in Hershey worked at Hershey or they worked at Kraft. Those were the two plants that wow. were down. Yeah, and I remember like uh, you know his mom making us Ethiopian food. That's what the, I remember, and we were like the best location. Oh my god, it's incredible, and yeah. it's like I still like. There's no, I love like a lot of people don't eat it, and like one of like one of the things I really enjoy doing is introducing people to it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like and and you know once again that being a part of who I am, and that's like part of the genetics of who I am. Yeah. It's like I'm 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 definitely a host at heart. Like I enjoy hosting and taking care of people, and I think that's just come from like being the new guy and yeah. really appreciating when someone has taken care of me and like yes. done anything for me. You know, it's like it's really. You know, it's it's anything I can hand off, I will. You know, it's just Respect. what I try to do. You know, so how so you moved to Philly then? I, like, describe that because, like, if I'm not mistaken, Philly has like a very deep skating culture. No, now, okay, it didn't. Okay, I moved. I lived in Philly twice. I moved in from from Hershey to Philly. So sixth and seventh grade, I lived there for two years, and Got I was it. just getting into skating. I wasn't very good, like, and I was definitely like, uh, I lived in South Philly, which is like the super Guido neighborhood, yeah. Like, and I remember we moved into the we bought my parents bought the house of a very popular family in South Philly, right? They were a mafia family. They're the Piccolos. If you're out there, shout out Mike Piccolo. And his shout family. out to Mike Piccolo, dog. The Piccolos had moved to Texas. They had to move to Texas. I feel you. They, 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 <laughs> they had to go. And, uh, so, uh, because, and also it was this uncommonly large, not sorry to make it sound bragging or anything, but it was an uncommonly large house for a row home neighborhood. And our house went from the front to the back of the block. Most row oh, houses wow. didn't. Got it. And we had a garage, which no one had in the neighborhood. Wow. And so, uh, you know, the neighborhood came out and was like, who are the new people in the Piccolo's house? And I remember I was wearing Airwalk skate shoes. Airwalk. And being told straight up. The classic Air- Airwalks. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, no, I didn't have uh, Airwalk 540 prototypes on. Okay. Right. They, were, they were black and like aqua blue and orange. Because there was, like, there was those, those one class, yeah. the black and white ones. I remember those very clearly. Yeah. Those were prototypes too, but those were like, a, I, I'm sure I could pull up a memory. Um Nevertheless, I remember being told straight up, like, you can't wear those. You're going to get your ass whooped. Like, you got to get some, like, some Nikes. And they called Bobos <laughs> in the neighborhood. Like, if you didn't know what it was, it was called a Bobo. You know what I mean? Like, it was like Jordans were just starting to pop. That's like, hilarious. you know, and it was like a thing, you know. And so I pushed around the neighborhood. There was no skate shops in Philly at the time. Um, like, the Love Park scene wasn't really picking up or anything like that, you know, and it was, still, like, skating was still relatively young as well. This was, like, Bones Brigade era, you know what I mean? Like, it was, uh, you know, there was, like, second generation of skaters at the time, so I was still an outcast. I did my best. I tried to play some sports. Like, I grew up playing soccer, but that's because my mom was uh, from Ireland and really wanted to see me be, like, a soccer player, you know? But okay. once I, when I stepped away and, like, really got serious about skating, which wasn't with any intent to be a pro or anything, just loved it so yeah. much I yeah. wanted to do it all day. 
like I, you know, I heard her heart shattering off in the distance. Oh, you know what no, I mean? No, like no. <laughs> she no longer had reason to like congregate on the weekends. Her palm the in her face, just yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like so, uh, uh, yeah, you know, like I just I don't know what it was, man. Like it just I loved it, you know. And like I had a hand, like I came across this kid in my neighborhood whose mom moved to South Philly, and he lived with his dad, and he skated, and his name was Joe. And he told me about a skate shop way, way the fuck out in the Philly suburbs um, in Cheltenham called Blue Turtle. And that's where I got my first complete. And my parents, for some wow. reason, they didn't really support it. Like, my, I think my mom, my dad, remember when my dad was a doctor, he's like, you're going to break your leg, like, yeah. whatever. You yeah. know, and then my mom was and just your like. your mom's heart was broken. Yeah, she was just heartbroken. <laughs> the the soccer like, star began to kick push. Yeah, you know, so she, yeah, she, uh, fuck, like, she was just. You know, they were just like, "Yeah, we'll split it with you." Oh my so god! So I got a paper route, and the, the mafia, that's lit like, though. Yo, the mafia ran the paper route in my neighborhood. Oh my okay, god! So I, I essentially, at one point in time, was employed by the mafia. Right? That's so <laughs> but I got a yeah. I, I paid. I split <laughs> my first skateboard with my with my parents. And, they, and what was even crazier is I split it with them, and it was my Christmas present. <laughs> so I, so I, like, I treated myself to my own Christmas present in like fifth grade. You knew or Santa sixth grade, was a mark you know? ass bitch at that yeah. point. You were like, Santa doesn't exist. I'm splitting this. Yo, but, with my like parents. the crazy like sidebar was like all the kids in my neighborhood were all getting like the, you had a paper route or you do you sold programs. I lived a block away from the stadiums in Philly, right? Wow. So you either had a paper route. Or you had a, uh, you sold these things called programs, right? And you got like an orange card on the weekends to sell down at the stadiums for the games. Mm. And you could make money, you know? And so I went down one time and like I crushed it one weekend and like made like $60. Like I was, oh, you're but, rich. But you know, like $60 in like, you know, 1980, whatever money it, you're $60 rich. is kid money. Like, you're, you're fucking bad and bougie. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, yeah. I, like, you know, I made probably like, 250 bucks in today money for, you know, being in sixth grade. Yeah. Crushing. In the you sixth know. grade, too. So for me, like, like, unless you're, you know, but, 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 but there's but like, balling. there's like, but there's also like sixth graders with like million Instagram followers that would get like 200 grand a week now. So who <laughs> <Yeah>. knows? But like, <laughs> oh, yeah, a- but you know, like I was in, and so, but what I did was I started in, they actually got approached by the main dude who was like, yo, like you're crushing it. I want you to have this gate every weekend. And I, was, I stood out in front of the gate and you just screamed, get your programs. That's all you did. But what I did was I would literally like fall on top of people to make them buy them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so he gave me a gate. I ran a gate. And then within like maybe like two months, you were, months, a, made, I was you were running, a made kid. I mean, like, I was definitely put in some weird positions, for sure. Like, I met some strange, like, high-level... And Joey Merlino, that ran the Philadelphia Mob, eventually lived four houses down from me. Whoa. Yeah. Yo, what what was that like? Like, little kid... It was interesting, man. Like, our neighborhood was, uh... Because, look, so so this is what happened, right? I moved to South Philly. Because I feel like your dad was like Robert De Niro. Like, don't don't go out there. No, no, no. He wasn't... Don't... He They loved my dad because he was a doctor. And he was a straight shooter. And the thing is, all right, so... In Sicilian culture, especially with the mafia, you don't marry outside of Sicily. Like, you marry a Sicilian woman. You do what you want. On the side. That's not your wife. Yeah. With your gamma, right? But you don't marry a non-Sicilian woman. But we moved there. We weren't from there. So we kind of got a pass. And they liked my dad because he was a doctor. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, he was just kind of like a stand-up dude, you know? And they were like, everyone was like, Doc. They called him Doc. It was was literally straight out of like a generic, like, like, like mafia movie. It's like, (laughs) Doc. Hey, Doc Scalia. You know what I mean? But like, you know, nevertheless, like they... (laughs) 
they liked my pops. So I lived so. on 13th in Oregon, when I, which is like, it's, it's in South Philly. It's definitely like the tail end of Philly right now. Like, and well, it's always been there, but like, uh, you know, then I moved to New York and then we moved back. We moved a block away from there, literally on the other side of, on Broad Street. Wow. Broad Street is essentially the 14th street of Philadelphia. We lived on 13th street beforehand. So we were literally a block away. That block when we moved back, Joey Merlino was running things. And it was an interesting, because we were in the same neighborhood, essentially. You know, and you're what, like 7th, 8th grade now? No, I, so I was in 6th and 7th when I moved, and then I moved to 8th in New York. Got and it. then I moved back. Now I started high school. But I didn't go, so in South Philly, when you were a dude, you went to one of two schools. You went to a Roman or Newman. Catholic school, sports, oh, the whole wow. nine. I came back, and now I'm like full bore into skateboarding. Like, I'm, that's, my, that's my being. I love it. This is who I am. I'm wearing big cutoff purple blind jeans. I'm wearing like craze. Like I look like a nut job now because they're like, oh, this guy goes to New York and comes back. I got green hair, like manic panic hair back in the day. Like I was going to (coughs) concerts in New York City with my brother and I'm looking at these kids like they don't know shit. Let me ask you this. Did your parents, being who they were, like accept that or was it like a battle Mm -hmm. for you? Well, I think my parents, my parents were cool and like were never really bothered by it because they knew that we were all like semi-creative kids, right. you know? Yeah. Cause like and, for them to go from like making you like split yeah. skating shit, yeah. right? Because you yeah. didn't become fucking, but, uh, they, they didn't, well, they just didn't want me to hurt myself more than okay. anything. It wasn't so like it was, a culture a, thing. Yeah. There was no culture behind it. When my Got dad it. was like, it was just like, you know, and my brother and I have a very close relationship. We were still to the day, to this day. My brother is much more my father than anything, you know. And like he would, like he took me to my first concert in New York City. Like, Did he skate too, or no? No, no, okay. no, never. But he was just cool. My brother's, you know, he's he's a nerd, but he's cool. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like he's, you know, he introduced me to a lot of the music, a lot of the art. I would like I've gotten into in my life, you know. And he was definitely a catalyst for an alternative path in my life, you know. And then. You, you know you mix that up with some skateboarding on top like you know it's it makes first like a like a non-traditional path in life you know yeah. and skateboarding is also something that like it, it is pure identity like it's beyond it just is. like riding a board it's um it's community it's community it's um how you identify with yourself yeah. it, and it also it's an escape because yeah. the thing about skateboarding too is even though you could do like team skating and all that and you have a crew and all yeah. that it still kind of comes down to like your individuality and your style and you get to kind of express yourself. And that's why I think skateboarding has always crossed over into the arts because I really do think it's an art form. I will tell you this and I couldn't agree with you more. And I will say that I stand by this firmly and you can't see it, but I'm looking Joe dead in the eyes right now. Skateboarders are the coolest fucking people to walk this planet. hundred percent. No doubt about it because you cannot find an activity on this planet. And I'm telling you, like, I, I mean, if you prove me wrong, great. I'll eat my words. But no, I, bro, there is nothing it, yeah. on this planet that a kid can get involved in, right, that doesn't have a friend in the world, is like an, an outcast or whatever. And it's different now because skateboarding is an accepted thing. But still, like, kids are drawn to it and will always be drawn to it because, like, there's this, there's this spirit in it that I you, – you can't play football – right play football with your buddies every weekend whatever and then like not like you know like you could shoot hoops by yourself you could throw a ball by yourself but you're not doing anything really like progressively right like with skateboarding it's you and your skateboard and Mm -hmm. the elements of whatever you may be in if it's a parking lot or a legit skate spot or a skate park or whatever but there's nothing that like you can do that will take you around the world right no matter where you go you will always have a friend 
As long as you see someone skating, you always have a friend. And that's what got me through so many things. And then beyond that, like, and I want to say, really, does a kid pick up a skateboard and not want to be pro? We all want to be pro. So you like, you just, your dream is to see your name on the skateboard. The second you like figure out that you can Ollie, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Now the world opens up. But I, and another thing too is I think genuinely that kids don't, when they want to be pro, they want to be pro because they want to skate for the rest of their lives if they can because it's great. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like there's no better feeling than learning a new trick or landing a trick you've been trying for hours on end. You know yeah. what I mean? It's even if you suck or you're the best, like it doesn't change. Like you're, you're always, that feeling will always be there. You and know creating what I mean? tricks. You and, know? and it becomes a huge part of your identity, but there's, no matter what, it's like, it's, it's, if you are a true skateboarder, if you pick it up and you do it, you know, for X amount of time or you do it, like, I don't skate that much anymore. I'm old, I'm falling apart, but I still consider myself a skateboarder. I associate with them, like, you know, my mentality, I still look at things and see skating. Like I'm, you know, some of my closest friends are still people that I've come up with in skateboarding to this day. And it's like, you're always going to have a friend. You can't play football and go to Japan and go on a football field. And, you know, there's a bunch of dudes. You play them. And then afterwards, it's like, yo, like, you need somewhere to crash? Lo, like, yo, my man is, like, working at this bar. Let's go get beers tonight. Like, yeah. none of that. That's never going to happen. Like, what, do you, what other activity can you think of that's, like, you know, and then there's, like, you know, the generic, like, physical aspects of it. It's great. It's a healthy activity. And then, like, on top of that, you're, like, like it springs. Like, it's this wellspring of creativity inside of kids. You know what I mean? It's, like, yeah. you learn to skate, and there's no rules. You can skate however you want, you know? And it's, like, there's no, and, like, you know, even, like, if you look at, like, uh, the media around a magazine, no magazine tells you one thing is better than the other. They just kind of, it's all this observational light of like oh my god it's all amazing you know what i mean they try to post the best obviously like it'd be boring like no one wants to see a photo of a kid pushing down the street obviously but like you know nevertheless like it's it's something that like i just think is like and it breeds the coolest people man like we do it like skaters and i say we because i once again i do feel like a skater like we have given birth to so much on this culturally as much as i hate that word was how people abuse it now like we've given birth to so many things that people don't even realize i I completely agree from fashion to graphic styles to music popularity like and 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 it it goes on and on diy business like like a so many businessmen like rob deerdeck has never been to school think about that this guy has a house in bel-air as long as I, you know, Rob's, I've known him 20 years. You know, this guy never taken a business class in his life. And he has a Harvard level business education yeah. because of skateboarding. And I've never taken, I didn't go to college. Everything I learned is from working at skate companies. Everything, because I just paid attention because I loved business. That's what I ultimately gravitated to. But like, it was there for me to learn if I choose to do so, you yeah. know? nothing out there like that well and also, also when you got into it as a kid someone who's like moved around so much and had like a lot of instability you know skateboarding is such a the way it kind of captures you where you instantly feel like you fit in once it once you kind of click over and you instantly get like there's almost even a security with it because you feel so connected to this thing um i skated a lot when i was younger and throughout high school and middle school and um it What's so weird about skating that's so different from anything else because it can be categorized among so many things. Like it can be the most intimate experience you'll have and it can also be a fucking sport at the X Games doing like monster air shit all the way to like fashion. Like 
it, it, it's it, it's so malleable in that way, but it can literally be and whatever you want it to be, and it instantly connects you to something and creates that stability for you. Hundred percent, man. It's like and, and it's it allows you connection when you find it, but at the same time, what it is is it's almost like a uh, like a suit of armor when there's no one around for you. I mean, you know think I mean? about just like going like, in and buying your deck, you know? yeah. Or think about going in and like picking up like your trucks, yeah. Like what kind of trucks you want? What kind of bearings you want? Like everything, every little piece of that board is a, literally a piece of you, 100%. and how it's customized, how you exactly want it to feel, how tight, how loose, like. The, the fucking grip tape, tape uh, grip tape how it's cut, yeah. how you want the logo, like all those things are so stylistically you and those things are not even like seen by the public, but all those are little tiny things it matters, that identify it's, it's, and matters to you. It's like, the, it's the way you put your outfit together every day. Exactly. You know I mean? And it's like, you know, what, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, in skateboarding, what you do is just as important as how you do it the same way in clothing or fashion. Everyone's like, you know, what you wear is just as important as how you wear it. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, like I, I'm confident that like, you know, I, I could be butt ass naked and be given a hundred dollars and be like, go into the gap. I'm gonna walk out of the gap looking fly as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> I fucking but, feel but you. But like most people might not. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Like, right. and it's like he could have the same denim jacket, white tee, and blue jeans I got, but he just looks like a kook. Yeah, you know, I and like you. that's that that spirit is bred in skateboarding, man. Yeah. Like it's was, it's you're it's right, you're it's really a right. there's there's this weird and it's 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 the purest sense of like not rebellion in the punk rock like fuck you mom and dad no. like I hate you but it's like <laughs> just in this like it breeds like the way you look at shit is so different you know what I mean and it's like like I just I I'm telling you man I maintain and I probably will till the day I die that like skateboarders are the coolest people on the what, planet what, you know what what was it that you, like you looked at differently like if you could look back and say like at that time like this is how like I was looking at it like granted for every skater is different but like what was that like for you in that skate culture which was also kind of like one of those subcultures Mm-hmm. If you will, right? For sure. But like, it wasn't a fuck you, mom. It was yeah. just like, look, like we're just traversing the city, and we you just cool. did what you did. You know what I mean? Like, and what's also different too is skating in Philly is way different than skating in LA. For like, sure. Like everything is different about it. It's it's not. Um, uh, I mean, you can obviously point to maybe like the level of, of skaters, like, but that kind of like. Uh, it's just different. It's a, you know, here we yeah. had the evolution of like Z boys and shit come yeah. up and it was like such an identity. With there was a, there was definitely a, I'll say this. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, 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 I think I know where you're going. Is that like West coast, like growing up looking at magazines and everything was West coast culture. There was a period of yeah. time that was like this big East coast movement in skateboarding. Right. And yep. it was so funny because it was like, like, uh, you know, there was definitely like, you know, you see the birth of like surfing and then they called it sidewalk surfing and it became skateboarding, so yeah. on and so forth. And then it goes on to become, you know, what it is. But it's so funny because like even when I moved out here, I was very like married to this like thing about the rhythm of life, you know, and the rhythm of life and skateboarding, I believe, on the East Coast, especially in a metropolitan area, is much more of like a hip hop vibe. You know, like we grew up on hip hop, you mm-hmm. know, and then... And that's that East Coast moment was so hip hop, and it was like really raw because you grew up in a city, you grew up on the East Coast. It's like the winter is brutal, dude. You're out in like two layers of thermals, jeans, long socks. Like you can't feel your board, but you just want to skate so bad, man. You will, you will literally like you will skate a five foot long patch in the middle of a winter just because you're dying to skate. Like I still remember when wild. I, yeah, it was. 
I remember when my first way I was facing down, like my first winner as a skateboarder that I knew I couldn't just get away from it. And I was like, I was literally like looking for information on how to deal like in, in a thrasher magazine <laughs> wow. or something like, like, like how do you deal with getting through a winner as a that skater on the East the Coast? attachment too, Loki. Hell yeah, it does. Like you, you're like, yo, like, you gotta earn it. like I can't go four months without doing this. Are you crazy? Like yeah. no way. And like, you know, it's not going to happen that way. So like it's, it's, Growing up, like on the East Coast, like you, you felt like you're hopping. You know, and it's like you're running from people in a city, and like cops and security it's guards, and like, different. but in a city environment, and like to me, it feels like a hip hop song. It doesn't feel like a rock and roll song. Yeah. You know I what love I mean? That like, you, I love that you like, say that because it's such a also. I mean, I don't know if you felt like this, but I feel like hip hop was uh, not um, glued to skating in the public eye. Like I think it was more like the identity of hip hop when it was such a mass influence of obviously skating if you yeah. were a skater, but so much of, of, I think the general population never really associated the two. No, not reason. at all. Never, yeah. never. I, and, always thought, and, I always thought that was weird. Cause like you would watch well, skate videos and they'd be underlined with like some dope fucking tracks by like Nas or like just sure. hip hop all the time. And well, I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's it's kind of come and gone in skating, and you know things are very different with the internet and whatnot. But like, you know, I think in the early days, skateboarding was very rooted in punk rock because punk rock was the antithesis of everything that people liked, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, and and even surfing was still very socially acceptable in California, but like, punk rock really drove skateboarding for a while. You know what I mean? True it's story. like, like, like skateboarding was like this novel thing you did to get to the beach to surf, you know. And so it it wasn't genetically attached to it on that level mm-hmm. until punk rock came in, and then like skaters kind of started dressing that way, you know. And then more and more, like, uh, I have an anecdote too, a funny like skate punk rock hip hop anecdote about modern days later, but nevertheless, uh, you know, and then when it kind of took to the cities, you know, and like really started developing as like, you know, whatever you want to call it, a sport and activity art form and it became more technical and hard. You started needing these certain types of obstacles because it moved out of the vert ramps in the backyard. There's no space in a city for a vert ramp. I didn't ever skate a transition. If we wanted to skate a transition, I literally had to drive two hours north of Philly <laughs> to the skate park. The, the closest fuck? skate park was two hours north called Cheap Skates. And it was like in this nice. tiny little town and like only when my mom was in the best mood in the winter would I get her and it was like a big deal and all my friends would get in the car and we'd drive with my mom and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, torment trip. her the whole time listening to like hieroglyphics and Del the Funky Homo <laughs> Sapien. Like, you know, it was like, it was, it was awesome. You know what I mean? But like, that's what, that's the only way we got transitioned skating, you know, otherwise it was like, we were left on our own. Like you skate what's in front of you. And like, I just, like I said, I think that vibe connects more with hip hop. It's like, Hip-hop comes from the city. Hip-hop would have never been, if it was left, you know, if you took the recipe of genetics to make hip-hop and left it out in a rural area, it would never happen. You never. know, it's like it would, it only was birthed in the city. Totally. You know? And Straight so up. I think, you know, then there's this thing, and I always, I always kind of recall this one really funny quote in Russell Simmons' uh, autobiography. They talked about how the most punk rock moment he ever saw in his life was uh, when he was in the room for Cash Money Records signing their first record deal. And uh, he said the most punk rock thing he ever saw was like six black dudes across a table with like gold teeth and oversized t-shirts and tattoos on their face signing a th- and taking a $30 million check from a bunch of stiff white dudes. You know what I mean? And like, but like that is still like, that's another 
to me, that's still a heart and soul of skateboarding as well, which yes. is why like they kind of they're symbiotic with each other. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? There is this thing, whether or not hip hop. Hip hop. So the difference is though, is hip hop's wanted to be a part of the establishment. It's aspired to be that way. Skateboarding never did, because mm. hip hop, the the wow, genetics of hip hop is a thing of like people come from a very poor background. The, you know, and, and even a big thing when I when I initially was putting the ice cream skate team together with Pharrell, and he was so adamant about. Ultimately, it was a, a great thing he did, but I was trying to clue him into the fact that like he was very adamant about having an all black team, and I was like, look, man, like you don't get it. Like in skateboarding, no one gives a shit about color. Like it brings everyone together, poor, yeah. rich, black, white, yeah. purple. It doesn't matter. Like we all love skateboarding and yes. that's what we're do together. Like it, it's, yes. and once again, coming back around, name something else that doesn't have that divide. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's no, all sports are divided. They're divided ethnically. Yes. You know, you got Very like, true. like, you know, it's like it, it fucking, what was the old announcer that got in all the trouble back in the day? Jimmy the Greek. Remember Jimmy the Greek? <laughs> It's probably the last time I was into sports, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like, like skateboarding is not divided physically based upon eth- eth- like your ethnicity. Like, oh, like, like a black skater can jump better than a white. Get the fuck out of here. No one's ever said that in the history of skateboarding, uh, yeah. except for me right now making fun of it. You yes. know what I mean? Like, like, so trying to explain to him, you know, like it doesn't matter, which, you know, I was like, you just, I knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to show kids. I yeah. felt like there's you could do it no matter what. But I get it. But that, but like that skating culture wasn't that. Like you're, if you're in the skating culture, you're not looking at it that way. Not at all, man. I'm telling you, like I grew up with Stevie Williams. You know, Stevie came from West yeah. Philly. Poor as fuck, dude. He would come large. Like you know, there's a big uh, era of skateboarding. We got jacked at Love Park. I was one of them. I actually got hit over the head, and uh, really? first time it's ever been spoken about in skateboarding. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Another time, another story, another place. But, uh, <laughs> For real. But Stevie, you know, grew up poor as fuck, and those dudes were stealing boards. It became cool, but it started out of necessity because they wanted to skate. These kids from, like, West Philly in the deep hood wanted to skate, and they couldn't afford boards, so they fucking jacked them. You know what I mean? It was it was a, it was a necessity. You know? uh, how long did you live in South Philly? Uh I lived there for, I mean, I guess a grand total of... Like eight years in South Philly. Oh, so you had a that, yeah. That, did that become like your your home? The yeah, first thing yeah, that, yeah, for sure. Oh, so it, that absolutely. was like your first yeah. feeling of like outside oh. outside of L.A. Philly is the place I've lived longest. Okay, cool. You know? And so I credit like you know I was in my teens and my oh, early twenties in Philly, so that was like building some real roots. That there. was what I really consider home. Like when I tell people where I'm from, I say Philly because that's where I was the longest. I experienced the whole city top to bottom, you know, yeah. like, so to me, that's, that is where I'm from, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's skateboarding, like, you know, getting back to, like I was saying is like that thing about that, that hip hop and skateboarding meld on that, like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it on my own type aesthetic, you know what I mean? Like it started, you gotta think like, dude, it's like hip hop started in parks, they would bring DJs, yep. DJs would throw up speakers and some turntables in a park and yep. give a mic and that's how it happened, you know, you go back to Sugar Hill Gang and then skateboarding was like, yo, like, we're just going to build these U-shaped ramps in the middle of nowhere and ride our little planks of wood with wheels. You know, it's pretty crazy, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and, like, evolutionarily... Like type shit, yeah, bro. like, evolutionary. And for now, it to be legitimately woven into the fabric of so many things. Like, dude, Meek Mill wearing, like, a DGK jacket seems fucking normal, but do you understand how fucking crazy that is for someone like me to look at that? Yeah. You know, like, I remember there was a point, there was this brand called dub way back in the day that was a snowboard brand but it was like a out of this distribution that did drawer skateboarding and eventually i'm becoming dc shoes right and the woo 
all got jackets and they wore it at this thing called like MTV had this thing called the uh, Sports and Music Festival. And all the skaters were there, and Method Man was wearing a dub jacket on stage. I'm talking, you felt like Method Man was your boy. Wild. And wearing that shit. This is like not when it was like common to see like ASAP Rocky wearing like something from a brand. I don't think Rocky fucks with skate stuff, but nevertheless, you know what I mean? Like Rick Ross and all these dudes wearing like falling over themselves to get free shit from skate companies is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, like I've literally witnessed this stuff like Vans. Like I was told I was going to get beat up wearing airwalks, you know? And now it's like, like fucking kids are like, like, you know, like, Oh, the Supreme Vans come out and kids are fist fighting out in front of the store. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Like it's ill. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy for it, but it's crazy at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really wild to see that shit. And I'm not that old. I'm on the cusp of 40. But like I can't imagine what a Tony Hawk must look at this stuff Straight and be up. like, oh my oh, god, this shit. is like, you know, from his hundred million dollar mansion. You know, he must look at it and be like, oh my god, we have come a really long way. You yeah. know, because I mean? I've been through two generations of like up and down in the in this industry. This guy has been through like five. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? It's it's wild. It's wild because I want to get to later like that like generational like you being able to go through that and seeing the shifts of it. What what was Nino like? Like, when you graduated high school, I'm going to just jump there because it's like you were a skater at heart, right? 100%. What was your mind like going into college and, like, all of those things? Like, what what were your aspirations at that point? Because, like... I just wanted to skate, man. That's all I wanted so to do. So, did, did you go to college? No. I will... Were you, wait, were you trying to be on a team or a pro skater? No. Or? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, okay, I, so you, like, it's so funny, you know, it's like I, in high school, like, I was a pretty good student uh-huh. all the way up until high school. And then, like, you know, my parents, like, had, like, things were really bad in the house, but not, like, so bad that I was, like, you know, like, fucking rabbit from Eight Mile yeah. or anything like that. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They were, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't the best, we'll say. You know, shit was definitely, like, hectic at home. But I wasn't even, you know, my mom, up until she passed away, she would always tell this funny story of, like, you know, with her Irish accent, she'd always be like, Nino, you were such a good student until you got to high school. What happened? And I was like, well, I discovered weed, number one. And number two, and like, my mom was baffled because my mom was older too, so she couldn't understand. Like, I was like, mom, I was high the whole way through high school. I didn't have a fucking clue. And she was just jaw on the floor. Like, she had, and no my joke. Nino. Yeah, no, she, she asked me if I did. She goes, did you do pot in high school? I was like, mom, I did pot a lot in high school. You <laughs> like, did, you have no idea. You did pot. Yes, I did lots of pots in <laughs> high school. But like, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I didn't care about anything. Like I was trying to explain to her, I was like, the reason my grades were bad was like, kind of because it sucked at home, but mostly like, I wasn't like a maladjusted kid who was like sitting there in my room, like crying into my pillow. I was like, dude, I just did not give a fuck about anything but skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I brought skate mags to school. I looked at them the whole way through class. You know, I applied myself as kind of best I could, but I also went to an art school. I went to Korean Performing Arts High School in fucking Philly. Mm. And it's like I borderline flunked out of that. That's how much I cared about skateboarding. This was the easiest high school on the planet to get through. I only had three academic classes a day. And then I had my major, like I went for film, and like I had my major, and like I still almost flunked out because I did not give a fuck. All I cared about was skateboarding and getting to California somehow. I did not care. So when you- I, was, I was biding my time. So high school was a stop on the way in my eyes. Wow. High school was a stop on the way to my professional skateboarding career, which did not happen. <laughs> so but, so what, what was that point after high school? Did you eventually like come to California or? Uh, the way it went down was after high school, everyone was super disappointed in me that I didn't want to go to college. 
I didn't, you know, and it was like, you know, you get faced as a kid with that, like, so what now type of thing. I went to a performing arts school once again, so I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, I, I just didn't want to do anything with it, you know, so. Was that the same school as, like, the Roots and Raphael yeah, my, 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 you know, my brother, my brother, my sister. Really? It's like that? My brother and sister went there. Right? My Check this out. My brother's graduating class was the Roots. Scott Storch yep. and Boys oh, to Men. Be- I'm telling you, something yeah. was in the water in Philly during that time because yeah. that, that's that, insane. Yeah. That school like poured out some fucking yeah. legendary. And then has not turned out a single person since. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they, they sucked up all the water. Yeah, and yeah like, off. They were like, what? like it was crazy, dude. I was look, I had a, drought like season. I was one of the only. <laughs> I had this this car, like I had a shitty little car in high school that I, my dad bought me three hundred bucks, right, and like. Like I remember Boys to Men, they were still so famous and then such like a big thing for my high school that they would always ask me to move my car and it would piss me off so because they would just come <laughs> they would come back to school. Like kids, like students had this weird emotional attachment to my high school. They would always come back after they graduated. And even Boys to Men, who were like at that time like multi-platinum selling, like multi-Grammy winning <laughs> R and B stars. Literally boys and, to men. And it was I just feel like they would be stuck in Philly and be bored and be like, you know what, I'm gonna go talk in front of these kids and make myself feel good. And they would just call up and school we would like get pulled out of class. The whole school would shut down and be like, uh, we'd have an assembly now, students. Like go to, and then like it would be boys to men. They would always ask me to move my car. And I'll be like, fuck these guys, man. Like they're making me move my fucking car every time. And I would have to drive around and I would have a teacher Making sure I didn't leave school and come no. back. What you the already getting slapped for yeah. moving it for yeah. them, and then you're gonna get watched. Yeah, like fuck them, dude. <laughs> uh, they're they're actually sick, but like nevertheless, you know, like that is I in fucking sane, bro. So I got out of high school and like, yeah, I just didn't like, you know, I just wanted to do the skate thing and really do the best I could. So like, I and and at that time it was lucky, like that was the very early stages of like the Love Park era of skateboarding, which was like this heralded golden era. And we were so lucky to have this plaza in Philly. And it's like in hindsight, you like you really understand how lucky is. But while it was going on, it was like. You know, I worked like I was, I was a valet. I was a process like I had the worst job ever. I was a process server outside of high school, which is a uh, I I uh I served uh, subpoenas. Oh, <laughs> fuck you. On behalf the, of a lot of people. Yeah. It was fuck Yeah, you. it was well, it was it was What the fuck? I only did a I only did divorce and uh oh, and like, holy, yeah, but look, 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 look. Which was even funnier because I was actually deputized by the state to arrest people, which was like the most random <laughs> shit ever. Dude, I was like, no joke, I was probably like a buck forty, and like strolling in, and basically like if the people didn't want to accept it and they like got aggressive with me, I could arrest them. But I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like sit on them till the cops come? Like I wouldn't. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like, They're like good for you. What the fuck are you gonna do? Yeah, which. So anyway, I, I did that and like I that was like kind of how I supported myself. And then um, it's funny like because Philly's a very as big as it is, it's still a very small city. It's like it's the I think the fifth or sixth largest city in the country, and still functions like this small town, mm-hmm. right? So everything's very small, and it's not uh, on a landmass level. It's not big at all. It's only like I think like uh, two miles end to end, or sorry, uh, east to west for center city. Like oh, you wow. can walk end to end in the main city wow. part in like half an hour 20 oh, minutes wow, right wow, wow. so uh but so there was in the skate community this kid Vern got a job at uh Bertucci's Pizzeria and then my friend Corey who skated got a job as the uh driveway manager at the Marriott 
So everyone either worked at Bertucci's delivering pizzas or you worked at the Marriott's valet, you know, and that's kind of like, and it was like, you know, we're all dirtbag skaters. Everyone for the most part lived together. Like, you know, it was like always two, three skaters to an apartment. So I had like kind of, I, I, I was a little snootier and like kind of was like willing to work and like pay bills and stuff that like, so I had like a, I had this duplex with two kids that didn't skate, but they were homies with everyone, you know, one was a DJ who was also at the time, it's kind of ill, like, you know, it's this whole, it's a sidebar, but it was, like, really ill to, like, first kind of toe-dipping into business was he was Dick Hayne, who started Urban Outfitters' personal assistant. Oh, wow. And so I got to actually see Urban Outfitters from the inside's growth, oh, wow. which was ill. It was really cool, and it was, like, because I was so tight with Mason, and then Dick, who is actually a very cool person, like... I remember, like, I remember going to his office, right? Like, I'd always stop by his office because I was out walking around delivering stuff all the time, right? Yeah. So, and I would always just, like, if I was in the neighborhood, I'd stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, delivering awful news to everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yo, here's a story. I delivered a, <laughs> I delivered a, uh, a, a divorce, I delivered divorce papers to a woman who worked in a methadone clinic. Oh, Jesus. Who, I guess it came out later that she post, like, she and her husband were done, but, like, he finally had, like, pulled the trigger and I had to deliver the papers to her. And it's never a good day when something like this happens, obviously, right? So I did it and and I just kind of walked up. And there's, like, this whole process that you have to learn. And there's a way to do, like, a clean delivery, which is a clean serve. And then there's, like... A clean serve is like, here you go, and they take it from you, and then you're like, you've been served, and then you basically get the get the fuck Run. out of there as fast as possible, Run. right? Then there's like, you know, it's called like a not clean serve, which is you get three attempts by the state to make a service, right? And then if by the third there you can prove they're avoiding you, the state will just call it a legal service. But if they're if you can actually make contact, they basically they give you six tries, right? And this woman had been dipping me and I finally caught her and I went and I dropped the shit on her desk and I looked at her and I just said, just grab it. I said, just grab it. I was like, I was like, you're gonna get it. So I but I also didn't know that she and this is a methadone clinic, which is already like a kind of a hostile environment. There's junkies there trying to get their methadone. Yeah. Everyone's kind of on high alert for people freaking out, right? So there's security. I didn't know until after the fact that she had a uh, relationship going with the security guard. Oh, so I leave, and I'm like, fuck, thank God that's over with. I've been trying to get her for a minute, like whatever. So I go downstairs, and then all of a sudden I hear these boots run up behind me, oh, and I hear shoot. this heavy breathing. I turn around, it's this massive, like he was like a wall of a human, and he was about to pummel me, this guy, oh. right? And like I, he was like, well, like just yelling, screaming or whatever. And I'm kind of like a cocky little kid, so I was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, I knew I was gonna get it, but I'm like, I'm going down with my mouth running. No. It is what it is, you know. So he, uh, <laughs> this kid, like this dude, is about to just go. I mean, he's about to drop kick me, right? Yeah. Like, or like, yeah, I'm about to get like a solid throttling, you know, <laughs> like, and. So then, but then out of the blue, like my whole crew of homies literally rounds the corner skating. And I, like, like, I'm talking within like 10 feet. Just, just randomly. Just like literally was like, and the guy kind of was like, and I was like, oh, what's up guys? And like, like literally like grabbed them and dove on top of my friends. And then he was kind of like, man, like, all right, like I'm not, this isn't worth it type thing. You know, but like I was like, there was crazy. There was a couple that, 
There was a couple that used to deliver the personal subpoenas, or the sorry, the criminal subpoenas, right? And they would come in. They were this like very like dog the bounty hunter, like like a jack, but like a fat jack dude. You know what I mean? Like the oh, way those, dog is. Those like those are the best jack dudes. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like it's like yo, you you the eat fashion. like you work out a lot, but you still eat a lot. So there's like <laughs> so you double Yeah. Yeah, no, just like, like the swole dude with the gun. Like yeah, the big exactly. Gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then his and his wife is kind of like not like Beth, like short and fat, but like definitely like you awesome. know just just like we'll say frumpy is the word, you know. But dude, they they took a criminal subpoena and like you would go in and they were all laid out, right? And like you saw like whatever and you kind of grabbed what was within your area. Like I had downtown or Center City, Philly, right? And I would grab everything in Center City. Sometimes it was just legal documents. Sometimes it was a divorce, whatever. And these, this couple did the criminal and they were like deputized, they had guns, they had fucking zip ties and like the whole nine, you know, and they, I remember I went in and I saw this one and I looked up and I was like, oh, what are you guys arresting Dr. Dre today? This dude looked like Dre from fucking NWA. He had like the fucking like flat brim Black Raiders <laughs> hat in the photo. It was a criminal subpoena, so they attach a photo to it, obviously. I guess story goes that afternoon they found him, they opened up the door and he, or they knocked, he opened up the door and he just shanked both of them in the throat and they oh died on the spot. God. And what was even funnier though is like, because it's it's a grimy business, like this whole like, like, like a uh, subpoena service and all this. It's a really grimy bottoms feeder business. We're on a way big tangent anyway, but like, nevertheless, final, final comment is it's grimy as fuck. So me, I, like I said, 140 pounds tops. I'm, I'm 18 years old, fresh out of high school, like. And my scumbag boss trying to collect on this thing offered me a thousand dollars when the, the 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 reward was something like fifteen or twenty. It offered me like like one percent to try and go and get these. Like, do you want to take a stab at this? And I was like, no. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Like, so. Nevertheless, I, I ended up switching over to being a valet as my profession there, shortly there thereafter. Like, there you go. Yeah, which was tight because we made a lot. You would. You know, you had bad. Yeah, at the Marriott, it was like you had bad days, you had good days. But the thing is, when you had a really good day, you had a great day. Yeah, you know, and like, yeah, it was. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a hustle, and I kind of hated it. But it was like it was all my skate homies. We all worked together. We had a good time. I mean, mean, like you know, in the winters, man, like good god, dude, when you're standing out there, it is brutal. Like there was like winds that would hit you, felt like it was gonna saw you in half. Like it was just that gnarly. Like, but. Once again, you know, it was a good way because you could work two, three days a week, skate a lot, because we all were trying to get sponsored. Everyone was trying to get sponsored. Were you guys you know? st- still trying to go out to California? Yeah. I mean, well, okay. we just, you know, or we just, wanted to make it, whatever yeah, so it meant. Whatever. If it meant okay. staying there and, or not, you know, it's just like we just wanted to make it. At that time, it did mean going to California, you know, and it was what like, was like it was tough, man. You, you, this is what you did. This is literally how it worked, right? There was, there was one road and one road only. You filmed a video part. And you send it to a company. It's called a sponsor me video. And you send sponsor me. It's like your demo tape and music, you know. And you literally use your best tricks. And you know, it, it was mostly tricks. Some kids would put a little personality in there in hopes that you know your your smarter kid would understand that it's like being the best dude isn't always going to just get you there. You might need to sprinkle a little personality in. So put a little in there, or whatever. And you literally you sent it to companies and you waited to hear. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, like you literally, you would call if you were ballsy, you'd call and like find out the team manager's name and be like, Hey, it's fucking little Mikey from, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like sending your demo to like an A&R. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're like, it's little Mikey. Like, did you get my demo tape? Like, you know, or like, and they would be like, nah, kid, like click, you know? And that was it, man. It was like, you know, that's really what you hope for. But what had happened 
luckily for me was that, you know, there was this period of time of that. And then what happened is that skateboard industry kind of started to focus on Philly specifically because of Love Park. And so the East Coast movement, which was the birth of a company called Zoo York, which now people probably think is like whatever, like they see people, but you don't understand, like Zoo York to us was so meaningful because they really like, they gave us something, you know, even though like the style of skating that was associated with East Coast skaters for the most part was like this like really burly, like cruising at top speed through traffic, which was a blast. Like some of the funnest times I remember was like smoking weed and just like pushing like a maniac through traffic and like ollieing manholes and like just in your zone, you know what I mean? And then, but I didn't really do that. I was more like plaza style kid. I like skating ledges and like, like, you know, three to six stairs and flip tricks and stuff like that. But that wasn't really associated with East coast skateboarding until this kid, Josh Kalis moved to Philly. And so at the time in skateboarding, there was like, it was kind of tiered out. It was like a class system almost. Right. So you had like a list sponsors, B list sponsors, C list, so on and so forth. It was never talked about, but that's kind of how it was. Right. So, Josh rode for a company called Alien Workshop. Mm. And Alien, I mean, massive like, like out of Ohio, but had all the biggest dudes in skating at the time, right? And so it was like Alien and Girl and Chocolate were like the end-all, be-all. Wow. If you were like, you know what I mean? Yeah, if you knew your shit and you were like alleged kind of techie kid, that was it. If you were like a shredder kid, like real and anti-hero were like your brands, right? But like this was like, we lived and died by these fucking brands. So like Alien was like our shit. And for a pro skater to move to Philly, and I knew that Josh had lived in Philly beforehand. And we had skated maybe once or twice, but like then I moved back and I like kind of re-met him. And uh, just as luck would have it, there was a filmer and a photographer named Ryan G in Philly who was like, he was once again a phenomenon that didn't really exist was he was a staff photographer for Transworld Skateboarding. And he filmed, which at the time skaters or uh, photographers also filmed. So he was this conduit to the skateboard industry. But the thing is, he was literally the only dude on the East Coast all the way from fucking Maine to Florida. Mm. So it was like hard to get G's attention, right? Unless you really ripped, like you weren't getting G's attention at all. And uh, so, and then Josh moving there was like this thing where G kind of glommed onto him, right? But then Josh and I became friends and I just like, I was like, okay, like, and slowly but surely Josh put this video part out, right? And it was all filmed at Love Park and Stevie Williams was fucking no one at the time. He was practically one foot out the door and was ready to give up on skateboarding. Really? Yes. And start, then like he was, if you look at this part, you got to YouTube this skate video part. And just YouTube Josh Kalis, K-A-L-I-S, Transworld Skateboarding, The Sixth Sense. And you will get this, this, this I'm talking gravitational. <laughs> gravitational moment in skateboarding, right? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you where I literally like, it took. And you knew he was like about to just. No, we didn't. We were just having fun. I mean, we knew Josh was big and like Josh and I at that point were attached to the hip hanging out every day. And, like, you know, to be able to get free product from, like, these companies that were so big was such an honor and a thing. And I was such a scrappy kid that, like, I loved. Like, I'm such, like, a fucking nerd. Like, I loved getting free gear and, like, you know what I mean? I loved having fresh clothes, which, like, wasn't, like, Josh Josh got it, but he didn't really care. Like, Josh was going to skate one way or another. But Josh was, like, fucking my idol. So then I got to be friends with my idol. You know, we're both kids. We're 21 at the time, you know? So it was, like, sick as shit ever. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, like I, 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 yeah. I think I think it would be like this. Like, if you're a kid right now and you listen to this, it would be literally the ability to be like, okay, I'm, we'll say, 18 to 21, right? Like, you're into X, Y, and Z, be it clothes and the underclothes, you're into these clothing brands, and you're trying to be a rapper or something. It would literally be able to be like, get up every day, and you get on the phone, and like, you go grab lunch with a little yachty. And then you're hanging out with like a rich, like, I don't know, is Rich the Kid tight? I just hear the name a lot. And he wears, he wears a lot of Supreme shit. So I see it all the time. But like, you know, any of these kids, like, and then, and then like, or like, you know what I mean? Or like, it would be like, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know what I mean? Or like, like you're literally out in the streets every day with like ASAP Rocky. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, I, I would say Josh at that time is probably like ASAP, right? Like, like Rocky right now. Like that's kind of what it's like. It would be the ability to wake up and like get to kick it, but like not kick it like, ooh, like Rocky's calling me, but like it's your man, you know what I mean? Like, or like, like I would say the closest thing at that time to like Rob Deerdeck and Josh Kalis was ASAP Rocky and Travis Scott. Mm. And I got to be friends with them, you know what I mean? But they were like my best friends, you know what I mean? We were hanging out, like, that's ill as fuck, you know? And, like, I was broke, grimy, but I was, like, you know what I mean? It'd be, like, like if you're friends with ASAP and Travis and, like, you rap and they, they like your rapping, and so you hang out with them as a peer. Yeah. Not some, you're not my man's that holds the weed, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, it's, yeah. It was like a huge doorway into like waking up and like realizing like, yo, I'm friends with people like I've looked up to my whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm in the industry. Like, not, I never once thought like, ooh, I'm in the industry. But like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I could call anyone because ultimately it led to me getting a job at Alien Workshop. Was that and your first? Like, that was my first job ever. Right. What and was that like? It was incredible. It was like I got to be like all my friends what, wrote what for the there? team. I was a team manager. Oh, team manager. But oh. it was I was I wasn't just a team manager for Alien Workshop. I was a team manager. It was chaotic, of course. Well, Alien Workshop yeah. and now I mean Alien Workshop is fucking massive. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's become a, such a such I mean a it's place. iconic, but it's not what it was, unfortunately, right, like right. due to some, you know, but the credibility of it, it's like it, the, the name Alien yeah. Workshop is so deep threaded in this. It birthed yeah, so many things. You know what I mean? It births like uh, un- untold amounts of things in skateboarding. You know, and it's like so. That's when you became a team manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, the, wow. previously I broke my ankle really bad. Oh, like shit. I and I shredded how'd all you, these ligaments in my ankle. Just playing like like anyone else in skateboarding, playing a game of skate. That's yeah. how. Like either it either happens when you're going for something really massive, or when you're just fucking around. It never happens when you're just skating the skate. Like, well, I was playing this kid Rob Lahowski in a game of skate at Love Park. I did an ollie flip, rolled my ankle under the board in front. I heard the pop and immediately knew it was like, I'm fucked. And then I went, I uh, went to the hospital, signed in under this kid I hated's name. So I charged all the bills off to him. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, he, yeah, and then he, uh, so nevertheless, they told me that I had torn ligaments. So I had all this blood in my leg, right? Mm. And, uh, I knew it was over with. It was the the dream of ever having my name on a skateboard was officially over with. What was right? that like? Like in terms of just, um, you know what? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. It was it was a fucking blessing, and I'll tell you why. Because skateboarding, one thing that does happen, I think, this happens. Like we, Joe, you and I covered this before we started the podcast, but. One thing that happens in life is like when you hold something so tightly and you want it so fucking bad, you wake up and you taste it from the second you get up to the second you go to sleep and you're dreaming it after you that taste leaves your mouth, mm-hmm. right? 
one thing that happens is you will chase it. And God forbid you kind of, you actually touch it. Mm. You will chase that shit till the day you die. The oh. people, you want to know who I feel the worst, you want to know who I feel the worst yeah. for on this planet right now, actually? Remember that, that making the band with Puffy, the first one? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> because no, no, they dude, were, was, look, look, look. Dylon. The biggest, the biggest, oh look. Dylon. Yeah, Dylon, Dylon. And like, I, I, I feel bad, like, because, yeah, they, they fucking, like, these kids tasted it, you know what I mean? And, they, and like, they got, whatever, maybe they got ripped off, maybe they didn't, more than likely they got ripped off, probably, but like, in skateboarding is just phenomenon, right? And it happened to a lot of my friends, and I was very thankful that it happened, it, it, I caught it as early as I did, which is, you go through this identity crisis, right, which is, you live and breathe skateboarding. Like I said, I didn't give a fuck about high school because all they cared about was skating. You live and breathe. Your friends skate. Everything is skateboarding. The music you listen to is because you heard it in a video part. So on and so forth, right? You only... This is your this is your fucking genetics of your life. And then it's over with, right? And you know that you're never going to have... Because it's like you all... Like everyone thinly... I think the thin kind of veneer over it is that like everyone's chasing this dream of being a pro, Right? Mm-hmm. Traveling the world, doing demos, getting to skate for the rest of your life, or play Peter Pan as long as you can, right? So it's not over for me, right? And I was, you know, I wasn't thankful at the time. I was pretty miserable and upset, but that was also due to like the physicality of it was I had blood in my leg that I had no insurance. And so I literally had my leg up on a pillow for three months. I got fat for the first time in my life. Yeah. I got fat. I'll show you fat Nino afterwards. And like. Like, oh, look, but this is also, like, I discovered uh, AOL chat rooms at the time. It was so tight. Like, I mean, I was, I was sexting chicks. Like, what, it could have been, I don't know, it could have been a dude. Like, you don't know, because you, like, yeah. you were, you were, a, you were ASLing everyone till the cows came home. You know what I mean? I remember my first screen name on AOL, because I was so uncreative. I had cell, I just, remember cell phones had just come out, right? Like, you had to be a baller to have a cell phone. Oh, I just God. got my first prepay, right? It was Sprint. And uh, it was like it had like a little flip down cover that covered the thing, and it was like weird to skate with like a phone in your pocket and shit like that. Like you just kind of committed to like I'm out in the streets and I'll get my messages when I get home, right? So uh, I had a cell phone. My, my cell phone was a uh, my Philly. The Philly prefix is two one five, right? And then uh, so I had two one five six one licks two one five six one nine something 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 something, and just uncreatively called myself cell 619 and didn't realize until one time I got into deep like hot and heavy with this chick that she told me she's like you are you an inmate because why do you have that name and I'm like oh shit wait a second (laughs) like oblivious to the fact that like I sound like I'm a fucking inmate because I'm putting my cell name on there my cell number that's amazing (laughs) that's that's even better are you L? Were you L V R or L O V E R? I was L O V E R. I was yeah. in that time. Like, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't like really internalize it. Yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. it was so funny because those two screens, like, Baller for Life lasted a lot longer. Mm-hmm. But, like, Lawrence Lover was definitely a screen. That's incredible. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, 
I was laid up. You know, I literally didn't leave my bed. I left my bed twice, and like I left my house twice in two mo- or three months, and I packed on like twenty pounds. I'd never put on weight before. I was a skinny kid my whole life. I kind of freaked out about that, and luckily. Oh, it's like Chubb's fucking little fat Italian kid. I've always been like Chubb's little like I've always been like one bad meal away from being fat. You know what I mean? Like I just I just luckily skated a lot back then. Like yeah, you know I it was it was a mentally tough period. I didn't know I, I and, and and you know I've always been into music and I guess I've always had this leaning to business. And so I used to read like the source and double XL a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those were kind of like weird business Bibles for me almost, you know, once again, man, it's like, I'm like a fucking mega nerd. You know what I mean? Like, I'm serious. Like I'm like a nerd. Like I read into everything. I read as much as I can about like things that are like, you know, like the backgrounds of things, how th- something became something like, you know, I just, I don't know. Like it was in like, I, I remember like, I was like, I used to carry a list around in my pocket and be like, I have to learn all these tricks in order to become a professional skateboarder. You know what I mean? Like that was like my roadmap to becoming a pro skater. Like, and, and, you know, I was always like trying to kind of like seeing if like my story compared to other people, which probably isn't the greatest thing to compare yourself. But like one of the things was like Steve Rifkin's name was coming up a lot and I was confused, man. Like I didn't know, like I'm not going to make it in skateboarding now. I live in Philly. Like, and you know, I, and it's funny because I had actually, before that I had gotten accepted to a bunch of colleges for photography. Yeah. I was, my brother pushed me. My brother's like, my brother got all the talent in my family. I just got all the mouth to make people believe I have all the talent. So I, but my brother was pushing me really hard uh, about photography and you know I had two friends yeah yeah I, I really enjoyed it I enjoyed it a lot and my brother really helped me with it you know but another thing too is I was kind of obsessed <laughs> I was obsessed with models when I was younger it's like and literally like like all the big models at the time like like Christy Turlington and like Kate Moth yeah that era like the super mega models and like I was I thought they were the hottest things I had ever seen in my life they like you know like the George Michael Freedom video like no joke like impacted me and 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 not because not even because of the direction of it but because like the hottest like all the hottest women on the planet were in one video it was like the most insane thing to me ever like so I had a good friend from high school that ended up going up to uh, a <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> Rest, rest in peace, George. Like, like, yeah. But he, uh, yeah. So that was like a thing, you know, like, I don't know. It was like a weird thing. And like, I've always kind of been into clothes and like being like, you know, it's like, you're, I'm a Guido at heart. So of course I always want to be a little fly and flashy, you know, and then like, yeah, well, I mean, it's just, I think Italians on a level, like, certain level, like, we just, like, we're, like, uh, boisterous people, you know? Like, and uh, the Irish side of me is much more poetic and dark, and then, like, the Sicilian side of me is, like, a, like boisterous and, like, right. like and, uh, you know, we'll say uh, introspective, but boisterous. Is that, like, you know, like, there's yeah. depth, but they're, like, we're loud and, like, you know, we want to be cocky and, like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know and, and you're over there like the nerd, knowing like I know what's facts, yeah. and y'all over here trying to like. And more often than not, even if I'm right in an argument, it's like I could argue someone down, and they're like, "Yeah, you're right," but what the fuck ever, who cares? And like they're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's and most of it's in insignificant knowledge, yeah. you know, that probably comes from like watching Jeopardy every night at the dinner table with my parents, you know, and that's just how I learn I like things. Yes, right? Like <laughs> he's still doing it. He's still doing it, but it's like. 
Like, uh, you know, it's a thing of like you at that time, like, you know, you, you learn so much and you take in so much. Right. And like, at that point I was like, fuck, like that's where a lot of my knowledge came from. And going back to college, like I was going to go just because, but then when I was honest with myself and I was like, fuck this. Cause I actually like, you know, I'll tell this, this is my one moment. I'm actually going to brag in life. I'm going to take it. I don't do this. And I'm very like shy normally. And like, do it, but, do uh, it. I, so I, when I was a process server and I served subpoenas, awful job, don't do it. I spent a lot of time in elevators, right? So I figured I was going to shoot my portfolio for college in elevators because I was going to do a photo study in elevators because it's a very awkward space. Like you really want to see some funny shit is bend over and tie your shoes in an elevator. People will lose their fucking mind. Like, like they'll think you have a bomb on you. Like, like. Yo, seriously, people are crazy, and you want to see them get even nuttier? Well, maybe not now, but, well, yeah, now, because people freak out in that level of intimate space, you know what I mean? But if I would pull a camera out, and people would go fucking crazy. Wait, what are you doing? Wait, what are you yeah, doing? exactly. So I have, and actually, one of the photos in that made it into my portfolio is this big fat woman that tried to actually wrestle me down for my camera, and I, like, I literally held, I was... Dude, I was broke. Like, I wasn't giving that thing up. I was going to fucking fight her till the death. Like, I would have bit her fingers off her hand. Like, there's no way, you know. But ultimately, my brother helped me put the uh, portfolio together, you know. And he kind of like, you know, we'll say art directed it at the time or whatever, you know. And I had this ill leather bound case. So, I had awful uh, grades in school, but I had a really good SAT, which to a person taking in students at a college says this kid's smart but he's fucking lazy right yes. so the two schools i applied to were RISD, rhode island school of design and then i got accepted to RISD, but then i was like man i don't want to live in providence rhode island it's like this small town that like it seemed cool for kids but still was like man like first of all it's freezing cold and it sounds terrible in the winter and then uh so i also applied to uh parsons or sorry, not Parsons, SVA. Sorry. So my friend Kareem went to SVA, who's now actually shout out Kareem Black. He's very respected fashion photographer. He was a grade older than me in my school. And like he I saw him and he was having a fucking blast in New York, right? Like he was like hanging out with hot ass girls and <laughs> shooting photos and skating and like living in dorms nice. where it's like there's like he just walks out his front door and like three doors down is like every door is like a hot chick. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like I was like, I'm going to college. You know what I mean? This like, is great. like this is sick as fuck. This is way better than getting beat up for serving a divorce <laughs> subpoena. You know what Absolutely. I mean? So, um, I submitted my application to SVA. The head of the photo department got, I got as far as that, and he was basically called me up to New York, and my brother was living there already, and uh, so I would always go stay with him to skate. I went up. He sat me down. He's like, "Look, what's the deal?" He's like, "You got really good." SATs, you're clearly a smart kid. Why are your grades suck so bad? And I'm like, because I fucking hate school. It's got nothing for me here. Like, I want to skate. Like, I, nothing I want to do has anything to do with a number or English literature or anything, which I'll circle back around to later. So don't take this at heart just yet. But, uh, you know, and I was pretty like, you know, I was, I, I've always had a mouth. Like, I've been pretty blunt about things, unfortunately, sometimes. And so he respected it, you know. And he's like, well, look, here's the deal. Like, you're a really talented kid, and I want you here, but I can't get you in with these grades. He's like, give me a couple weeks. I'm going to see what I can do. So he gave, he circulated my portfolio around, and ultimately, David LaChapelle saw it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and LaChapelle liked it a lot. 
And he got La Chapelle to go to bat for me. Oh, and I got, yeah, and I, I got God. it, I got accepted. What? And so. Um, I saw, well, no, not ever since, but like that one weekend I had to go up and he was giving it like a speech. He's an SVA alum, right? And so he was giving a speech to all the students, you know, and at that time, like La Chapelle would be the, uh, fuck, I don't even know what the creative equivalent is now, but like, I mean, he was crushing it, dude. He had, he had given this whole new aesthetic. Yeah. And he was young. And the thing is, even though he was gay, He was a very digestible gay for the average media because he dressed like he he wore baggy jeans and Nikes and a crooked hat. And it wasn't like, it was like, no. And a hundred percent. Like he was, and he was cool, man. Like he was, he was like, look, like you really got to follow through with this. And like, you know, I was, I was all over the place at the time. Like my brother was popping at that moment too, actually, believe it or not. Like he was doing it. And my brother, my brother was a pretty, he was a moment pre- excuse me, September 11th, where he was a really big fashion photographer. And he went through some, some wow, personal stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, he was, my brother's always been a massive driving creative influence in my life. Like, he, and, but he, he kind of pushed out and like, he didn't go the, uh, like, like my friend Kareem really put himself out there and you could see like the guy believes in himself, right? Yeah, and you know, he was, he, my brother took a more kind of safe route, which was he went and signed with an agency, which uh, with a, a advertising agency. So, by proxy of that, he became their in-house guy, right? Yeah, so, but what he ended up doing was he shot this Estee Lauder campaign with Elizabeth Hurley, who was like end all be all to me at the time because she had like I, yeah, I melted a British accent. Yeah, dude, a British accent. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, so. Yes, and so my brother shot it with her, and it was like a pretty big deal, and that ended up leading to a bunch of other stuff. But like ultimately, like he went through a really vicious kind of like breakup, and then uh, September 11th happened, and Bates he worked for this this advertising agency called Bates Worldwide, massive massive agency at the time in the mid 90s. They ran shit. They were two weeks behind on their uh, production of their offices and. Uh, World Trade 3 I believe it was and my brother was supposed to be in there and they had like kind of like a skeleton crew working my brother lost a bunch of friends on September 11th and it was just too much for him to handle and he had like a fucking breakdown oh my god yeah he had a breakdown and he literally kind of like slowly retracted and you know it's like you know yeah 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 absolutely and he learned He it led to him learning graphic design and he's a talented dude and but you know, my brother is always gonna learn. Have you like, ever spoken to him about that moment? absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Hmm. He, yeah, it's it's you know, look, man, it's like uh, one of the greatest things I think that any man and being thirty eight right now, I can tell you, like, uh, ironically, I listened to this other podcast the other day and they made it sound like thirty eight, like you might as well go kill yourself, right? But like, you know what? You know what's funny, man, is I think a. Uh, Propaganda is a huge thing, right? And I by prop by the word propaganda, what I mean is like uh, the loudest the loudest voice you hear, right? And uh, like like take for instance this, right? Like in L.A., we all live in L.A., right? Actors is like this 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 caricature of something you can always make fun of. It's very easy to make fun of an actor, yeah. right? Even though even though, ironically, funny thing is is I've lived here almost fourteen years. I don't know any fucking actors. I really don't. For some reason, in all my travels, like they make it seem like. But like just by being here, you're gonna be forced to deal with actors and actresses. I haven't met any of them. 
Like it's all like, I mean, trust me, I know a lot of party girls and models and shit like that. And like club promoter dudes. But like, I don't know any dudes that are like, yeah, man, I'm just one roll away from being the next George Clooney. But one thing I have like in the, in the times I've been around them, especially male actors, they're all propagated for one thing, right? Cause it's very hard. Obviously it's a nepotistic business. Like, you know, everyone's like uncle is doing this or dad is doing that. And they, you know, God forbid little Mikey from Kansas grew up loving Brad Pitt and was like, right, I'm going to go be the next Brad Pitt. Like yeah. they get out here and there's this propaganda. And the one kind of common propaganda story that's really funny you hear a lot about. And if you actually Google it, it'll come up a lot is about George Clooney, right? George Clooney. His Rosemary Clooney was his uh, aunt, I believe. He's from uh, Ohio, right? Ohio? Somewhere. Somewhere in the Midwest, whatever. Like, it's like Cleveland or something. His dad was like a weatherman, whatever. But the whole thing is like, every dude's like, man, George Clooney didn't even get his break till he's 35. You know, and it's like this thing, you know, that like people hear about, you know. But I think within certain industries, like, you know, it's like, like, first of all, like, you know, you have value till the day you die, you know, yeah, and, and, and there's many, many different examples you can look around, you know, within entertainment, like acting. Yeah, you're probably not going to crack and end up being Batman when you're 60. Yeah. We're, let's get past this, you right. know. But, you know, it, it just depends on what you want out of it. Look, dude, no, dude, in, like Harrison Ford was 36 when he played Han Solo. That was yeah. his role, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he granted, he had a leg up. He was going into it, having a couple of things under his belt. You can't just be like a 36, be like, I'm going to quit my job and yeah. go do it. It's going to be tough for you. But, like, you know, I think it boils on it kind of ultimately what you want, you know? And then the rest is kind of icing on the cake. If, let's say, by accident you do crack and you end up being like a like a Colin Firth or a, uh, you know, a, what's his name, a Clive Owen who kind of get it a little bit later, like, God, yeah. Yeah, even even it, like it, John Hamm. You know, who, who it, like, but you know, like like it, every everything like you just have to take it kind of like uh, as it comes type yeah. of thing and be realistic about it. I want to ask you. It, it's going to be compartmentalized into two questions. And first, we're going to talk. I want to talk to you about the conversations you had with your brother about what the pain and what the loss of nine eleven did to his like creative drive, uh -huh. and just that knowing that like. Like, I want to know what that is, because it's like, everybody can think of some things, but since you've had an in-depth conversation with I, I really want to know what that was. And secondly, I want to know what the young skater kid that was like ride-or-die skating, that also had an eye, but also had a big brother that was really cool, that was in that field, and what made you choose the latter as opposed to, like, the photography shit, right? So... Take me through that moment where your brother closed the chapter on his on his career and like a, as a grown man now and also like whatever the conversation happened, what the depth of that was. And then let's walk through because I feel like it's wild for me because we could never know had you gone to college and been a photographer what that would have been like. But I'm actually kind of lightweight happy you didn't because, like, who oh, yeah. knows? Uncle Nino might not be sitting here. Well, right? I'll tell you, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but... I don't give a fuck. <laughs> this, bo <laughs> this bottle of Jack Daniel, I'm just telling you that you and me don't care much about what's no, going on. So, but ultimately... And look, even I, like, if I, even I, if I, I had a fucking Pellegrino, I wouldn't give yeah. a shit. One thing I think that's really, like, for me, as bad as it sounds, like, like stability has always been a huge thing to me. 
you know, and I feel like I've been kind of chasing that through the things that I've I've looked to. You know, mm. there's some people who are like cavaliers. But why? Fuck. Because because for me, I grew up like like we had it when I was a kid, and then we didn't. And there was but like, what skaters had stability. Bro. No, no, no. no. Well, well, of course, but skating, it's like. I, but I also ultimately think that like that's why I was so okay with like getting an industry job. Yeah. You okay. know, it was because like a lot of kids will resist it and they'll be like, you know, like a kid will like blow his ankle out. Like, so, like, like this is what I was getting at is like why I was thankful about this, like my ankle like getting broken is a kid will blow his ankle out. Let's say he's like 22. I, I'm not super in touch with skating on that level, but like, you know, we'll say at that time, like if you were like 21, 22 and you weren't sponsored, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And even then, when you were sponsored, it was a fucking dogfight. You know, as a TM, I knew all about it. I knew how hard it was. You yeah. know, like what required to actually go from being an amateur yeah. to getting your name on that board, and seeing that kids will like literally chase it. Like they'll break their ankle. We'll say they break their ankle bad. They'll rehab it themselves, and then get back on the board and go back trying to film that part. Lightweight. You know yeah. what's wild? That reminds me of one of my boys who. Like we knew, I knew him back when I was in Orange County. But like Kelly Hart, like this. Yeah, kid, Kelly's the dude. Like Kelly, this, this kid had knee injury yo, after Kelly. Knee. Kelly is like the ultimate what the fuck in skateboarding. Right? Like but he's still the, the illest warrior dude. dog. Yeah, and like, like, like I think he still has a board, so he got there at least. It, but I mean, dude, there's like this kid. All right? But he had banger injury yeah. after banger injury, yeah. and look, when I knew Kelly, this was like 07 through 09. And he had those injuries then. And you look at Kelly now, he was going to get it regardless. But Kelly is one of those anomalies, right? And I literally, like, I saw a post that, like, young Jimmy Gorecki fucking posted with Kelly in it. And I, like, hit him because, like, even though me and Kelly don't talk, like, we just have a bond, like, cool. Because all of, when I, I lived in Orange County and, like, that was a homie of some of my best friends, right? Yeah. And we actually had talks, unbeknownst to me, that I'd become the guy that, like, we'll have that talk with a motherfucker, right? Yeah. But, like, we had those talks, and, dog, like, him talking about these injuries, right? It's crazy to look back at it now because it was so devastating to him. Yeah. But, it, dog, the only way Kelly was never going to skate again is if his leg had to be sawed off. 100%. You love it that much. You love it that much. He also knew what these injuries were and how yeah. fucked it was, and it kept happening. It's like yeah. it's like the basketball player that tears a fucking ACL, right? And it's scary. It's like D Rose, right? Yeah, sends the fucking like DMs to random bitches. <laughs> Me right? Khalifa, like chill, right? dude, chill. It's like no, but it's like, bro, when you have a devastating injury like that, you're like, even if you get past it, even if you have Kobe fucking level determination. In the back of your mind, it's like, fuck, is it really that good still? Or what if I do it again? I don't, well, I think like. Because, like, your ankle, careers could be over after that. But for skaters, it's like this like, you're right, and 100%. Like, and and you're seeing it through the filters of someone who came up looking at traditional sports. Mm -hmm. And, like, so in in traditional sports, it's like you hurt something, you fix it. Yeah. Right? Like, and and it's like, you know, let's say, like, your average pro athlete has a lot of facilities afforded to them. Like, you got, like, like, like doctors and whirlpools, ice bath, and all Like, a skater, it's like, dude, you're on your fucking own. Figure it out. So, most skaters, like, like, yeah, I sit out and they smoke a lot of weed for, like, a month and, like, take it easy. And they get back. Magically fucking. Yeah, you know, and they get back to it. But I think in the last, I want to say, and you know what? Honestly, I have to say that Rob Deerdeck is a big 
part of this because he like you know it's there's mixed feelings about what Rob's done with street league and skateboarding, but what he has done is like he's made the kids understand they're athletes. Wow. You are an athlete and you have to take care of your Rob body. Rob is that guy though, dog. Like you can't, dude, you gotta understand, man. It's like when, in, in the era of me coming up in skateboarding, it's like kids, like most skaters were like fucking piles. Like they would just blow trees all day long, drink 40s and like, and like skate when they could and yeah. like, cause skating was like hard but it wasn't as hard as it is now. Yeah. Like you couldn't, you could, you could go on like a pretty rough run and like still be all right. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, now it's just on a level like you can't fuck up. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and you can't. become a professional sport. Yeah, and you, I mean, you can Well, the competition still, is like. But yeah, yeah like, and, and if you really want to get to that upper, like, P-Rod, yeah. Nigel Houston level, like, dude, you really got to take care of yourself. Like, those yeah. guys, I don't know. Like, I mean, I've, I'm, I've no P-Rod. Like, I used to know him rather well. And like, you know, just by age, we get apart from each other. I don't know Nigel from a hole in the wall, but like. I've got to believe those kids, like, they have, like, you know, I think they have trainers and things like Bro, that, it's but like, it's, it's like... It's like this. You, you even look at musicians, and Joe and I had a conversation about this today, right? It's like, and this conversation was based on so many artists and creatives want that shot. Yeah. But, like, let's just say, God forbid, you get it. Are you ready? Yeah. Because no touring musician that even tours, like, 300 days out of the year yeah. can fucking party their ass off every day. Dude. If you're going to really tour and fucking touch the globe, at you, when you're young, you may go through that and then yeah. realize, like, fuck, like, I can't take this. Well, but I, if, I, you, if you're going to do anything of prominence, you have to have an affinity, right? Absolutely. For the preparation that it takes to handle that kind of weight. Absolutely. 100%. And you, you know, I think the rock star analogy is tough because, like, there are certain facets of the world. Like, you know, if you're a rock star and there's like a record label and a touring company, all these people invested in you, you get like a lot of like primping and like, you know, you get the, uh, what they call like a lot of the pump that comes with being a rock star. So you can kind of go off the rails on a certain level, but like only for so long before it's like, okay, you're, you're blowing it. Yeah, but that rock star is like good for like VH1s behind the music, but like, no, but the it, ones it's, that make it through time, yes, like most rock stars have addictions and all these things, but it's like, you cannot make it through time if you continue there. Like, look at it. No, no, for, Kiedis, for right? sure. And 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 I'm by not means I'm, I'm not condoning it. I'm no, just saying yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, all right, you can't be like, you could be a junkie rock star guitar player, aka like Keith Richards, and make it to your seventies, <laughs> right? But you can't be a junkie like, foreman in a fucking warehouse oh, and make yeah. it to your seventies. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah. Keith Richards like, was also, born in like, the fountain of youth. Like, like yeah, and and the other th- like factor with skating too which is like even go back to your injury is it's more than just being an athlete like you you, it's your identity yeah you know it's there's so much enriched in that so post piss break we just took one ladies and gentlemen and lightweight all of us went to the bathroom the Holy Trinity did. Yeah. And this is going to be in the podcast. Not at the same time. Not at the same time. time. (laughs) We're not in SAE fraternity and like holding each other (laughs) cops. But I want to take it back here right now. Um, because I feel like, I don't know how formative it is, but I feel like this conversation needs to happen because it's actually like a very pivotal moment in somebody outside of yourself's life, um, which, you know, I just want to delve into and then see where we get with that is your brother was a superstar photographer. Your brother was with the baddest agency in the game. What made 9-11 make him close? Like, your brother lost people doing it, right? Yeah. And, like, shout out to your dad. Your dad was a Navy man, doctor. 
He was, yeah, he was, uh, he was Admiral in the Navy, ended up, uh, stepping th- down as a commander. Got and it. And your dad was a doctor in, yeah. in a type of armed forces, armed service. So people have died in front of your dad probably. Numerous times. Yes. And he kept going. Yeah. Something outside of your brother's control happened. He was lucky to not be there. It, thank God that the offices weren't built yet, right? But your brother lost some people that he really cared about and closed the chapter. I don't, like, where, you know goddamn well, he's, the, the pivot he made, he's still that dude and, like, he did it well, right? Yeah. But I want to know what that moment was in the fact that you said that you spoke to him about it where the chapter ended there? Was it just like, fuck, like, I've been thinking about this and this is just too much? Or what was that? I don't think, you know, as creatures, I don't think we, we don't turn on a dime unless we're forced to, right? True story, dog. So everything, if you look at something like, you know, uh, with anything, if like, you know, you say you have a friend that was like maybe into one style of music in high school and then they end up being into one style of music. It wasn't like, they picked up something overnight and like they went from dressing with like a, you know, a fucking nose ring and a mohawk to like next thing you know, they're in a fucking, you know, shredded jeans and like a V-Lone hoodie or something like, you know, it's, it's a gradual process. But when you have like a trauma, like, well, it is what it is. It's a trauma. It's a trauma. Right. And when trauma happens, it tends to, uh, you know, force people to wake up. And I think for him, he losing people and then he had this woman that he had a very long term kind of like uh, on and off love affair with uh went through some stuff as well i think that's what it was is like you know and i've kind of been there as well you know in uh somewhat recent times is like you 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 know earlier i didn't get to complete the thought but it is uh you know the uh in Wall Street, one of the greatest lines is like, you know, when Bud goes back and he's he's finally made it. He goes back to his old boss and his old boss tells him like, Bud, like, you know, man's greatest test is that they look into the abyss and sometimes all they see looking back at them is themselves, you know? Shout and out to the mirrors everywhere, dog. Like, that's, that's like gravity, dude. Yeah. Like, that's some real shit. And like, you, life hits you and for all the great out there, you know, you know, I want to think uh, with life, you know, like to really hold on to things. You you have great, you know, which is like a very emotional high. And you have bad, which is a very emotional low. But you know what's almost worse is being in the middle. Yeah. Because you don't have anything to hold on to. Right? Fuck. And that's tough. And I think my brother, like, you know, he went through these great lows. And it kind of dampened him creatively. And then he came to and he was like, I don't know who the fuck I am. Wow. Right? And this that's is liberating you know, like yeah. This is New York City. This is, you know, 2002, essentially. It took a couple of months for everyone to kind of come out of that coma that they were in from that. And, uh, you know, just when you start waking up, you're like, you don't know what's going on. You know, he's lost his job. The company was literally like the stock dropped overnight. Yeah. And they had something like 25 offices around the world. And they got slashed to something like six in only the major cities around the world. Um, you know he wasn't cool anymore. And like my brother's job made him cool. My brother's not a cool person. He doesn't know how to talk to people or anything. And like he was at the time, he was like kind of living it up and partying and like drinking good alcohol and, you know, hanging out with really hot chicks that were way out of his league, like as a person, but maybe not as a job. And then all of a sudden the job's gone and 
you know, he's got this girlfriend who's kind of gone wayward on him. And I think, you know, the trauma like fucked him up, you yeah. know, pivoted him as a person. But I will say this, like, you know, I do kind of spiritually believe that those things come to you and they pivot you into the direction ultimately you're going through. Like you, you get to experience that and maybe it seems like a really high, high, yeah. You know, like the way that like a rock star would be like, you know, I, we had it all. Like we sure, were yeah, private yeah. jets and drugs and women and then we yeah. blew it. Yeah. And then like, you know, but like they had it and at least you got to see it for a little bit, you know, and, and, but ultimately it pivots them to who they are, you know, and I think my brother woke up and he, he got very deep into like spirituality. Uh, he started delving deeper into design. He's had some pretty big wins in his life. Like, uh, you know, he's a big Stanley Kubrick fan. Wow. And, uh, you know, I learned all my kind of Kubrick knowledge through him and Kubrick before he passed away. And this is post 9-11, but pre where we're at in 2017. Uh, Kubrick had a website. I can't remember the name of it, but he published literature on it. Right. And like my brother wrote this broken. He started writing and it was stream of consciousness, but uh, broken prose. So it'd be like three, four words, giant gap on the page a sentence three where there was no structure to it whatsoever. Right. And Kubrick was actually really taken with it and started wow. publishing my brother's stories. Holy you know? shit. Wow. And, and, uh, so, you know, my brother, you know, he got stuff published by him, by his hero, you know, before he passed away on top of that for, you know, which is a big deal, but kind of led down to him getting into design. Cause he started looking at that from a design standpoint. And, uh, yeah, ultimately he's a graphic designer. You know, he's got a steady job. He's a desk donkey, but you know, he's he's not unhappy. He's just you know, it's not like rock star design status by any means. You know, but it could be worse. You know. And during that time, what were you doing? Just where, uh, where were you at? Just in yourself. Well, I was still very into photography, but I was a team manager at the time. And this is uh, with. Um well, no, I was a TM at Alien, yeah. and so September 11th, uh, ironically, fucking awesome. Uh, the brand? Just, yes, just put out a board. It's a hologram board. It's two pictures. One is Jason Dillon from the towers as they're burning down, oh, and then another shit. one is the towers burnt down, I believe. And I have it hanging on my wall. Bridges gave it to me. Love you guys to death, Bridges and Dill. Um very uh connected good friends you know and they gave me that board but the reason why it even means more to me is because the night before september 11th we all flew home from a tour wow. and dill lived on canal street and i was calling dill to uh make sure he was okay you wow. know i finally got in touch with my sister she lived in manhattan my brother lived in manhattan got them called dill and Dill was like, Nino, um, I'm watching people jump to their death. I'll call oh, you later. Shit. And that picture was taken like five minutes later. And so it's like, oh, you know, it's a poignant, fuck. pivotal thing. It's kind of interesting, you know. But for me, like, I was a team manager. I still liked shooting photos. I knew I wasn't going to make a living doing that. And I was starting to kind of learn business mm -hmm. at that point. And I was like, You were how old? 21. Yeah, I was 21 years old. And just a baby. You know? He's just yeah. a baby. I, I felt like I had the weight of my, the world on my shoulders at the time, you know? And like, you hadn't, you wouldn't have even it, graduated yeah. college at that point. Yet. No, not at all. It's like, had I, could I go back and talk to that kid? 
I probably just tell him to fucking relax and enjoy it. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, I was like really stressed out and I was like trying to be such an adult and I had the company wow. card. No oh. one could get like, no one could even get like a French fry at McDonald's because I'd have to report it on my report at the end of the wow. month. And it was just like, shit. You know, I was so fucking serious. You know what I mean? I'd probably tell myself just to like fucking relax. That's know? Like, so lit, dude. Like, this is going to be a good time. Like, you're going to have a blast. Like, you're on the road. Like, you're not a pro skater, but you're the closest thing you can be to a pro skater without being a pro skater, which yeah. is a team manager. And like, we were like rock star status. Like alien workshop was the biggest brand in skateboarding when I was 100%. a TM. How'd you get I mean? that gig? Fuck. <laughs> All right. Here's the story. Ooh, so juicy. Josh Kalis at the time was like my best friend and Rob Deerdeck started coming to Philly and Rob and I had started to build a relationship and I was I think my interests were going elsewhere from skating, Mm -hmm. but still skating related, you know, like clothing. I don't know, something like there was just something bigger out there. I felt for me. So the first time Rob came to Philly, stayed at my place and Rob and I started getting, he just started a record label with gray boy, who is this producer out of San Diego. And, and I was taking them out to the clubs at night. Like I was also the dude that like I took everyone out at night. Like Mm -hmm. I was just that dude, like I enjoyed going out and like, I was this weird social intersection of a lot of people in Philly, but mainly skateboarding. And so, uh, Rob, uh, had me helping him do record promotions in Philly and I actually ended up getting one of their songs on the radio. So at the time too, I, my apartment was the main hub in Philly to crash at and the alien workshop graphic designer, who was also the filmer, Joe used to come out and stay at my apartment and I would take everyone to my mom's house and have dinner on Sundays. Joe came to my mom's house and it became like a thing. My family's very warm. So like everyone, you knew one of us, you knew all of us, you know? And so, uh, Joe was staying at my house one time we went down, we had dinner and he told me that, uh, Chris Carter who owned alien workshop was probably going to hire a team manager and he thought I'd be good for the job. Mm. And so, uh, I was like, fuck man, like, please. Like I felt like God, like the heaven split, <laughs> you know, and like the clouds split and the light like shines on you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. and I was like, man, like, please, please let me get this. Like I was a valet. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Like life was like not certain for me at that point, you know? So, uh, he was like, yeah, you just got to talk to Carter. So I, the next day was with Kalis and Kalis at the time was like the, like just running shit and skating. Right. Yeah. And he was like, he called Carter and was like in front of me. And I was like, all right, it's going to happen. Like he's going to call Carter and tell Carter to call me. And he calls Carter. He's like, yeah, man. Like, and, and Josh is kind of like a white trash rapper, like white rapper kid. And like, was like at the time, at least now he's like, you know, an adult, very good friend of mine still. But he was like, man, like Carter, like, yo, you got to hire my boy Nino. He gets us into all the clubs. And I was like, oh, fuck, Josh, what did you just do? Like, you killed me. And like, that's his resume. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, fuck, like, this guy's not going to trust me with a company credit card. So I was stressing, oh, like shit. stressing, like freaking the fuck out and like didn't want to get on Josh's case about it, but let it go. And like, uh, 
you know, had called Rob, and Rob had kind of like given my vote, given his vote for me verbally over the phone with Carter. I called Rob, I'm like, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. And Rob was like, you just got to call and talk to him. And I was terrified. Like, mm. I was so scared. I was like, man, like, this is like the owner of like one, the most impactful company in skateboarding to me right now. Like, I can't do this. Like, you know, if you're like a rapper, it would be like calling like Jay-Z, like cold and being like, yeah, Jay, like, give me a record deal. You know, like, no, like, fuck off. Like, why, why is this guy even going to pick the phone up for me? Much less like talk to me. So as life would have it, I found out that, uh, you know, uh, there was a class action lawsuit against tech decks mm. and Chris Carter had to come to Philly to give his deposition. And I found out that he was in Philly and uh, he was staying at some weird hotel. I found out the name, and I sat out in front of the hotel. I go, and I sit in front of there all day, and I'm Holy like, I'm just going to make my run. And so I sit in front of the hotel all day, and I don't see him. And I don't even know what he looks like. There's one photo at that point in time that had been published of what Chris Carter looked like <laughs> in skateboarding. And so I was like, man, like, and I saw it, and there was no one that had come out that even looked like him. These are all men. He was staying at this weird thing called the President's Club in Philly, and it was like all businessmen and shit. And I knew that it wasn't him, but... And no cell phones. Yeah. So I had to call, and I kept calling Rob, being like, do you know where he is? Do you know where he is? And uh, Rob was like, yeah, I think he's going to Nocturnal, which was the main skate shop in Philly at the time. So then I called Nocturnal, and the owner of Nocturnal rode for the brand Habitat, which Alien Workshop owned. It was uh. Carrie Getz, and his girlfriend was the manager. And I talked to Lindsay, and I was like, hey, is Chris Carter coming over there today? And she goes, yeah, he's not here yet, but he's on his way. And I'm telling you, you've never seen me run 14 blocks so fast in my whole life. So I run, I bolt, I'm gone. Yeah. I bolt all the way to Nocturnal. I go sit in Nocturnal for like a good two hours. <laughs> and finally, at the end of the night, I'm like, man, like my heart is just sunk like into my feet. Like oh. it's like, it's just not going to happen, like oh. whatever. And like, I finally, and then this fucking dude walks in and he it's ironically i'm 38 at the time carter was probably like 32 wait how old are you i'm 38 oh you're carter, 38 right yeah, now but like, now but at the but time he, oh, but he was at the time carter was probably like 32 okay, okay okay and he walks in and i'm like oh my god it's him now i'm terrible now he finally what i want to happen is happening but now i'm too fucking like i mean my body goes cold like i'm frozen oh <sighs> And, you know, I, I feel my heartbeat going a million miles an hour and my throat's dry. And we watch a whole video together, a whole skate video. He's next to me. We're the only, the only people in the skate shop are me and him and Lindsay, right? And I'm like, this is do or die moment. Ugh. And finally, as he's about to get up and walk, I go, hey, Chris, I'm Nino. I doubt it even came out that way, but who knows? And he goes, oh, yeah. And, you know, Carter's from the Midwest. He's a nice guy in general. And, like, he... uh He's like, oh, yeah, how are you doing? And I'm like, hey, like, how are you? And it was, like, super awkward and way too appropriate. What was that moment for you where you said that? Where you oh, my God, like, dude, oh, my God, like, I'm about I was, to lose it. My whole body, like, my whole body is cold warm. Do you know what cold warm is? Yeah. yeah. You like, say tingly and yeah, shit. Like, yeah, you're like, like, you're, like cold, you're cold blood. warm. How the yeah. fuck did the two white guys know it? Like, the random You've been guys. cold warm before. Have, like, you've had a cold warm moment. You start sweating, but all the blood drains. You said cold warm, and he was like, yeah. And all the WebMD shit. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm sure I've been in. But what's cold warm? Like I, I, my body was just cold warm. Like, and I was like, it was terrifying. You know, totally, it was yeah. it was a do or die moment. And like, I've only had probably like three of those my whole life. And like, it was it was like, 
pivotal. Like I knew if he walked out the door, I was never going to see him again. You know, that's not how shit worked. There was no Instagram to DM him. And like, you know, there was none of that. And like, there was a 800 number in a skate magazine called DNA distribution, which I wasn't going to get through to Carter. Hey, it's me. Yeah, uh, exactly. So like, you know, I, I just went for it, you know? And I was like, and I was like, Hey, like, what are you doing tonight? And so luckily, like I was the plugged up kid. I was at the time, which would mean fuck all by today's standards, but I was killing it back then. So my roommate was one of the main DJs in Philly and on like, I forget it was a weeknight. It wasn't a weekend, but he DJed at this like kind of lounge restaurant Nice. and then would DJ at a club that night. And we were like, we were the dudes like, you know, it was kind of cool. It was very fortunate time in my life socially because I didn't, ever earn those moments on my own but like but that's the you know, beauty of yeah. it yeah like i happen to i always happen to be next to really cool people but not be cool myself yeah. you know so uh i was like hey my my roommate's djing at this bar around the corner you want to go get some food and a drink and he was like yeah let's do it that's so and weird. like dude it was like a child you know what i mean like yeah. i don't even know if i had facial hair at that point you, you know didn't. what i mean like my balls i'll had tell you i'll tell you i didn't know you then you yeah. didn't like i was a child so like you know and like but i was like you know, I had like a North Face jacket on and like some baggy jeans and like 95 Air Maxes and stuff. And like, you know, I, like he, he got the sense like visually I was a cool person, like kind of connected. And he knew who I was from my name. But, you know, it was kind of like, oh, fuck it. He, he was probably just thinking like, I'm just going to go get a drink and burn my night with this kid. Yeah. You know? And we started talking. I started talking about the workshop and like, you know, it was like such a privilege, man. Like, you know, like I, I it's hard to make anyone understand, but like, like what the workshop was, was like this impenetrable thing. Like it was this, it was a company, it was a brand. The team was literally like the most unstoppable. Comrades. It was like a crew of like the illest dudes in the game. You know what I mean? They uh. all like, they all either got free DC shit or rode for DC. They rode for Alien. Like it was like fucking unheard of in yeah. skateboarding like they look cool they were cool they were the illest like best skaters like it was fucking unreal and now i'm sitting here with the guy that started it all you know what i mean wow. it's really like the, the heat's on you know wow but i'm just being me i'm just being flapping my gums like i normally do and like we're talking and god then he bless was like, your gums and god bless the fuck, flap god bless dude because that's like what i like literally has gotten me everywhere Straight in my up. life but like you know like like Carter was like, yeah, so like, and just hits me with like, well, like, you know, Kayla's talked to me about the team manager thing. What do you think? I was like, I would, I would be honored if I could just prove to myself I could do it. Wow. And he was like, okay. And never said anything else, just said, okay. <laughs> and we went through the night it's and like, 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 the like Rob Santini interview for PMK Loki. Yeah. And uh, so we went through the night. He goes home and I get a call like two days later and it's Carter. And at that time, I actually had moved home with my mom because my parents had officially split up. And my mom had like a pretty nice like row home in South Philly. So there's plenty of space. And she worked in the suburbs all week. So I had like a house to myself. Mm. And I just did it to kind of be there for her, you know. So I got a phone call. And I saw on the uh, caller ID box because that's what you had at the time. You pay it was an extra fee. It was like thirty five cents a month or some <laughs> shit. Like, <laughs> it wasn't a given. Yeah, and it said nice. DNA distribution. I shit you not, oh. my whole body got cold warm. Went again. cold warm. 
Respect. Shout down to, to my toes. Warm, no, but now I literally just yeah. got cold warm yeah. listening to you describe cold warm. Oh, cold warm. Shit. Like, down Shout to my toes. Shout out to my Caucasian oh, friends. Yeah. I love it. Down to my toes, dude. Ooh. And it was so intense. And I picked up that phone, and it was Carter and the other owner, Mike Hill. Wow. And he was like, hey, Nino, like, it's Carter. It's Mike Hill. How you doing? Like, you, like, dude, it would literally be like fucking, I don't even know, like, now, like. It's like Russell Simmons and fucking. Uh, yeah, like, I, I want a kid to understand what it means. So, like, I it, even though it's. ASAP Rocky were more like the skaters on the team. It would literally be like the equivalent of like Rocky and like fucking Ferg calling you up and being like, what's up, man? Like, you want to come like take your shot? You know, like that's what it was. Wow. Yeah. Like, it was that big of a fucking deal, yeah. you know? And like... Dog, Top Dog and Punch so, called you and were like, you ready? Yeah, but like but like on some like, yo, like, we're, like it would be like a... Like if they asked you not to be like talent, but like to be the yeah. manager. For are, are you are you are you ready to corral the group? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you. Yeah, like and, and you were like working as a fucking ballet. You know what I mean? Like that was wow. it was it was you know there was a path. Like this is this is ultimately the biggest crossroad moments I can ever quote in my life. Is this is it? Right. Holy shit! Talk so to us takes, about that call, dog. It was. I don't remember it. I just remember being like, oh my god. And so what he told me was. And I was I was scared. I was really scared, man. I was like, and he so he goes, Hey, the whole team is in Costa Rica right now. Can I get you a flight tomorrow? <laughs> wow. And I was like, Yeah. And I was, yo, I said no. No, yeah. you didn't. Yes. Why? Because I was no! scared. Shut I was scared. I felt up. I felt like it was even though they were all my friends, I felt like it was like uh too rushed. And and what they say to that? Yeah. So he was like, "Oh, no big deal." He's like, "That's a lot to ask." I was like, "And, and look, I tried to make it sound all official." I was like, "Yeah, I need to give my job two weeks late notice." It was oh a valet job. I could not show up, and it wouldn't matter. Like no. someone else is gonna park those fucking cars. So I say, I need two weeks. He's like, no problem. Here's the deal. I'll get you a ticket and you can fly out to the first ASR trade show, which would be the equivalent of someone telling you they're going to fly you out to Agenda now. Word. ASR oh was the end all. How wild is that though? Like. Can okay? I want to back, I, I, not backtrack, but I want to like literally put a spotlight on this moment. Like literally, it's you, the stool, a bottle of water, and you're Richard fucking Pryor. <laughs> this was a moment in which young Nino had the convo, built a vibe with with like the Don Dadas, right? Yeah. The Don Dadas call you any like. Anybody in a romanticized position, and this is why I love this shit right here. Anybody in a romanticized story about like how the journey is just on these times and like you're, you're like, we, we didn't know what we were getting into, but we just said yes. Yeah. You said no. No. That's no. fucking no, look, crazy. No, for real. You said no. You, you, I was scared. No, but, no, but look, like, you, no, but this is the beauty of it. You were scared. They could have like this goes back to like that moment. Like you already made a human connection there, but you said no, and they were like, like literally. I want to like they probably were just like, yeah, like what. And then you do the official, like, you know, I need to get, like, you knew you yeah. were just buying space. Yeah, I was terrified. But they still gave you the shot. Yeah. This, this yeah. could have been the moment where you were like, like, no, and they were like, no. Oh, okay. Staring down the barrel of my life to yeah. this day, I credit everything with this moment. Everything. Oh. Everything. Chris Carter changed my life. It wasn't like, even though, like, like I've gone on, like, like Carter and I, like, you know, like, we're, we're friends. It's just that, like, you know, he lives in Ohio. I've, I've lived from Philly and New York and then LA and whatnot but like Carter is still a great close person to me but another moment you know, Joe go, and then Noosh's shirt is officially and off shirt comes off but uh you know 
like Carter, like that 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 guy, like he giving me my shot changed everything. It's never. It's like I walked in with the ultimate pass to anything going forward because like I was a kid and you got to understand in skateboarding in Philadelphia at that time, the only way you got out of that city was one of two ways, which is you got sponsored or you became like a filmer photographer and like prayed to God that you got like a, uh, you know, a, a full-time gig with a company, like, you know, being like on salary and you got to travel. Like there was this kid, Bill Strobeck, who is like, yeah. now Bill is Supreme's dude. Yeah. And like Bill, it started with Bill back then, you know, like Bill is a scrub from Syracuse who, you know, like wasn't a very good skater, but he happened to be one of the only other kids besides Ryan G that had a three chip camera at the time, which was like a very valuable thing in skateboarding to have, you know? And so for me to get out of skateboarding on a team manager gig is the craziest, like, you don't understand, like, how crazy it really is. You know yeah. what I mean? And you look amazing right now. But I appreciate you. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Please. But, like, it was crazy. Like, it just didn't happen, you know? And And then not only that, but to get into, like... You know, to be able to be hired out of the game by, like, the 96 Bulls or, like, the fucking... The, like uh, we'll say like the the two thousand rock era, Rockefeller Records era. Yeah. Like lottery status. I hit the fucking lottery. You know what I insane. mean? I did. I hit the lottery. Yeah, like insane. it's 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 the craziest like most pivotal thing ever, and has has paved everything to this day. Hundred percent. So, what were your first moments like now in this team manager position? Um, going from being a skater to now team manager and for a company that's so impactful like Alien Workshop, how'd you, uh, how'd you make the shift from skateboarder kid to team manager and deal with that? Like, because you know so much about the, obviously the culture and being a skater, but like also now you're a team manager, very different role, very different position, very different even like identity. You haven't had this this type of experience but you're doing it at such a high level i you know i don't know i just like you know i knew there was no going back i had to grow i had to become an adult kind of like i didn't want to be an adult like i wasn't trying to like be all serious but like i knew like okay you have a job and you don't want to fuck this up so like you know i asked carter like i asked carter a lot of questions as far as like information that didn't make me seem completely like I couldn't figure it out for myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like anytime there was anything stupid that was more like, like, Oh, like, okay. Like, uh, there's this charge on the card and I don't know what to do with it. Like, you know what I mean? But for the most part I was figuring it out. I was winging it. You know, mm-hmm. like I didn't want to seem like I, to him, I didn't want to seem like I didn't know what I was doing. And then to the team, I had to seem like I had enough authority to keep them in line, which is impossible with pro skaters. It's a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? Like straight up, you, you were you the know. babysitter to real hooligans. hundred percent. Like basically at that time now it's different, like TMs film and they like, they shoot photos sometimes. But mm. like at the time, like a team manager was just a team manager. There was some TMs that filmed and stuff, but like you just kind of were like the babysitter. Like you want tours and yeah. made sure everyone was skating and made sure that they got their photos in on time and whatnot. And that was really it, you know, like, and it was a very lax job, but I also didn't get paid shit, even though Carter is the cheapest person on the planet. Me, it seemed like I was getting paid a small fortune, but like, 
you know, it was it was it was it was more money than me as a valet, you know, and I didn't have to get up in the morning or talk to anyone about it. You yeah. know, I worked out of my house in Philly. And, you know, luckily once again it was like it was like lightning striking because so many people lived in Philly for the Love Park movement. <coughs> Most of them rode for Alien Workshop and Habitat. Yeah. And so it worked that way. And Carter was more than happy to have someone that could put eyes on the team all day and make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do, you know. And how and, long were you doing this for? Uh, I did it for like a year and a half. Oh, so not, not even that long. No, not at all. And uh, ultimately, uh, Love Park became illegal. Wow. Yeah, like this. What was that like for the community? Oh, my God, it was a death blow. It, t- it took a long time to actually happen where they actually like, like, you know, they just destroyed it in like the finally in the last year. But like it took a long time for it. Like we continued to skate it and it just got policed more. And, you know, everyone getting a ticket was like a rite of passage. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just, that's the way it worked. Like you, if you didn't get a ticket, you weren't even like cool. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> and like if you got fucked up by a cop, like if they beat you up, like you were like made man style. Like, you know what I mean? I got beat up numerous times. Like there was these weird rooms under city hall. They would put you in and there was like a bench with a loop and they put your, uh, they put your handcuffs through the loop. And so you're, you're now you're handcuffed to the bench and they would fuck you up. They would beat the shit out of you. Oh my God. Like, it was just like a fun thing for them. They get to exercise some energy. You know what I mean? Like I remember on my 21st birthday, uh, there was a dude and like, this is like, they literally got so serious in Philly. They started putting uh, undercover cops on love park. Wow. And so the I narcos remember, came out. Yeah. And so I went to the skate shop, got myself a board. This is my birthday. I was treating myself to a new board, whatever. And, uh, Went to Love Park. I did a frontside crooked grind. I remember on the front, on the middle main ledge, and there was a dude, and I thought I was gonna be able to pop out in the middle of it. And he got up and like he was like looking at a newspaper, and he got up and scooped me oh, off shit. my board mid trick. And what the yeah, fuck? it sits me down on the ledge, and he was like, he's like, stay there, and then he's like, give me your ID, and I was like, fuck, so I give him my ID, and he goes, oh, look at you, it's your lucky day, happy birthday, and I was like, hey, you gonna let me off? He goes, no, not at all, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and then uh, he took me, and I believe it was my roommate Brian at the time, uh, Brian Nugent, shout out BRI, BRI, what a do, and uh, took us downstairs. I think it was Brian. Maybe it was Dagan. I don't know. It was Brian or Dagan. Both of y'all were there yeah. sometime. And they there. took he took us downstairs and he put us in that room. And I mean, dude, this guy worked the shit out of us with a telephone book. I mean, it was like some real shit. Like it was like some like I know how to hurt you without bruising you type shit. Ooh. Like yeah, it was real. It was very real. It was Ooh. like uh was it? It was uh, like what's the what's the movie with Colin Farrell about the corrupt cops, like the behind the blue shield or whatever the blue shield type thing. It was like it was gnarly. Oh, like. I mean, it's basically any movie about a corrupt cop that knows how to fuck someone up without, like, bruising them and leaving any damage on them is, like, basically what this was. And, I mean, they worked me. Like, I went home, and I was, like, my guts were all, like, torn up. Oh, my God. That dude beat the shit out of me with a telephone book. Like, fuck. It was, like, telephone book was, like, the way to go. Because for some reason, it's, like, I I guess maybe it moves enough, and it doesn't leave, like, a real permanent mark or something. The dude fucked me up pretty bad. It's, like, a good week. And I got a ticket, which ultimately I didn't go to court for. I didn't pay. Which ultimately made me like a fugitive, and I had like a fucking warrant out for my arrest and shit. Which, like, funnily, like, even like five years after I moved to LA, I was getting stuff about like having a warrant out for my arrest in Philly, and I was like, I'm never gonna go to jail there. I don't care. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, you, it was a privilege, but it was tough, you know, and it it made me and it broke me. Elaborate on that. 
Well, they're skaters, you know, they're wild kids, you know, and then on top of that, picture, literally picture having the 96 Bulls, man, like we had the biggest skaters on, across the board. Yeah. Like these kids were making, like for board sales, which I don't know, if, like if a kid that skates can really wrap their head around now, at that time, like the average dude, like the way that skaters were paid is called a minimum, right? You get a per board royalty rate. Carter paid a higher rate than practically every company. He was very proud of that. He, he took very good care of his team and he took very good care of his Which company. Which is very critical. And that's yes. probably why it became that it, tight. Well, no one, up until actually, up until that point, the company was 15 years old. No one had ever quit the team. They had wow. their first quit, which was Mark Appleyard. During that time, he quit Mark. Habitat. What and, happened, uh, Mark? <laughs> and it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. No one had ever quit Alien, you know. And uh, Carter was very proud of that, you know. And he paid a bigger royalty rate. But these dudes, like the minimums back then, the average company, like so, you got a minimum, right? And if you broke your minimum, you got the difference at the end yeah. of the month, right, or the next month. And uh, these dudes were getting like fucking twenty five thousand dollars a month for boards here. Like, and wow. put in perspective, like your average pro skater's minimum right now is five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. And they were getting like they were getting, they, like they were getting 20, cash money records. This is nine nine two thousand money. And then you sprinkle on shoe money. Like God oh, forbid wow. you had a shoe back then, and you were getting like a half million mil a year. Crazy. Let me ask you this. And they no, were children. Let me ask you this, knowing that because you were a child too. Yeah. Right. How did you? Because as a skate team manager, you needed to rally the troops. You just had troops full of goons and fucking goblins. Oh my god, dude! It was it was the shit that I got into on the road was insane. My first tour, yeah, we had these two kids, right, Danny Renaud and Ryan Nix, right, and this was not fuck not very long after I got hired. It was my first tour. I had to like kind of I was on my own. We yeah. were going up through the and Northeast. you were the type of dude that was like still. I have to report these so you're not getting oh, the French fry. 100%, 100%. And they were like, like bro. I was so serious. They, they, like, I was they like, like, bro, we'll like, buy McDonald's right yeah. now. What the fuck are yeah, you saying? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, dude, even the AMs back then, like the AMs are getting paid like twenty, like 2500 a month. Like amateurs, like children getting like 2500 yeah, a month. So company, paid like, like shoe company, you were catching like two or three Gs a month. Like these are teenage kids making like six, $7,000. It was the equivalent of like a kid on Instagram now getting like a weird like oh like Nike sends me free shoes to post and I get yeah. like six grand a month or something because I have a million followers that's kind of sure. what it was equivalent but imagine telling that kid what to do not happening no right so I remember our how first, was that for you it was a fucking nightmare I was learning as I was going I was a, and I was I was almost as young as some of them and some of them were like a year or two older than me but still like 23 yeah. like you can't tell anyone shit at that age but like, you I managed that for a year and a half I want to uh, know how manage you manage is a very debatable term okay, so, I did so, it you know? so, so, so you got through it yeah. in a year and a half yeah but it was formative was it not life changing so let's go through that because it's moments like these right where <laughs> and, and also you first said no and then you got thrown. Well, I didn't say no. I just no, said I, I was know. scared and need more time. Okay, yeah. so I stand corrected. <laughs> you first hiccuped at yes. the opportunity. Yes. Right? And then you got thrown into like literally being a young kid overseeing legends in their time. At the end of the day, the fact that you stayed on, you had to make it work somehow. Yeah. Like It was like literally, like, this is the only way I could put it. Is imagine being a kid, right? Imagine being a kid, and you all of a sudden take over management duties from Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, it's insane, Dennis Rodman, yeah, 
whoever the fuck like Steve like Kerr, yes that, like uh, like the 96 bro, bulls man yeah. like like imagine that like you know what i mean like it's that's what it was it was so like i was managing these guys because this is one of those pivotal things that i want to talk about because like nowadays we have um like the friends that become tms for artists and the friends that like get on yeah. and like the funny thing is, is that the difference in the analogy of the friends that like are just like thrown on now and, and, and the, the, the creators that just want to have their boys on is that they're kind of learning too, but they still want to be down. Yeah. You realize that this was the closest thing that you were going to get to your skate dreams and your street dreams, which we'll <laughs> talk about later. <laughs> but you also were the type of person that like would put their foot down. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I, 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 I want to talk about what that nitty gritty was like through that time in how you were able to like at least get through the chaos at that point. Right. Because there had to be moments. Because, look, if you were the type that were, you were just like, oh, OK, like my bad, you would have never lasted in that job. No, not at all. So with that, with that being said, being that young in that position and not knowing what the fuck you were doing, but knowing that you were meant to be here. Yeah. How was that for you? And like, what, like, what did you gain from that being that it was life changing? Because that set, that shit set you up for everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you, you know, look, one thing you know is that whatever else is out there that you're not doing is worse than what you're doing. Right. And you know, you're not going to that. Like you're not going back. I'm not going to fucking park cars in Philly. And oh, like, no. You know what I and, and you know, there's a bit of an ego there. So you like, you know, like in skating, it was like, oh my God, like now Nino's the alien workshop team manager. And like kids are like fucking looking at me different. I was kind of feeling myself for sure. You know what I mean? But I was yeah. into it and nothing changed. I wasn't hanging out with different people or acting or dressing different. I just noticed that like the gravity for you in a room is different. Now. You know, I, I didn't know what it meant or anything at the time. I just know yeah. that like, when I went to a skate demo or I went to a contest, it was like a little bit like more like, Oh, like, you know, people are like nicer to you and you know, weird industry folk are like, yeah, whatever you want. You want some boards, you want some clothes, go take it. You know, it's like, that would have never happened when I was a kid, like never, you know? And so I think, uh, you know, I think you're on autopilot and you get through it as best you can, you know, sometimes not as good as the next, but you know, it was, had a lot to do with the fact that, uh, you know, you build relationships, which become a foundation for kind of like your emotional and mental strength. And you hope that that can carry you through it. You know, it's like, thank God throughout that time, like, you know, Josh Kalis, who still, I count as one of my very closest friends on the planet. And like, you know, he's like a fucking 18 year old daughter. And like, you know, I was there, I was the first person he ever called when he told me he was having his first daughter. And oh, yeah. He's an 18 year old daughter, like a five year old daughter is like an internet celebrity now, like drives cars. Like she drives these like little plastic cars. It's like a wow. big deal and stuff, you know, and it's like, but, you know, I had Josh, who at the time was like, he was Michael Jordan on the team, right? So he was a cocky asshole who like knew it and like knew it, what his value was and had like the best selling skate shoe on DC at the time. Was getting covers left, right, and center in interviews in skate magazines and was being a fucking asshole to me. He was like my best friend who's being terrible to me. Oh. And who I was friends with Jason Dill at the time. And, you know, Dill and I are still like, like uber close friends. And we laugh about the fact that like that kind of forced us together as better friends, which led to a lot, a lot of other things in my life. But just because of what sticking to the subject, it was that like, 
Dill kind of became a rock on the tours and whatnot, who because Dill would not take shit from anyone, especially Kalis or another pro, you know. And like he and I connected on like music a lot, and then we were like early in the game sneaker nerds. So our big thing was when we went on the tours, long before Nike ever made sneakers for all you fucking kids to just vomit all over yourselves. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know the the sneaker collecting mainly consisted of like going and finding old stuff you loved right that just wasn't out anymore because once it was out it was gone not because that was a marketing play just that's the way a business worked like you put something out you don't revisit it unless it's like a super amazing seller so when we would travel around the country dill and i would go to uh our big thing was to go to sporting goods stores because in small towns in america sporting goods stores supplied high schools with their footwear they ordered from East Bay, they ordered from Nike, and we would always be like, hey, let us in your stock room, let's go find some. And Dill and I always found, like, we found the first dunks, and Dill actually got, I thought they were disgusting. I was like, why are you buying a fucking basketball shoe? And Dill wore, like, a weird diesel, uh, pre, like, what not what diesel's now, diesel's, like, the hottest shit ever in, like, Europe, so Dill was, like, very proud of diesel being his shit and he wore like diesel jeans with like dunks and it was like i just looked at him i'm like you're a fucking you're weird like but i love you like you're my friend but like you know this is my weird friend ultimately like you know we would just collect sneakers i was much more into runners and 95 air max and that stuff he was into like vintage basketball sneakers and ultimately dill i can i can say without a doubt sidebar not to the question but uh to the people listening is that jason dill created the nike dunk phase mm. Whoa. jason dill found x amount of pairs i have no idea i don't know maybe it was a size run maybe it was a half size run. i don't know of a carolina blue and white nike dunks from 1998 <sighs> i remember those i remember those. wow Dude. uh 98 college release they re-released all the college colors and dill found them this was 01 2000 maybe 02 I don't remember exactly the year and uh, he took them to Union in New York and Eddie had just come to California to plant his flag with Union and uh, undefeated in LA and so the Carolina Dunks were up in Union in New York and it was like a big deal and they were like charging like 400 I don't know maybe 400 I'm not gonna say it don't quote me on it but like maybe like $400 a big deal and all the Japanese buyers came out and bought them out that's because of Jason Dill and me being on the road and finding Jason guys. Dill, you fucking he's, legend, dog. Dude, Dill is honestly, man, like he's there's there's a, a managed level of madness and crazy in that man's mind that is brilliant. Colorful, brilliant, amazing human at this planet mm. needs at all times, God forbid, Supreme wouldn't have him in their corner. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves because straight up him having no filters has probably guided them in so many right directions. It's unreal. Because dog Jebbia is like like in the shell. He's he's recluse with it. No, like James is James is he know don't like every this is but the thing don't, about it. Don't is take like, it for, that way. Like Jebbia is yeah. the genius. No, but for so many people, like James, like James is exactly he knows what's going on. Yes. You just don't but, see the guy. But but James you know? needed a, a Jason, no? No, it, that came along later in the early days. He's it's always been fueled Supreme is a like, you know, it's kind of the was a crowdsource is the term. It's uh, been a crowdsource brand but from a very small crowd you know what i mean and, yeah. and and it's you know for for me being 38 and watching it from day one like still having pieces literally in my closet from like the first year they actually made stuff Wild. for themselves like i have i have like i have two hoodies and, and a beanie even though the beanie means nothing it's just like a regular cable knit beanie 
to know that I have a it's book. history. I have a beanie in my closet that's older than most fucking kids winding up out in front of me. <laughs> that's so no wild. joke. That's hilarious. No yeah, joke. You know true. what I mean? Yeah. And like and and, and, and and it's gone on to mean a lot of things to many people, but like it still means like New York and different things to me. But I think that, you know, Dill has kind of like because Dill will say the most off the wall shit to people and not give a fuck, like it's kept it's definitely I'm not gonna say it's kept the brand in check because it's much bigger than Jason Dill or James Jebbia and like the the design of it, but like, you know, what it's done is it's definitely prevented it from going in certain directions that maybe it would have been mm. a bad look, we'll say, you know? And uh that's that's you know Dill is a he's a magical human. You know, Off he's top. magical. He's he's I there's never I won't ever pass up an opportunity to hang out with him because he's a brilliant human being. Lit. So he uh he got me through that period of time. He was a good friend to me, you know? He was, yeah. he was tough on me, but he was a good friend. Like, when I was fucking up as a team manager and, like, just kind of being lazy or, like, you know, thinking I actually ride for the team because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, the lines do get blurred. Yeah. You know, because the, yeah. the only thing on the road you have to do is pay for the hotel room and drive the van. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. it. So, like, you kind of forget. You're like, wait, they're here for me, too. And you're like, no, they're not. Like you ain't on the team. Like you're just the team. Straight you relax. up. Like you know. But he got me through it, man. Like he 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 helped me. Kalis helped me. It was definitely adversarially at first, showing me how not to be, and then just kind of like embracing me in the end of like you know what, like we're friends. I, I my ego fucked you up because of me, but then at the same time, then embraced me afterwards. But and, I want to take know. a moment to commend you on this shit. And I've literally switched positions, and for the first time ever, took my mic off the stand. <laughs> Cause I'm more comfy with my feet on this chair right here. <laughs> but the beautiful thing to me is, is that these pivotal figures in your life who were like Don Dada's and legends in their own rights fucked with you. Thankfully. Right? Yes. But thankfully, yes. But thankfully you were you like, we can look back on that. Like this is the beauty of, <clears throat> of somebody being in their, in their world and then also somebody else listening to somebody genuinely talking about it and appreciating that I get that like it was fortunate for you at that time in, in, in when it comes to story, but there's a reason that these cats fucked with you like that. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I'm not well, the well, coolest well, guy, but well, I think, well, you know. Well, look, and don't edit this out. <laughs> I'm glad you think so, but I know so, right? Because... Your mouth was brewing at that point, and you were also about your shit, right? There's a reason yeah. why these cats that were so prolific found a level of relation to you. You know I, what I mean? I worked for them though too. You know, I definitely like exactly. there was nothing I wouldn't do. You know, and and, and and me as a person in general, still to this day, like because to me, I never felt like that was a job. I was straight up that way. I felt like. You know, like these were my friends mm. and I was here to help them out. Yeah. Right? And that's all it was. And yeah. like, that's what I've been kind of lucky enough. And like, you know, I'm, I am somewhat, a, I, I, loyalty does mean everything to me at the end of the day. So it's yeah. like, for me, it was like, I wrote out for them. I did whatever they asked because they needed it. And it was done like, you know, within reason, obviously I wasn't a fucking whipping boy, but you know, at the same time, like you got you know, it done. Like, like I, you know, I remember Rob Plahowski, <coughs> who was like a good friend of mine at the time, you know, we were, just, it was an amazing time. And it was like, literally you couldn't walk out of your fucking house in Philadelphia without seeing a skate celebrity. And yeah. I don't know if a kid can really feel that now, but like what that means to walk out of your crib every day and like see like a professional skater or an amateur yeah, skater who's like a rock star. 
star and like you're also like part of the community they acknowledge you they see you like you're you're skating with them you know it'll be like i don't know i just don't it's it was crazy and so like you know rob plahowski at the time was like an am on habitat and uh kind of needed to like you know, he behind closed doors, a lot of people confide in me and he was like, yo, like I got to make a move. Like I need a footwear sponsor. And I literally blind called like not blind because he was my friend, but I just cold called Kelly Bird, who at the time was the team manager of uh, DVS footwear, Wild. which DVS would be like kind of the Adidas yeah. to DC's Nike and skating mm. in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, and uh, DVS. I called Bird. And I still remember his voice. He was such a, he had this kind of like, like bro issue. He was like, what? Like, Plu wants to be on DV? He's like, all right, we got him. He's like, tell him to call me. And like, he was in Hawaii a week later on a trip with them and like got through the trip. The trip was kind of his trial. And he was on DBS and like he was catching, he caught a check. I mean, he really wrote it for a long time. And yeah. like, you know, he ended up ultimately like, you know, getting his girlfriend pregnant and having to kind of step away from skateboarding. But nevertheless, like he got to Peter Pan it for quite a few years. That, like, you know, and it was, a, I'm sure, incredible experience for him. You know, Rufio. He, yeah. It's seriously like, you know, it's, that's, you know, coming back to what I said earlier is like skaters are the coolest fucking people on the planet, man. Like the industry, all of that stuff and like really appreciating what I got to digest and like take from it to be where I am now is like a blessing. After that life changing experience, right? Mm -hmm. What was the next move for Nino? I got fired, oh, <laughs> which, got fired. which is the first time I can ever admit it on. Oh, on yeah. yeah, I got fired. Joey, we I, got there. Yeah, I um, I don't remember. What led? I, I I was having a I was me and Kalis were really butting heads and I wow. think me and Dill were kind of having a, a wow. Dill Dill and I really butted heads on a tour because he brought like his best friend who at the time and now he and I are like this person and I are very cool many years later was this friend of his and I fucking like the guy was just so like L.A. to me and I lived in <laughs> Philly and he was like he had like a faux hawk and was like name dropping every other sentence to me. I like, hate and that. I was like man fuck this guy like straight up like like I'm in Philly and like you know we're like we have this kind of chip on our shoulder about life in general and then this guy comes he's talking about hanging out with Axl Rose and the Osbournes <laughs> and all this shit I was like man fuck this oh, guy and, like God, everything up. I said that came out of my mouth he contradicted and like like uh. was like no 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 it's not like that it's like the first real rapper was Johnny Cash you don't listen and I was like fuck this oh, guy fuck like, up so we hold, on, can, like, hold on can we take yeah. it back to like Smack that time him. and yeah. and Joe you and I I, I literally want to tell that dude y'all friends now we don't know him yet, but <laughs> shut the fuck up like bro. I wrote I wrote a tour article and like I got to you know it's like I got to write a, the tour article for that trip in Slap Magazine, and I only referred to Did you to pimp slap the fuck no, out of no, him no. on Slap Magazine? No, no, what I did was so sick is I, uh, I he had, so he had a faux hawk at the time. Like which a was, bitch. I guess in LA it was cool, but in Philly was like, yo, you're a kook. I had like an ill fucking tight shape up with like the sharpest, sharpest edge up. Even Tell him, you know, know. You know what I mean? Tell him about those edges, and you know. So to with me, that widow's like, peak like, right now, fuck this dude. Like, like, like he had a full hawk. So I only, and I remember we were in Ohio and he got called dorsal fin. <laughs> and so the whole article, I only referred to him as dorsal. Fin. That's oh, lit. And I said, dorsal fin, Jason Dill's assistant. 
And that was the way I was like, fuck this guy. Like, and I, like it was just like a random thing. But ultimately, many years later, we became cool. And like, he's 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 a partner with Dill now. And Such is life. Very, very talented photographer who's done some a lot bigger shit than I have. So who am I Lit. to complain? Like, Lit. he fucking ran laps around me. But like, nevertheless... That but he, but was he tough. was still dorsal fin. At yeah, a he was point dorsal. He was dorsal fin. Dill's assistant, but like, so I got clipped not long after, and part of it was because uh, Love Park got declared illegal. A yeah. lot of people were moving in different directions to so like California or New York. Yeah, and Carter was like, "Yo, you got to come to Philly or to uh, Ohio, where the company is." I was like, "I can't do that." So uh, he he let it sit for like a week or two. And that was kind of like his opportunity to be like, look, you know, and there was no hard feeling. I was devastated. I was like, literally. thank God that Costa Rica, he let you slide yeah, and Ohio. Right. He let you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I, I, I used to go to Ohio a lot. It wasn't a problem to come and go, but to think about living there was Bro, like, man, like nobody wants like, to be in uh, Ohio. Drama yeah. did not want no to be joke, in Ohio. No joke. You know what fucked me up about actually like looking at it through the lens of living there was everyone was fat. <laughs> like, and it was like a thing to me that like it was like yo these people have nothing to do but like eat shitty food all day and get fat and it wow. fucked my head up and I was like I can't I told Carter I was like I can't move out there and I knew as those words were coming out of me that like it was the death blow to my job at that company wild you know? but you knew and, it yeah I knew it and so I, I didn't know what was gonna happen because there was no I lived on the east coast there's no skateboard companies out there yeah so ironically uh. he fires me yeah. Right. I'm fucking. I I was borderline like crying. Like I yeah. didn't know what to do. I called Dill and accused Dill of getting me fired. Dill's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Kayla's told me that you, you were know, being Mariah Carey. With yeah. Tanya I was Matola. like, it was everyone's fault but mine. Like I called Rob. Rob was like, that's fucked up. Let me call Cardi. He's like, oh, sorry, can't do anything for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and then uh, this was happening. You're done. Yeah. yeah. It was. I was. I was toast. Yeah. There was no coming back from it. But yeah. uh, ultimately, uh, I I digested it. And a week later, my phone rang. Uh, One week to the day. Ring, it ring, was a ring, very, ring. very good friend of mine named Matt Fontana. Matt Fontana. Yeah, who uh, I had met through my old roommate, Mason, who uh, had moved to Philly from San Francisco. And uh, once again, getting back to my family and just things being important with family and life and stories is that uh, he moved to Philly uh, my roommate Mason who was his friend and kind of hung him out to dry. So I was like, you know what, man? Like, you don't have anywhere to stay. Just move in with my mom for a little bit with your wife. And Matt was like 26, mm. which at the time, 26, and I was 18. He might as well have been 90. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He was exactly. like, exactly. like this, guy, this guy is old, old as fuck. Old like, man, yeah. whatever. And uh, so he and his wife stayed with my mom. And Matt and I always kept in touch. We were very good friends. First time I ever came to California, I stayed at his house for a little bit. And uh, he had gone on to become president of Echo Clothing, and uh, Echo had just acquired Zoo York. Oh, yeah. And so coming off the heels of Alien in the photosynthesis video, he called me and was like, hey, uh, come up to New York tomorrow. I'll buy you a ticket. And I was like, okay. And I went up, and I knew the Zoo Crew guys from skating. So I knew Harold, and I knew Jeff, and I knew Danny Supa, and I knew RB, the filmer, and we skated together. We were all friends, but I didn't know the company people like Adam, Roddy, and Eli. It was a little hair wary because I knew this was job related, obviously. So I go up and I meet him 
And uh, there have been rumblings about New York being bought by Echo and like a lot of bad shit going down, like people being kicked off the company and uh. like them. So they were selling. I remember they were selling boards at the Virgin Mega Store in New York, and it was like a big like you just didn't do that in skating at the time. It was like a big no no. Like like oh that's whack. Like don't yeah. do that. Like you didn't like like to put it in perspective at that time there wasn't a single in- core skateboard industry product in PacSun, and if you sold PacSun, you were like the biggest kook on the planet. Whereas yeah. now. Everyone chases PacSun sure. because that's how you get your Ferrari and your first house right, and course, like whatever the fuck else is a company owner. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, nevertheless, uh, he called me. I went up and it turned into an impromptu interview. I got through it. Uh, I sat with the whole company and we got along really well and I liked what they were doing. And I was growing at that time kind of away from skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, leading into my future was right before that. My very good friend, who's like a sister to me, his name is Nandy Smythe, had called me and she was working for Russell Simmons at Def Jam. This is right before I left Alien. And she goes, Hey, there's this music producer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there's this music producer <laughs> named Pharrell Williams, and he's been around our office a lot. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. And Wait. she goes, He's wearing skate t shirts. You should send him some stuff. What year was this? Whoa. 2000. Okay, so it's still... Early. It was no... Like, he... I, I had done my research on him, and the only thing I was out there at the time was he was in he was in uh, Super Thug's... Nori, he'd done Super Thug. Got it, okay. And was actually in the video for Super yeah. Thug. He had, like, yellow-tinted glasses and a Versace shirt, and I think, like... he It looked like a fucking uh, bandana, but it could have been, like, a fucking paper towel wrapped around... I don't know. It was, like, you know, many years later we joke about it, but, like, he... Uh, she was like, send him some stuff. Like, he might start wearing it in videos. Now, at that time, rappers, anyone wearing skateboard stuff in a video was crazy. It was weird. It was foreign. It was odd. Sure. Yeah. There was definitely no employees at a company to get them. Like, that was their job was yeah. to make rappers or celebrities wear your shit. Yeah. So you, I go to you, Chris you weren't Carter. a fucking, like, marketing rep at Givenchy. Yeah. Like, right. yo, go send me this. Yeah. So Nandy sent me a couple of the tracks. And she's like, yo, next summer, this guy is going to be out of control. He's doing all this Jay-Z stuff. And I was a hip-hop kid, so I knew what she was talking about, you know? And, like, I was like, oh, Super Thug. Like, he did Super That's fucking sick. Like, let me call Carter. And, and the Carter was like, Nino, I'm not sending my stuff to some rapper. Wow. He was like, and, and it wasn't. Even, a, even, no, but, oh like, even, no but, like, the only reason I say wow is that even though hip-hop culture was so embedded in skateboarding, but it was still so foreign. Yo, here's a crazy one, right? Ooh. I'll get to I'll get to some point at me again, dog. Please, like your shit is gonna fucking your wig's gonna be peeled back when I'm done. With I don't this, have so. a wig on, bro. I'm bald, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, My yeah. cul-de-sac's gonna go deeper. It's like a merkin. It's a merkin. <laughs> it's a head merkin. So whatever. I call Carter. He says no. He's like I'm just like I don't. He's like Dinosaur Junior wears our stuff. That's Dinosaur cool. yeah. Junior. Wow. Yeah. Fuck, like, fuck you, know, you was, Dinosaur Junior. It was a, it was a skate Actually, company. I like like skateboarding. I'm sorry, Dinosaur Junior. Like if a skate company did a million to two million dollars in business that year, it was out of control, crazy. Oh, Everyone was happy. There was no ambitions to drive Bentleys and Ferraris and like you know. It was just like you just totally. everyone was happy. You were doing well and like could buy a house or an apartment or a house yeah. or a car and like you know there was no Rolex and diamonds and all that shit. It just didn't happen. You know so. Like I got it. I was I just was like a kid, and I just wanted to send a, a dude who I thought was going to be famous some clothes. Yeah, know? that's what that that actually literally was the translation of. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I leave. I go to New York. Right, New York. I'm 
I, I get the job, right? After the craziest interview with Seth Gersberg I've ever been in in my life, right? So Talk sit, us through that. I sit in the, I, I go to the company, right? And they had just bought the vault to an old Bank of America. Wow. Right. Echo, Echo was smart, man. Like, I, I can tell you right now, like, not the greatest personal experiences with Mark and Seth, but good God, man, those guys are fucking, there's no one that's ever going to be like them. And again, we like. How so? Just like, just for history's perspective. All right. I'll put you this way. They did, first of all, the industry allowed them to do things that you can't do now. So number one, they, Seth had a very keen business sense when it came to clothing and how to expand, right? He knew because he was taking lessons from guys like Ralph Lauren Mm. and these people, right? So you have kids now that are just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get my shit popping on Instagram and I'm going to do a pop-up shop and I'm going to make 200 racks in a weekend and then not do a drop for three or four months. I'm going to live on that money. I'm going to lifestyle my way around on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. Like you don't understand, man. It's like at that time, Echo, and I couldn't even understand what the fuck they were doing. They sent people to the Winter Music Conference, right? In New, or uh, sorry, in Miami. Wow. Which at the time, there's no social media. There's no way to none, report none. back on what you did there. Yeah. They sent these dudes down. And we used to call them the marketing militia. It was Matt, this wow. guy, Jimmy Fuzo, Rafi Aronowitz, who God bless, is one of my closest friends still to this day, who I love on the plane. He's the greatest dude ever. And we called him the marketing militia. We had nicknames because Zoo York and Echo had this kind of like a rivalry, right? We called them the rhinos and they hated on us so hard because we were like the redheaded stepchildren of the company. Yeah. And so these guys would send them to fucking to put stickers up as something there was no way that anyone was going to know outside of Miami, which what's the value in that? Who gives a shit? They would rent them the most psychotic house on Star Island. Wow. Right? Marketing, wow. dude. Like marketing goons. Wow. Yeah, 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 no, you know, yeah, yeah, like it yeah. would be it would be like giving fucking uh chief like a twenty million dollar crib yeah. on Star Island. Yeah, right. And then having you know Jacob I mean? the jeweler gift yeah. you on entrance yeah. into or, the crib. Or or like a, or J dubs when he was at five four, like, yeah, right. You're not yeah. gonna trust these guys with that shit. For real. You know they're gonna go off the rails. Like For like real. you love them, but they're off the rails before they get there. So hey, like, I dare D to put it, me on it, Star Island. Watch like, me be naked yeah, the whole yeah. time. You know what I mean? It's like and this yeah, marketing. No, like there was no way to be like, oh, like, did you get a photo posted on Instagram? It was like no, like they didn't know. They didn't know how to quantify it. Yeah. So they gave these dudes like every winter music conference. They would go down, right? And all of them, they would rent these cigarette boats that cost like thirty five racks for the weekend. Insane. All the marketing dudes all went and rented exotic cars, which are like a grand a day at the time. Like they was like, dude, the parking lot was like Bentleys and Ferraris, and like it was like the Echo Party House, you know? Real? What I mean? oh my and like God. wild out, but they had this much money, dude. You gotta understand, at its height, they Echo had a was shitload of money, at, dog. Yo. No, not a shitload. Let me let me rephrase. Let like me, George, like like blow money, like like the no, fucking yes, George Jung yes, money. Let me put it in perspective, dude. When I was there, Echo was a three hundred and thirty million dollar company Jesus who, Christ. at the time, was considered it was cute. <laughs> that was cute. No company in our segment. Yo. Not Diamond. Not fucking LRG. None of them have reached these heights. Wow. $330 million. They were on Mount was, St. Helens was, doing... Was, yo, there was... Seth's aunt was on salary to bring Seth's us cookies aunt. every week. Oh, my we God. We got the most... Like, like, what the fuck? Like, like this guy... Look, 
Look, this is the funniest shit ever, right? This guy, because like he really did That's make that much dough. Auntie Gersberg was bringing cookies look, in, look, dog. This is the best shit ever, dude. This is like, honestly, like, and this is what I love about having, getting to witness, like, even though maybe I didn't do it myself, because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a mellow person. Like, I wouldn't have done it had I had this money anyway. Bro, you weren't like, giving cats fries. How are you going to have your yo, auntie on payroll? Yo, this guy, this is the funniest shit. <laughs> Seth found out the lease was coming up. On his high school, and he bought the lease out from his high school under them and turned it into the Echo, New Jersey, Stop Saddle that. River, New Jersey wow. office Stop that. Stop for that. his company. Stop that. Kick the whole school out. And, <laughs> and look, and to make it better, found out they were decommissioning. This is true story. Yo. They decommissioned a fucking military tank. And this guy bought it oh and drove God. it around his home. That was his car. No, he, he did it. This guy went and got fucking oh coffee. My he had two cars, dude. He had a fucking decommissioned military tank. <laughs> and he had an Escalade, the first flatbed Escalade when it came out. And he wrapped that shit in a Louis Vuitton print. Yeah. Right? And it was like, like that's how, and it was, but it was incredible to witness. Yeah. Yes. Like, like I was, I got to see, that's even, even though we like, we were like the redheaded stepchildren of the company. We got to see this shit. So getting back to what I was saying. So I yeah. go from alien to this company, right? And I am in over my head. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I got handed this position of director of marketing. I don't know what's going on. Matt just told me that I needed to recreate the magic that was at Alien. And, and this, Alien. Wow. this is of Zoo York? Yes. Okay. And, you know, I didn't know what money meant. I had no value on money. I didn't know what you could do with it. I just, like, I just knew that, like, you do things the way skaters do it when I went there, which was wrong. Because they did things the way that rap did it, mm. which was money. Throw money at everyone. Mm. Right? Seth... I was all about like building an organic like you know relationship and becoming friends with someone so they want to rock your stuff and like yeah. they feel proud and they right? just want to throw a, a, and they a were, like, envelope they, at yeah these dudes every month had a new celebrity in their ad like you know they had like Hugh Hefner doing their sunglass ads like I would love to see a streetwear brand like actually going and doing a marketing campaign wow and, and taking a product to market <laughs> yeah. wow for real they wouldn't know real. what the fuck to do with themselves so, just, you know what I mean? Like, I let the lost. bankers come in and, and literally yeah, like, like get your would, shit straight. Kids, so, like they would, they would like make fun of it or like talk shit on it. It's like that's a truly acquired skill. And like, believe it or not, Rafi, who was like I was saying, was like one of my close friends, was, like the person that really ushered that into Echo and the culture of the company. But what I was going to get at is a long story was that. So with Pharrell's, I just thought he was sick. Like I thought he was dope. The music was incredible, and like I was just like, "Fuck, man! Like this guy is like ill. I really want to do something with him." So I remember I went to and 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 the initiative came down from the top was like work with celebrities, like people that are doing things. I didn't realize like I thought he was a celebrity to me. It wasn't like you know, fucking I don't know, like like he was a celebrity before he was like you Hefner or something. I thought it was like someone that's doing something. Go find him, try and talk to him. So. I had a meeting with uh through Eli at Zoo knew Loik, and Loik is still to this day works very closely with Pharrell. Is like basically his right hand man. He worked with Rob Walker. We go to Arista Records where their deal was at, at the time. We meet with Rob Walker, pitch him. They're like, cool, no money. Uh, we'll do it. Just we want to promote the NERD album because it's going to come out next summer. And mm. I was like, fucking bet, let's do this, right? So uh, we do the deal. We go back. I want to pay them a little bit of money. Seth goes, what? He looks at Pharrell, right? And then looks at all the press coming out. And the time, this is when Pharrell was running uh, no NERD branding. It was like a trucker hat. Yep. It was an NERD trucker hat. 
he was wearing Metallica and like Megadeth and like like rock and roll shirts. He was wearing a lot of helmet laying and Prada sneakers at the time, ironically, which have now gone on to be like the inspiration for like the Air Maxes at fucking uh, Supreme that they did last year, whatever, right? Uh, tight jeans, weirdo looking guy with like a mustache, beard, blowout fro. And everyone was super tight, drug dealer, flashy guy back then, right? So I remember I take it, I go into my meeting with Seth and Seth goes, what the fuck? He goes, I'm not paying this fucking guy a dime. He goes, you think he's going to be around in three years? Look oh, at him. Wow. True story. Wild. Snapped on me. Wow. Says the guy yeah. that took a fucking decommissioned military tank everywhere. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and was like, he's like, this guy's, he, he literally said, you think this guy's going to be around in three years? And I was, in, I was burning, dude. I was like, I just had a point to prove, you know? And I didn't know much at the time about my job. What did you say like, to him? I just, I, I don't know, I probably tucked tail and ran because okay. he, he was scary. Okay. Even though he was, even respect, though I was, no, but respect. Like, uh, okay. Yeah, no, no, I, I literally <laughs> just want, I literally just wanted to know if it yeah. was like a Costa Rica moment where he was like, <laughs> no, no, no. where he was like, you know what? I no, said I, no that last time. Fuck you. you. Know what? Fuck you. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be yeah. a legend, bitch. I didn't blow up on him by any means, but I, I, I don't think, I just think I was kind of like, you know what? Like, I, I probably shook my head because at the time, like anyone that was like opposed to me, in my opinion, like I was definitely like, you're just a fucking idiot. Like, yeah. I just thought you were a kook and like walked away. It wasn't like I was scared even though he was scary and he was all about intimidating people yeah. because Seth is five foot two at the end of the day and like yeah. like even dude his nickname which I hope you fucking hear this Seth yeah, was bitch. Baby Rhino Baby Rhino call, we used to call him Baby Rhino Wow, right? and like he would, he would come with in, no horn, storm around, and like everyone kind of like was scared of him, and he loved it. And I just thought it like I, I was a kid, you know what I mean? I looked at it as like I thought that was a shitty way to run a company, Word. you know, because I was like, like Mark would come in, and it was good cop, bad cop, and Mark would come in and be like, hey man, like after Seth tore everything down, and he would be <laughs> the nice guy, and that's how they did shit, right? But I didn't realize. That was a routine they had worked out, like, and so I just kind of hated Seth and loved Mark, you know, yeah, yeah. and you know, like, ultimately hid behind Rafi to get whatever I needed done for the yeah. year I was there. Done. Shout know? out like, to Rafi, absolutely, dude, best dude in the game, and like he, uh, ironically, is now the editor in chief of Penthouse Magazine. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> like, so, when they, when, so when they shut you down on the the whole Pharrell thing, like he didn't shut me down. What he told me was I couldn't pay them. No, when, he's, no I, when he spanked yeah. you like a yeah. fucking okay. shitty yeah. dad would. Yeah. yeah, and like he when he had me, a cigarette in his mouth and he just took like a hit out the crack pipe and he yeah. spanked you. So what we did, which God forbid, I wish I still had, was he was like, "We'll make some merch for them and then uh, we'll do an ad. That's it, cool. you know." And so I was like, I went back and they were still cool with it because there was like. They were making so much money on beats back then. It was like, dude, fucking who gives a shit about an ad? Now it's like the other way around. So you make no money on beats, you pray to God someone will put you in print. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. I mean, it's like, but uh, so they were cool with it. Uh, Eli and those dudes cock blocked me and didn't want me to go down. So they went and shot the first ad in Virginia. It didn't work out. So we had to shoot the next one and uh, do a redo. And so I was like, fuck it, let's do it in Philly. Nice. And, uh, what so up, Philly? They had a very the Philly early, boy came early in. NERD show in Philly. And uh, there was no one there. Wow! Like literally, like it was at the Trocadero in Philly, and uh, oh, the Trocadero, so, yeah, and famous and, venue. Uh, Pharrell and uh, Shay ended up like pushing around on boards now. Shay's lightweight, like the maneuver, though. No, oh yeah, yeah dude. Shay's, Shay's got like you know he's always been like a. Shay's dude, the like, motherfucker you don't hear about, but like it is like that guy. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. He's you know Shay is you know is that by design? 
Uh, I think he grew into it. You know what I mean? Okay. I think I think they all like they were they, dude. They were so young, man. Like, yeah. And, and like people don't understand. There's like there's kind of like this ceiling on Insta celebrity now, and I don't mean Insta by Instagram. I mean like instant like instant yeah. yeah. Like like where you crack like that. Like people don't understand. Like dude, those guys were fucking literally like Pharrell lived on a plane for the first couple of years because and they had already smart. gotten like, fucked by Teddy Riley. Yeah, this was post. So yeah. it was like he like they they got to like grow on like such a massive scale. Yeah. Like, like you gotta think, man, it's like like Pharrell is an international mega celebrity. They saw the world like, before I, they were twenty five. I've witnessed like like oddball weirdo in shadowy corners of the world billionaire dudes they fall over themselves for this guy wow you know what I mean like and it's sick because of the reality is he built such a genuine brand of celebrity that was yeah. unique at the time that like like no one had that you know what I mean this guy was this literally I, I shit and it was kind of cool because that's why I always feel like even though he skated for a short period of time I do credit I feel like he's a skater which is why I backed him so hard like I remember like this dude had literally been wearing the same outfit for like six days straight and then wow. went and bought this fucking like $5,000 <coughs> Gucci shearling, which I couldn't, once again, Wait, couldn't wrap my head around at the time because yeah. I was killing it in my diesel. Like I just crossed over yeah. to diesel and like, you know, my sneakers meant a lot because I was deep into collecting at that point, but yeah. like nothing else mattered. Right. I was wearing Stussy constantly. I was wearing diesel a lot. And then like, I had like a lot of like dunks. That was my thing was like Word. dunks. And, uh, this guy, like, we had been, like, like crossing paths all week. Like, we have been trying to shoot and doing meetings, and we're hanging out, and they did this show at Roseland. But it was like, a, it wasn't even, dude, NER didn't even have a fucking record deal. We did a showcase. Or, well, not we, sorry. Let me backpedal. There's no we. I did not contribute to them whatsoever. But he did a showcase. And this is when they would bring Khalees out to perform with them. Wow. Right? And uh, Pre-milkshakes. Yes, way pre and pre the this yard. Was, this was a, this was a, her first album. Wow! And she was on uh, uh, one song on the first NERD album. They would bring her out, right? And uh, they did like a showcase, like a "Hey, we're here" type thing in New York at the Roseland Ballroom, which is like fucking, yeah, you know, it, it fits like six hundred people tops. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's like stuffed and bursting at the scenes. Yeah. You know? Like, it was crazy, man. It was fucking, it was really magical to be a part of. And I was very lucky to be there. And But going back to the uh, Trocadero. Yeah, so he's like, we had to shoot the ad there, right? And uh, they had a day off. So we shot the ad. It ended up becoming like the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it iconic. I think it might be an exaggeration. But like the hand plant New York ad for Pharrell. Like, awesome. And uh, so he's, funnily enough, he's wearing a zoo shirt. He's wearing a zoo trucker hat that we had like rushed to be made that weekend. Shay is like skating in the background. He Shay didn't even know how to skate. He's never skated, never tried to, but he felt obligated to be on board. He was like Wayne nice. when he first started like skating. Yeah, he was just like he felt obligated to be on a board for some reason. You <laughs> know what I mean? Really... He was like, I remember Pharrell is wearing the fucking Nike.jp Halloween dunks that I got him. Oh shit. From Ubik in Wow. So they were my friends. And that's where I got all like my OG early days heat from from like anything that was overseas they had. And uh, John Lee, you're the best. You definitely got me through a rough time as far as advice and whatnot in my life. But And uh, we shot that ad, and that went on to become like a very huge thing for us, you know, and that built my relationship with Pharrell. You know, we became very good friends afterwards. And that, that was on the, also on the cusp of like NERD. Did they then start yeah, blowing they, up after Yeah, that? they blew up. See, that yeah, was, that was that a magical was like, like tipping hit, point moment. That, that ad hit when I Just Want to Love You had 
probably been on the radio for like a good three months. So it was wow. like, like mega on fire. You know what I mean? On fire. Because Zoo York was huge yeah. for a moment in time. Yes. Like, yes. I remember was. having a Zoo York hoodie. It was just a black hoodie with like Zoo York and like the... But that um, was the early days. You're talking about that's when Zoo oh. was like super ill. And that's like... Because Zoo, you know, there's... Now it's so different once again, but like Zoo... Um, and then, uh, so Zoo, there was a brand out of New York. So there was a couple of brands, but like, you know, there was Metropolitan was being done. Keith Huffnagel's bringing that back now, which is like, for me, is the biggest like old man nerd, like happy moment ever. And I hope that kids like get it, you know, but like uh, Metropolitan, Zoo, and like Supreme were this intersection of skateboarding mm-hmm. in New York City. There was Brooklyn Boards at the time, which like had, it, it had impact, but only in a very small area, but it meant something, you know? Uh, Nimbus was like from the outside area, so it all meant something, you know. What yeah. I mean? But Zoo is kind of the creme de la creme of it all, and that Zoo hoodie you're talking about was literally that. When they did a team soccer jersey, like you had that shit, it was like it was getting you laid. Like you went out at night, like that shit was getting. You went to a club and you had a Zoo hoodie with the collegiate letters on it, with oh, yeah. the fucking chain stitching, the white collegiate applique letters and the chain stitching, like. You were getting laid. You were fucking that night without wow. a doubt. Like it was that it was that ill. Like, and I'm talking wow. like I'm talking upper echelon because the whole thing is that you got to understand at the time, Supreme, John Casablanca's modeling agency was in the same building as Supreme. So that's how like Kate Moss ended up on the first Supreme wow. shirt, right? Fuck. And like they would come down. Those girls were obviously mega famous at the time, and they would shop for their boyfriends and like whoever they were hanging out with at the time. And like that's how Kate Moss ended up on the first one. You know Holy I mean? fuck! It was like, so these dudes, and that led to like Pete BC having a Calvin Klein campaign and all this crazy shit. You know, that's, so like this crazy. massive intersection of skateboarding and cool shit, and it was like so sick. You know what I mean? But coming back around, like Zoo was that was the death knell of Zoo from like that point kind of forward. From the point with uh, NERD forward? Not any, like not that NERD was a signifier. No, no, no. Basically what it was is that Echo owned it and their agenda was very different. Like, Mm. which was the thing was Eli Rodney and Adam, God bless their hearts. Like they had no agenda. They just wanted to do something cool and make skateboards and pay their rent. Seth came in and knew the clothing business and he knew how to blow, blow shit up. So he didn't give a, fuck about the skate side he was like i just he just wanted to monetize yeah he just knows that like i gotta make skateboards to sell more t-shirts sure he he borderline resented the team you know wow and like part of it was they tried to get me to like kick a lot of the og riders off which was tough i mean some were definitely like yo you're you're fucking you need to go out to pasture like straight up like we're gonna put two in the back of your head when you're not looking because it's time (laughs) yeah and then like you know for for the rest it was kind of like yo like you know, he just wanted to agree. What was that like for you, though? Like it was uncomfortable as be, shit. Be, being the being the capo for a fucking tyrannical leader. Well, it was like you know, dude. I'm a kid once again. Still, I'm 21 or 22. Fuck. Bro. I'm all, I'm, all, I'm, all my, this and you're a young is, G, dog. My agenda is being dictated. My business, my my career agenda is being dictated by a boss who I know doesn't give a fuck about me. But my social agenda is with my friends who I have to fuck over. Right. It's the worst. You know what I mean? It's literally the worst position ever. You're like a double agent that like is, you, no one knows, and you just want to fucking kill yourself. You yeah. Know what I mean? 
And they, they had made a lot of big promises to me if I was willing to do some fucking rather unruly things. And I kind of half-stepped. Like, some stuff I did try, and I was ambitious and young. And then some stuff I just half-stepped on because I didn't have the heart to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? And it just didn't feel right or make sense to me. Because you're why. a human being also. Yeah, bro. and I ultimately, you know, what led, <laughs> what ultimately was like, I built a friendship with Pharrell, which kind of became luckily like a job-saving anchor for me for a while because he did blow up so hard. And they were like, oh, well, you know, whatever. He doesn't what was that like, though? Because, like, I want to go through what the relationship with young Nino was and, and also young Pharrell. Even though they were blowing up super hard, this was a Pharrell where it was like still pretty fucking oh, fresh. Man. It was fucking insane. It was the sickest like, shit like, ever, Because as, as much as you look at it, like, you're like, damn, you're about to be a superstar. That was still I never like, even looked at it like that, though. Exa- exactly. Yeah. That was still like, yo, this is just the homie. Yeah, like, dude. Like, it's just, you know what it was is like, because I... Because I, I, too I, many people these yeah. days, you know, which is why I harp on this point yeah. and just want to kind of like dig deeper. Yeah. Is, you know, it's wild for us in this game. And like, I'm still a relatively young dude in this game and understands that I was a dude that was destined to make it that could have lost it. It wasn't like I had a chip on my shoulder and, like, I just proved everybody wrong. I actually knew that, like, damn, like, now after hitting rock bottom, like, cool. Like, I I embrace my special. And my special is actually being able to be vulnerable and being able to even, like, ask of you an icon and an idol to me, to me, right, to come on and chop it. Right. Well, I mean, look, man, you want to talk about vulnerability, dude. Like, in all these highs, there's been some fucking heavy lows. You know what I mean? Like, but it has to be. How yeah. can you know? Yeah. How can you aspire, excuse me, to a high without knowing what a low feels like, right? Yeah. And that's the beauty, like, to be honest with you, bro, is, like, that's the beauty of why I have such an affinity for you uh-huh. is that as guarded and as seasoned and as like non-jaded for the millions of times you could have been jaded to this shit, (laughs) right? And as opinionated as you are, but also not like literally sinking because of your opinions, right? As fuck you to the world as you are, right? It's not the... Why does the it's not punk like now uh, we'll go symbolism it's not punk rock it's no. hip hop yeah 100%. right and this is the this is the bigger thing for me is that you were put in this relate like position to even like attempt to build a relationship with Pharrell every power that be that you came across like this should have been a layup right but you literally were going through the depths of hell to make this happen. You and, and, and young Pharrell at that time built a relationship. It became your anchor, but it wasn't, to you, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, dog, this the homie. It was like, look, me and Pharrell have a relationship. I which, thought it was sick, man. I which literally is out, here man. to this day, right? But the biggest thing for me is like, what was that, what was that for you to where if you're able to even think about like how y'all got close, right? Y'all didn't get close because you were the dude to send them product. Y'all didn't get close because like you were the dude that was providing opportunities because they were blowing you out the water anyways. But again, just like your other homies, Callis, Dill, all them, there was something about Nino then. I don't know, man. I think I just, you know, I think the most important thing, man, is like, you know, look, if you need a sound bite per se, like, 
I would just say the No, best. hold on. Fuck you. I don't need a soundbite. No, but I mean, look, I'm just saying, like, if you need me to sum it all up, like, if, if you stuck a gun to my head right now, or like, hey, sum this whole thing up that you've been talking about, even though we haven't gotten through it all, is like, look, the reality is this is like, you be good to your friends, and you pay attention. That's your education. Yeah. I did not, like, I, I'm a fucking geek. Like, I love information. I love reading, like, you know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with it. You, know you love I mean? the and, culture, dog. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't, I've never looked at culture. It's never been, because that's just who I was. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, culture, like, I, I hate that fucking term, to be honest. Like, and it, honestly, like... Forgive me. No, forgive me. It's, I understand that people your age connect with it differently than me, but, like, for me, it's like, I... I think, unfortunately, culture is a marketing buzz term, a social media-based marketing buzz term for fucking old dudes to make young kids think they're cool. Word. And I hate, I, trust me, if I, Damn, if you, I had you, two you, more no, Jack no, and no, me, you, I would start naming names, but no, I'm look, not. No, look, like, you, wanted, like, you, you were like, I'll give you the quotable, yeah. and I was like, bitch, am I clickbait? Yeah. No. But right? Like, no, but I feel yeah, you. But you know Respect. what I mean? It's like, I, I just <clears throat> did that shit because I didn't know any better. I, was, I, I didn't want to lose my job. And I was just fucking firing blind. I was like, oh, this guy's cool, man. I like his music. Like, we have to fuck with people on that level. I'm going to fuck with him. Like, that's it. Like, I was just hoping that the shit fucking made it and, like, paid my bills for another month. Like, I didn't make a lot of money. Like, I maxed out at, like, fucking, I think I was maxed out, like, when I was at uh, how old I was at, at York. I, I think I'm, I was making $50,000 pre-tax a year. Like, oh, that's wow, nothing. Yeah. You can't even live in New York on that shit. Sure, yeah. You know I mean, like. You couldn't even, at that time, you couldn't even live in the bad neighbors in New York. You're my hero, dog. Like, I was just going through it and, like, figuring it out as it happened. And there was, it was a weird intersection of things that did kind of start. Yes. Like, and, you know, but even, even then I was, like, lucky and privy to have certain things. You know, like, I, and and, and these are the icing on the cake moments that your average kid that's just kind of doing them and really going for it probably wouldn't be lucky enough to have. Is like, like, my, for instance, like. My first introduction to Bathing Ape, the brand, yeah. was when I was 18. My roommate, Mason, who worked for Dick Hane, like I said earlier, for Urban Outfitters, right? Uh, they used to go to London a lot on shopping trips because that's just Dick was all about like London fashion and like kind of figuring out how to bring it back as cheap as possible to America for Urban Outfitters, right? And I think Urban's only had maybe like 15 stores at the time, which, mm. you know, it's a lot, but not what it is now. It's a multi-billion dollar corporation, you know? And uh, so Mason came back. And at the time, I was all about drawers and DC shoes. And I got it for free. And the concept of spending any money on clothing was borderline offensive to me. And Mason came back, and he was a DJ, so he'd always go to Fat Beats. And Fat Beats was right next to the Ape Store in London, nice. right? That Craig Ford was partnering. Craig Ford is the OG, like, Euro god of streetwear, right? Like, this is, like, one of probably about four people, like James Lavelle and a handful of other people that are like, yo, like, you do your research, like, you're going to learn some shit, mm. right? Like, this is the genetics of who we are. And, uh... You know, like little 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 Benjamin kicks like booming on fucking Instagram doesn't have a fucking like he doesn't he doesn't have an ounce of what these people have in his life. You know what I mean? Like I don't give a fuck how many Migos Instagrams you have. Like these people lived it and they breathed it and they birthed yeah. it for us, you know? So uh Mason came back. I remember I was skating at City Hall in Philly on the round benches, the curved benches or whatever. And he walked through and he had a bathing ape shirt on and, and apes this, right? The Air Force One the Apes this. And his apes does were uh, cream sole, 
Brown weight up, or, and he came in and he was flexing, right? Before the word flexing got attached to being what flexing is, I didn't know what the fuck they were. I was like, sick fake Air Force Ones, dickhead, <laughs> right? And then he uh, he was, because Mason was, Mason kind of was also another person that like steered me into this world, right? And like I thought it was cool, but I didn't really know, and I had no money, and I didn't know how to get more money to make it happen to get that stuff. So I was kind of caught out there, but like he, uh, you know, and then he had a bathing ape. Uh, ape head shirt on that said by bathing ape is like one of their famous designs that they don't really do anymore but uh when they do it's awesome it's like it would be almost like what apes box logo would be right Mm. so and it had a fill-in and it was just a candy Mm. and he was like you see this shirt and like i don't remember the context but however it came up he told me he paid 80 dollars for a (laughs) t-shirt and i was like i was like i was like excuse me like go fuck yourself (laughs) like he was my roommate i'm like you gonna be able to make rent motherfucker like what are you talking about like 250 dollars fake air force ones and fucking like an 80 head shirt for 80 dollars get the fuck out of here keep it pushing like but that was like my first introduction to those brands and he was in silas which is like i'm pretty sure i feel like silas might be around still and like a bunch of like duffer of st george like sick brands that were like transition brands for me into that world but like this was many years before i got into it you know and uh that was one thing of being incredibly like, you know, lucky to have that, you know, like an icing on the cake. Like I said, like I just happened to, that's a right place, right time kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, another one is, uh, Dill. So we were, uh, towards the end of alien workshop, Dill was, uh, very restless about he wrote for Quicksilver and Dill has always had like he's been very very much about like I'm Jason Dill my credibility is like what I deem credibility right and uh, Dill had left California and moved to New York he was living in New York City in Soho in his uh, OG kind of epic apartment on Canal Street and uh, was hanging out Aaron from uh, Supreme a lot and Geo and like he was just like this is Dill's early mix of Supreme people right and Aaron was uh, very adamant about him like how Quicksilver was like a bad look right because Dill was so New York like mm-hmm. he was wearing diesel jeans and skating in them long before like skating in a hundred dollar jeans back then was crazy it was like what the fuck is wrong with you you know now, yeah. now skate companies make hundred dollar jeans right like skate jeans were like forty dollars back then and you wore one pair until they fell off your body. So uh, Dill had flown to Japan and actually met with Nigo and was going to be the first skateboarder to actually ever ride for Bathing Ape. Oh, wow. And if you Google it, yeah, if you Google it, I'm going to say this is 99, 2000. Dill is actually wearing in the skateboard bag uh, Bathing Ape, first camo, yellow, <laughs> not green not or brown whatever people want to call it not green but brown or yellow camo uh ape shirt with the sleeves ripped off because at the time too ripping your sleeves off your shirt was like a big thing in skating <laughs> and he looks like he just got out of the shower and it was like whoa like whoa like <laughs> that's a 125 dollar shirt and you just ripped the sleeves fuck. off like what the fuck like that's icon like, status yeah dude that's like you just took 50 dollar value off that shirt yeah. it's like yo that's my it's like a quarter of my rent yeah, like, yeah you know what i mean like that was a big fucking deal and like having those influences so early like those two like just lucky like ping your radar like mason putting me on to ape then and then like showing me like japanese magazines yeah. and then fucking like dill showing me that stuff was like fuck man like that was some cool shit you know like like no one thought about like obscure clothing brands from other com- countries much less japan 
Like, if you thought about, like, clothing from other countries, it was, like, Gucci because it was Italian. You know? Oh, my yeah. Mom, my mom yeah. wore, like, Gucci and, like, Louis Vuitton and, like, you know, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, like, uh, Lily Pulitzer, you know? like And I was like, oh, those are European fashion brands, you know what I mean? Not fucking, like, this ill streetwear brand that's selling shit to kids for fucking $275 yeah. for fake Air Force One. Oh, know? yeah. Wow. 100%. It was it was it was cool. It was a very uh, lucky thing to have that, you know. And then when Pharrell made that connection, I was like so doubly psyched. Like he went to Japan and came back and was wearing fucking. I remember he was wearing the uh, what's it called? Neapolitan apes. There's the brown. Ooh, wow, brown, the pink, brown, pink and white. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. Patent. And I was like, bang, bang. Yeah. There he is. Yeah. I mean? There he like, is. Like it was just like wow, man. Like that was that was a moment, you know. And like he was wearing the uh, green, orange, and white ones. Uh, I want to say uh, he was like uh, sitting down at a fashion show. But he was wearing them next to Jay Z. Wow. And I was like, I was like, oh my god, those are those fucking shoes that my roommate used to have. They're mad expensive. Shit. Like he went to Japan and found out about it. Like, hey, how wild is that? Like, that Pharrell was sitting next to Jay Z. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that Uncle Nino is thinking yeah. about is, dog, look at the shoes this motherfucker rocking. Wait, are you still at Zoo at this time? Yeah. <sighs> Wait, that's... Yeah. Bro, he's still like we still he's still a kitty. Yeah. This, that's so wild that like that like your see your time at Zoo. It wasn't even like Zoo giving you all this experience. It, it's like through Pharrell and being introduced yeah. to these other huge it was, brands. It was like a weird, yeah, it was like a weird life experience. Yeah. It was but, like, and, and, and like, I sucked at my job. I'll be the first one to admit it now. Back then. <laughs> I love you. Like, you couldn't Wait, tell me I wasn't killing it back then. You hold know the I mean? fuck up. Just, like, love you. Yeah, like, I, no, I look, I was, but there's, like, a, there's so what, many other things that you experienced no, but, that no, like, but, no, well, but, well, ironically, this is the funny part about it, right? Is that position inside of our, whatever you want to call it, quote unquote industry, uh, at the time, the director of marketing position like nine people that I know got cycled through that job. And the problem was it was so hard to make Seth happy that no one could. So, and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, the first, like, you know, like my friend Omar had the job for a while, right? Omar's, uh, Omar Kimbal from Commonwealth, right? Like, Omar had the job and it was kind of like, oh, like we hope Omar does well. Like Greg Lucci actually took the position after me. Greg Lucci migrated uh, the aesthetics skate team, Sal Barbier and a bunch of other people over there, right? And uh, that didn't last, right? So that's like, boom, they're gone. Then Omar Kimbao came in and it was like, boom, he's gone. And it was just like, yo, you just kind of like started to feel like, yo, I hope they last longer than I did afterwards. You right, know? right, right. Like this like, isn't like a super long-term yeah. thing. but Yeah, and it's just because Seth didn't know what he wanted. All he knew is he wanted results. And he didn't give a fuck what they sure. were as long as it was results that ended up in dollars. And like, you know, sometimes you can't quantify that stuff. It's tough, you know? It's like the same thing with Pharrell where he's like, you know, we know it added up at the end of the day because now we're looking back 20, however many years later, and it's like, People still talk about like the Pharrell's New York ad, but like yeah. at the time it was like, fuck this. It didn't turn into sales this month. Right. You know, and you're like, okay, dude, like, I guess, you know. Wait, how long were you at New York? Well, once again, like a year and a half, like a little okay. shy of two years. And like, I went out, like, Pharrell took us out on the Sprite Liquid Mix tour, which was the first, uh, their first kind of festival style tour they went out on with uh, Jay Z was the headliner. He did the Rock La Familia album that year. 311 was another headliner. And, uh, who else it was in the afternoon. But basically we had like, it was, it was one of the wildest times of my life. Shout out Ashley Nichols. Uh, you remember this time? And uh, 
yeah, it was a wild time and I was kind of trying to find another job at the time and they busted me and they kind of, I came back and like, I was doing a decent job, but they were just like, you know what? Like it was your time. Yeah, it was I mean, ultimatum like, time. And they were yeah. like, look, like we know you're looking for another job. Like you're busted. Like they actually sent an intern out to snitch, like to uh, keep an eye on me. It was like a fucking, what do you want to call it? Like a spy. And he was snitching on me the whole trip. I thought we were boys and we were like That's partying f- and stuff. And like, he was like a full snitch. That's like, funny. So it's just like, kind of just repeated itself. Like, yeah. And so, uh, I came back and, uh, I took like a week off cause the tour is brutal. It was like 35 days or something like that of like yeah. nonstop, like concerts every day. They had demos. They did two demos a day. And then uh, Pharrell brought the whole team out at the end of his set. Mm-hmm. Uh, just he wanted all the skaters to mosh at the end of his set when they did Rockstar for NERD, which because it was the tour for their first album. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and and I was just tattered. I came back. I sat down with the office manager, and she was like, "Look, like we know you're not happy. Um, here's the deal. Like, w- you know, you're gonna go one way or another. How do you want to go? Basically, is how it went down. You know." I was like, you know, I was pissed. Like a, a big part of it too is uh, right before I left, right, I had been fighting to get people like Pharrell paid. And there was certain team riders that I wanted to bring into the company that they fought me on and that were like pennies on the dollar for this company at the right. time. And they would fight me, right? And right before I left on the tour, I had a meeting and they brought up Ashton Kutcher because of Punked. And Punked was popping and he was yep. on fire. And yeah. I was like, fuck this guy. And I was like, and they were like, we want to make him like a face of a campaign. Uh, I was like, fuck him. What the fuck? Fuck, yeah, fuck Ashton Kutcher. And, and the day before I left, Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, this is when he was dating and banging yeah. Demi Moore. God bless his soul. That guy's, his penis has probably been in so many amazing places. <laughs> but like, he comes into the thing, him and Demi. <laughs> and it has, And though. it's like, they're touring our office. And we're like, at the time, a lot of rappers and stuff were coming in. So I was like, a hair like. But you're like, how's this cornball going to fucking like, come this in? This fucking guy, like, really? You're like, dude, Ashton go find Kutcher, your fucking like, bitch ass car, bro. Yeah. And it was just like, it was like, that's really, he had done that 70s show, Dude Where's My yeah. Car, and Punked, which was a mega success. And I get it. Fuck and you, though. I just didn't look at things at that time as like a, a marketing, like a corporate marketing standpoint. So I was like, but it still wouldn't Fuck have fit. It still yeah. wouldn't have fit, though, bro. Yeah. Let's be and honest. So, so I found out. I told them. I'm like, you guys are going to pay. He he got a very crazy deal. There's no need to get into money. But it, yeah. was, it was seven Doesn't figures. matter. It was yeah. low seven figures. Doesn't matter. For doing not a lot compared to what skaters do. Every yeah. Day, breaking their bodies for these companies, right? Yeah. And they fought me. And I was like, if you guys fucking pay this guy, I'm done. I was like, if you won't pay the riders, I need like three grand a month to fucking live, like so they can get out and fucking break every limb in their bodies. Uh, yeah, so yeah. to do like, this shit. You're gonna pay this dickhead to fucking wear a, sh- a hat on Punked that he doesn't <laughs> even like do. He just hosts. Like, get the yeah. fuck out of here. And when they, I, I, I forget what it was, but before I left for the tour, I, I come back into work and they confirmed to me, and I flipped desk and I was like, fuck you guys. I wow. fucking and I didn't love go you. to work till I left for the tour. Wow. Yeah, I was pissed, man. I was I was livid. Like I was really offended and hurt by that that like they went behind my back. As you fucking like, should have been. Yeah, but I was also a kid. Like now I wouldn't flip a desk, but I would be like, "All right, you guys are like I would probably like fight it but roll with it." You know I get what it, I mean? but dog, like, that's the like this is the like, beauty of this yeah. shit, right? For everybody that's scared to move or is like paralyzed in in like yeah. their thoughts. You were that age, you flipped the desk. Yeah, man. That's was, fucking you, I was, G. I was lit, dude. I was like, I was storming around. I remember I was storming. I almost, 
Like even like you know my good friend Rafi. You like, almost was, had a brain aneurysm. Yeah, that's dude, how I was. I was literally like I was fucking furious that they did that to me. Like they wouldn't pay Pharrell, who at the time had like he wasn't a face. Like he was in he wasn't in the I just want to love you video for Jay Z. He was in the shake your ass video for like a split second, and it was building. You know what I mean? But like nonetheless, he produced all that music. And, oh like, yeah. They didn't want to pay this guy. Yeah. And and, and and how ill the lap dance lap dance was the first video off of the first NERD album yeah. in search of and like how ill that video looked for like it, he looked different. He was wearing a trucker hat, a polo shirt, tight jeans like tight at the time at least and like it was like crazy it was a good look you know and they fought me on it and then they pay this fucking kook millions of dollars to like like wear this shit on a fucking tv show that he's doing regardless i was like yeah you're gonna get a desk flipped on you that's the way it worked at the time off top off top like that's the way it went down you know what i mean i flipped the desk and then i went on the tour which i'm sure probably was the final like all right we need to get him out of here yeah it's too volatile and I went on the tour, like the tour was like, and I, I just had this feeling and I got, I was meeting with DC at the time to try and get hired by DC. <laughs> exactly. That's an epic like memory for that. Yo, y- y'all really going to pay Ashton Kusher over this? Yeah. You can keep going. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was incredible, man. Like they like, the fact that they didn't, Seth didn't see that because Seth like, you know, that industry was so cynical at the time that if you weren't selling millions of records and, like, the face of it dripping in diamonds, they didn't get you, you know what I mean? Pharrell was that dude, man. He really did change. Like, God bless him, man. Like, that dude really, him and Chad, like, they changed the way people looked at shit. Him, Chad, and Shay for NERD. Like, in the context of NERD, it was rock and roll. So Shay, him, it was a little different. It was definitely risky. But, like, in the context of Pharrell and Chad being who they were, at that time in hip hop videos was fucking insane. Like there's a random, this is a random one is the alcoholics did a song called best you can. And this is probably like their biggest like, wow. shot at like, we're going to blow all this money on these big. Producers, wow. Which yeah. Was the, which was the Neptunes at the yeah. time. And Pharrell is in that shit and he's riding like a, a, a motor, like a motorcycle with a chick on the back, like up a flight of stairs and like a house party or whatever. And it was like, he has on like a rolling stones, vintage t-shirt. And like a brown helmet laying leather jacket and like wow. a yellow trucker hat. And it was the craziest shit. Like, cause it was I remember that. Look, that. But I then, remember but, but that. Then meeting rappers on the same level where he's just as icy as they were with like a flooded rolly, yeah. like a tennis chain with a, like a Jesus piece yeah. around his neck or maybe a cross or something. And it was like, like my swagger is different, but like my jewelry is just as icy as yeah, yeah, yeah. So Like, understand, sick, I understand I, mean? I have your house on my body right yeah, now. Yeah, and it was like, it just felt more like us like for me being like a kid that skated but loved hip-hop and wasn't a thugged out dude but knew and i got down with thugged out homies in philly it was just like you know i was that dude like i didn't do that but i knew them you know i knew i knew the fucking the mafia dudes in philly all the way to like my man dame in north philly who was a fucking one of the rawest drug dealers in the game at the time but i wasn't that dude that wasn't me Hey, but and then look, to see the way uh, he met them on their terms, but in his dressed completely different than was sick. It was inspiring. You know I want to take this moment to do this. You're still, bro. I'm you still know, twenty one, bro. You know what the beauty is? You still wouldn't have graduated college. No, and all the shit's no. going down, dog. Yeah, no, I'm, you, no, the, no. I was, I would think I was twenty, maybe twenty two. I don't give a fuck. Point, so still. you graduated college, yeah, Nino. To everybody out there listening, right, you're still 
a kid that would have just graduated college. Like, I want everybody that's gotten here to understand that, that, like, every dude that's like, damn, what am I going to do? What if I'm not good enough? Like, damn, all this. Even though you had those, you still wouldn't have been in their position, and you're dealing with all of this shit like this, like, fuck the glorification of it. It's like, look at everything that you've experienced up until this point. Funnily enough, dude, they actually tried to go, like, the more proper route after, at Zoo York, like, by hiring dudes with, like, communications degrees and shit, and it only lasted even shorter. No shit. <laughs> like, it just didn't work. Because, because I mean? like, look, fuck the culture. One thing that you said earlier, which really resonated with me and also makes a lot of sense, right, is that, even though that marketing director position was one that they cycled hella cats out of, you were the one dude that naturally like was in tune with his emotions, had an opinion, understood, and was also fucking like scared enough to know that like at times that you were biting off more than you can chew, you were still scared, yeah. right? But you did it. Whether it worked out or it didn't, you did it. Right. But in this era, like, bro, like you were 21 to 22 to even I'll give you 23 and you were fighting for a cat like Pharrell. Right. But the bigger thing is, is that the reason you were fighting like a cat from Pharrell and battling and being baffled and fucking bewildered by why Ashton Kutcher, even at this time, even mattered to your fucking community. Fuck a culture, but your community, which you were a part of, like, fuck the little model kid that comes in and, like, has a light around him and y'all gonna show him love? What about these cats that have been here, done that, right? But you were the dude that at that age even, right, whether you knew it explicitly or not, understood that it's like, bruh, not only is this my guy, not only do I fuck with him as a human being, but like, how do you guys not see it that he's pushing this movement forward, that he's gonna be something really special because not only is he a special human being, but he's so beyond every single fucking one of y'all. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it boils down, look, it comes down to one thing, and one thing only, it's one word, it's perspective. <sighs> You can't like, and, and it's not like, look, and I, by perspective, I just mean this, which is that like, you can't ever fucking believe your own bullshit so much that you can't see the trees through the forest. Uh. It doesn't matter who you are because like, it's not about money. It's not about that. Cause like you can have money and still, cause I've, I've seen varying degrees of money, right? I've seen the kid that gets it and loses their fucking mind and and ends up like basically it becomes a way a pathway for them to live out like some childhood fantasy that they didn't get to live out when they were younger because now they have money which mm. equals power right and then i've seen like the kind of like you you get it and you just kind of become a douchebag consumer that just buys everything to show off right and then i've seen the like you know the guy who genuinely takes it and like you know not even necessarily like uses it for like good or anything like that but like it's just kind of like it becomes this platform to get understands to, to, it yeah, yeah to get somewhere else you know what i mean and mm. that's that's perspective you know like perspective and, and possibility like, yeah and and and, and it, you know for that it's like like seth and mark and those dudes they lost perspective you know they didn't get it like they they did something so special 
you know, and, 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 and for all intents and purposes, they should still be where they're at, you yeah. know, and they didn't. Instead, you know, like Seth is like this fucking, like, you know, he, he's a borderline, like a punchline, you know, like you see Seth at trade shows, now you turn around and walk away, like that guy had weight back in the day, like you... You walked around and like Seth Gersberg like parted the fucking Red Sea at Magic Trade Show. Like the Echo booth was three stories high and had a coffee shop in it. Wow. You know, like it was it, like the Echo booth wasn't a booth; it was real estate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like it cost it. Sometimes they cost like the booths they would build would cost like over a million dollars. Like, like kids don't pay that much for Shopify every month. You mm. know what I mean? Like that's some real shit. Like the Sean John booth back in the day had a fucking waterfall in that. Think about that. Waterfall. Don't go chasing waterfall. Like booth to sell clothes had a waterfall, which means you were selling that many clothes that you could afford to pay for a fucking waterfall in your what's, booth. What's and crazy is that like you're coming out of this crazy, like this company that is at its peak of just like grand grandioso shit. Yeah. Plus you're on the cusp of what NERD and Pharrell is becoming, yeah. but the it, it's insane. When you left, um, when you left that, when you left Echo and Zoo, uh-huh. how do you balance like leaving this grand fucking insane place? There's no balance. Yeah, like w- w- what was that next step? What, how do there you? Inf- no balance. There's no choice. Yeah. What it wow. was. I wanted. I. No I balance. Thinking. No choice. Yeah, I was. Excess wasn't like cool anymore. No, well, no, no, no. It wasn't that. I mean, the industry was going the way it was. It's just that, like, I personally was really, I was ambitious as a kid, so I wanted to make money, and I got promised money at that company. It didn't happen. And then I, at that time, Zoo York was the closest thing there was to the intersection of big business and skateboarding. And I was like, it's never gonna work, mm-hmm. which it still really doesn't to this day. And uh, just the ideals are too far apart and they're too contrary to each other. But like, I was like, I'm never going to make real money at this. And I wrote movies and like I wrote screenplays. That's how I went to a specialized high school called Career Performing Arts in Philadelphia. And I had been toying around with a script idea I had for like that a good like six months. And was Bro, I it. love how your camera came out hella late. And then now your pen came out even later, <laughs> like... Shout out to us. Yeah. So well, now, yeah. yeah. So I'm writing, and I had this idea, and you know, I was like, you know what, man? Like, I was 24 years old, and I was like, 20 fucking fuck four. it, man. Like, like this hey, is hey, it. Like, hey, this is the time you do it. You roll the dice. You're yeah. like Pac to me right now. Do you understand that? <laughs> I wish. Like, no, but to me, that, that that's why I say this shit. Like, I, you know, I, I just, as I knew, is like, I, I had to go west because there's no other companies. I wasn't gonna pay my rent. My girlfriend was in college. She was about to graduate and like she wanted a job. And then I was like, fuck it. Like, and you know, I had been talking to Rob a lot and I was too, I was really embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone that I was going to write scripts. So wow. I was just telling everyone I was coming out to work in skateboarding. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I was like embarrassed and I was like, like, Rob didn't know I wrote scripts. Right. So and I showed up and like, I moved out here and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like move out. Like, let's do it. It's awesome. And like, I flew out and I looked for apartments. I remember when I hung out with him that whole week, I was looking for apartments, found my place, came back. What's the age difference between y'all two? Four years. Yeah. Okay. Four years. So he was like the like middle late twenties, late twenties. Yeah, his late twenties. I was early twenties. But he was already like you know like Rob's been making like like people love to like point out like because Rob's a caricature and he's an easy target. Like celebrities and people like that are very easy targets, right? Yeah. Like. 
they're out of reach. They're never gonna hear what you say and come back and like. But Rob's check a genius it, you know? too for his bodaciousness. He's, he's he's brilliant, dude, man. Like I've, I like I'm telling you, man. Like I, skateboard industry, Pharrell Williams, Rob Deerdeck, all yeah. my mentors. Awesome. Chris Carter That's was the so gateway crazy. to it. Like had these things did not happen, I'd probably be working on a farm, or I'd be doing like construction in South Philly and probably weigh like a hundred pounds more than I do. And like be laying rebar all weekend, or possibly a, I don't know, a, like a low level mafia like fucking numbers runner. I don't know. Any of those things were my paths. You're Nino like, Brasco. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. Like the dude that wants more but can't get it for some because he's just not good enough. Yeah. Like that guy. Like, and uh, you know, I've learned so much because Rob was so into learning. You know, and it was a I, I looked up to him on so many levels as my friend. You know. I'm yeah. Like, to even take the nuggets out here. And this is a 24-year-old dude, though. Through his failures, like, the guy had a record label that he lost literally, like, a half million dollars on. At the time, he was a child. He was a fucking child, you know what Wild. I mean? Like, and when, when you came to California, did you have that in your mind? Like, I'm going to go there because, you know, Rob is there and there's opportunity there? Yes, 100%. I had 100%. to go where the opportunity was. Okay. Like, I wasn't ready to, even though I had a... I, I had a girlfriend of a long time, which is like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's abnormal or not, but you know, I dated a girl for a long time at that which point. Which was what bro? Like let these little like at young that point player time, pimps I was, for, I was 20. I was almost 25 and I was dating for four years. That's, That's awesome. a long time. Like, yeah. It's awesome. a long time. That's a long time for sure. You're supposed to be out boning wild and like having fun. I wasn't doing that. I was I mean, like very like, locked supposed down. to be, like, what does that mean? But well, I, I just, get it. You know, yeah, I, I'll tell you in hindsight, I wouldn't recommend anyone doing respect. it. You know? yeah. But at the same time, like it's just what I did, you know? So I moved out here with her. Um, kind of threw the cards on the table. I told her, I was like, look, I'm going one way or another. I'd like you to come, but with or without you, I'm going to California, you know? And uh, I ended up out here. And my goal was I wanted to write and produce. Wild. Right? Which was hard, you know? And what I did was I didn't want to get sucked in because writing takes a lot of time. It's a very focused craft. You yeah. know? It takes it's a very lot immersive of craft. Yes. And it's rad. Like, I love getting lost in my creativity and my imagination and whatnot. And once again, I'm a fucking nerd. Like, I'm a guy that's still, like, at 38, dude, like, I was earlier today, I was working out and I was watching fucking the Clone Wars cartoon. Like, I'm uh, a lit. fucking nerd. Like, lit. I really am, you know? I'm like, that's... Did you work out again when I was blapping you on text messages? Yeah. Or was that... <laughs> so you did two workouts today? Yeah, I did. I did two Respect. today. Respect. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but, like, I... So I was happy to do it, but I know it takes a lot of work. And I... I kind of told my girlfriend, like, look, I need you to help me. Like, you need to not be so, like, pissy and we're going to move to California and all this. I was like, I'm going to write, take a lot of time. I saved up a bunch of money. And ironically, here's a funny story, right? And this is great. I hope, this everything I hope this story inspires people, especially even you guys will get a good kick out of it for kids. So at the time, Nike SB had just started getting into skateboarding. Wasn't a thing, right? Gino Iannucci, Richard Mulder. What year is this around? Oh, three. Cool. Early 03, because that's when I moved out to California. I moved here in uh, May of 03. Uh, Nike SB was nothing, right? Gino Inucci, Richard Mulder, Danny Supa, and uh, Reese Forbes rode for him. They each got mm. their own colorway, right, of uh, the Nike Dunk. And the Dunk was on fire at this point, right? But uh, the Skate Dunk was like a random thing. And in skate shops, they didn't carry SBs. So my friend carried uh, SBs in... Philly, and he got the Reese Forbes denim dunk, right? There was 222 pairs made, or maybe 227 or 277. It was a kind of repeating number. That's all I remember. And so I went to my boy, Tim, knowing that they were, the resale value was 500 to a grand, right? Because I was deep in sneakers at this point, right? And it was hard. And so I was like, look, dude, like, 
let me take these off your hands. <laughs> I was like, no skater's going to nice. buy these shoes. I was like, who wants to skate in a denim Nike? Like, fuck these things. Yeah. I was like, I got some, some homies that are into sneaker resale. Like, I could probably make 60 bucks a pair, right? And the size around is 12 pairs of shoes, you know? So I took them from Tim at cost. It was like $360. I made $15,000. At the time, Demaney... Uh, who owns uh, Flight Club now, at the time, used to run a website called Vintage Kicks. It's the only website on the internet to have bathing apes that you could purchase from. And I posted one pair of denim dunks on eBay, and he hit me up through eBay and was like, hey, if you want to sell these, I'll buy them from you for a grand a pop. And I was like, okay, how do you want to do it? And he's like, drive up to New York. This is where I live. I knew the neighborhood. It was like Upper West Side, but not like the greatest. It was getting into Harlem. And I was like, all right, so I had my man German drive with me, right? Because I was like, yo, if this kid's going to stick me up, at least I got backup, right? Nice, and, nice. Uh, so we ended up doing the transaction. It was a clean deal. He gave me cash. Ooh. And that sneaker deal financed my whole move Fuck. to California. That there you my, go. That was my move. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey. That was, it's, Ill. it's very practical, too. And, and I like financed like, my move. That financed like, my first like six months of unemployment out here. <laughs> like, so so when, you, when you got out here yeah. in uh did you didn't live with Rob? You had your own apartment. No, no, I had my own place not too far down the street. Rob lived on Sycamore in Wilshire. Uh, Anthony Van England lived on Orange and like uh, one block below Wilshire. And uh, then I lived in uh, Hancock Park on St Andrews in Wilshire. Oh, so we weren't too far. But Rob, when I moved out here, didn't tell me that he was moving out of L.A. like a month after I moved out here. No way. He was, he was so ashamed because he had this crazy girlfriend at the time. Hopefully it doesn't get bummed at me saying this, but like he had this crazy girlfriend and he kind of felt like the only way they could be in like a, a stable, happy relationship was to get out of L.A. So he mm. moved her to Del Mar. Okay. And like uh, it was part of it. There was some D.C. business that he like needed to tend to and whatnot as well, but that was kind of the primary reason. And so he didn't tell me until the day I got out here. And I was like, I went over to his crib after like I unloaded the van. And he's like, yeah, I'm moving next week. I was like, what? What the fuck? Like, I just you, moved like, here. I, I just got here. Yeah, I was like, you're supposed to have my back. Like, you know what I mean? He was here for like another week. And yeah, and then he bounced to uh, Del Mar. And I was pretty heartbroken about it. So during that time, like you weren't actively even looking for another job. You were just kind of set on, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take time for myself and write. Yeah. And, uh, no, but hold on. And mind you, this is somebody that off the record has spoken about since 18 to 38, my Jesus, two decades <laughs> has not submitted a resume yeah, for better or worse. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So, I, I so just wrote. It's interesting because, you know, you're you're writing this and, you know, Rob leaves, which even puts you in more seclusion, which kind of did, did that feed your writing a little bit. Yeah, it definitely did. It helped because I had more time. I wasn't distracted, obviously, you know, because they like pros like skaters ran Hollywood when I first moved to L.A. It's like wild ran your Hollywood. dream world was running shit. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. Like uh, there was a spot. You know, I don't know if. Uh, all the kitties remember Jay Z dropping "Bubbling at Dublin's," which now is like Wait, run it back. "Bubbling at Dublin's," and uh, it's a uh, Motorola two-way page me and uh, yeah. Dublin's. 
was like the like would would it be kind of the equivalent of like a one oak right now? Wow, like mega hot spot, right? But wow, we, we, this is on sunset. Yeah, history. Exactly. It's right, See, right now, wait, you know that too. Full yeah, Dublin's was the only place you could get in at eighteen years old. Yeah. Dog. Dublin, I, Dublin's I like. You, but I was younger than y'all when y'all were eighteen. Yeah. So, so fuck so, you, so old Dublin's ass. Dublin's looked like a like something that was like a Disneyland to look like it was built to look old. This like motherfucker had like, this crazy no, no, no. architecture to no, it. Yeah. Wait, this motherfucker Joe fooled me. Fool. Uh. And did the Latina anyways snap. Fool. It was the only. Go, so it was Deviate. I feel you. Go ahead. It was, uh, yeah, it was like skaters ran Hollywood and it was just kind of a good thing. I That's wasn't so like going lit. in. I, wasn't, I mean, like I went out here and there, but I wasn't like, like skaters, like you, like skaters are ran shit. Like, we like like there was like if if scare wasn't doing the door at like a popping club and this was like the Brent Bolt House days like this kid eighties Joe from Ohio who was like a skater like ran the door at Dublin's ran the door at Ladue like you know oh what I mean like gosh. like that type shit like the Hills days wow. shit which I'm dating myself hard right no, now. Bro, like, yeah, no, bro. Bro, you no, already that's, told motherfuckers you're 38. You're yeah. not, you're yeah. not who yeah, you don't really get no, a grasp of how old that is. So you're like, yo, you're older than the kids in the hills? Like, you're old. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Nino, you're you know, not who like, we know that you could be that's seven years younger than he is. You feel me? Yeah, yeah I feel oh. you. Like, it's, uh... I want to, I want to dive in, dive into your, to the screenplay because, because I, because I know where it's going. Street Dreams? Yeah. So oh, okay. <sighs> no, but hold on. He's still young. Kubrick, though. No, well, I was no. I was writing. I got a job at the Lermitage Hotel to bartend just on nice. some like keep myself yes. busy because I went through a like I broke up with the girl I moved out to Cali with, and so I was like, you know, you got to stay busy. Um, You've never been a starving artist, so that's the beauty for me. Well, maybe, right? but maybe not. Maybe that was the the missing recipe to the sauce. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like I, I how yeah. dare you say that? Like well, I'll throw I'll throw out your ragu. Well, I did I did starve in a certain sense. Like there was a point where look, like I was so broke, and like when I split up with my ex, like we got an apartment that neither of us could afford alone, but together we could afford it. And then mm. she and I split up. I threw her out of the apartment, and like I was literally like hiding from the landlord. And who ended up being really cool, and he was like this old gay man named Richard, and he was like, hi, and he called me honey all the time. He's like, hey, honey, I know things are bad for you right now. And so he actually went to the property property owners and like made a case for me because they actually, they, they had filed a suit against me. They were going to sue me. We signed a two-year lease. We didn't make it, I think, six months out here. Wild. And it was a $2,700 a month apartment, right? Jesus and uh, they were going to sue me on the difference of the lease. And then they were going to evict me. And I was going to have to pay an eviction fee. And, you know, then be fucked. You have an eviction in LA, you ain't getting, you're never getting a rental. No ever, you know? Your boys so, are signing the lease. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Richard went to bat for me. He got them to drop the case. And actually uh, petitioned, and they let me move into like a studio. But I had a dog. On some Section Eight before Section yeah. Eight. Well, no, because it was a really nice building. It was an old Hollywood building in, in uh, Hancock Park, you know. And so I moved in. It was cheap. It was affordable. I wouldn't say it was cheap, but I had to work, you know. So I was a bartender at a. And the reason why I say that you were never a starving artist wasn't for the literal sense. Is because. Even though your pursuits were creative, you always worked to make yeah, a living. Yeah, 
I, I well, like I told you earlier, is like stability has always been important to me. Like yeah. I'm not a person. Like there's certain people that have personalities that can like get up and like wherever the day takes them, they go, and they don't care if bills are paid because the shit always seems to fall into their favor. That's like, one in a million. I'm still. not that guy, dude. Like I'm the guy that like yeah, if I was to live that lifestyle, I'd be evicted. My car would be taken. They would take my fucking dog from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm just not that guy. So I've kind of learned to like get out in front of that. And deal with it, you know, and it's like, even if it's like a mind on, on a minute level, at least I deal with it, you know? So yeah, I downgraded at the time and I literally moved into, I moved into a studio that you could butt bounce off the corner of my bed onto my couch, butt bounce off of that into the bathroom, onto the toilet and then butt bounce off of that back onto the bed. Wow. And I had two cats and a dog in that space it was a fucking nightmare like the, the litter box was like it was terrible dude. it was awful somehow I, I did all right i partied a lot and still got chicks i don't know how it happened but it did what was the pivot moment for you uh i think the pivotal moment was this i was hanging out and uh i i i used to look there's this website back in the day right it was called scriptsales.com and it was updated every day the end of every day and it had every script that was sold in Hollywood for the most part and as much information as there was available about it. So it would be what it sold for, who the agent was, who the writer was, who the buyer was, a synopsis, if there was a full script or if it was just a pitch and whatever. So um, funnily enough, right when I moved out here, Rob and I kind of quick hastily knocked out like the idea for a TV show, a competition reality show about skating. And this agent... Uh, who was friends with him via Sal Masakela named Courtney Kivowitz had set us up with Carson Daly. And he actually wow. wanted to buy it. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, which was the initial, we used the name Street Dreams, right? And it was my first, I was here for like a week, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Rob was like, yo, like we wrote it out. We wrote the treatment or whatever. Yeah. And Carson's producing partner, who was like this young kid, uh, we met with him. We met with him at the Avalon Hotel. It was like my first mega Hollywood meeting. And like he walked out. He's like, yeah, like let's do it. Like I think it's great. And I walked out like, what? Bam. Like, how, how come it's not this easy for everyone? You know what, what I mean? Like, I? And then yeah. went home. Like my chick, like we fucking had wine. And we're like celebrating. And like my brother was out that weekend. And we were like, he's like, oh my God. Like you make it so easy. And like it's meant to be. And then like that movie, The Grind came out that following weekend. And it was a flop. Well, and I mean, no, yeah, of course, obviously, yeah. but like, nevertheless, and Chad Fernandez, like selling out skating on the realest level and that shit. But like, you know, it was, it came out, it flopped and literally like they didn't pick the phone up like the next week. So what, what's actually interesting too, what year was that? Uh, like 2006? No, it was 03. 03. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. I continue to keep writing. I have the script idea and, uh, you know, I'm developing that and then, uh, script sales.com. I'm looking at it. Right. And so one day I come across it and there was a script and, uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> this is a true story. Bro. I, yeah. Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> I think had, I know about this. Had sold hold on, hold on, a script. Okay. Yes. He had sold a script for 700 grand. I forget what studio bought it about a group of kids that uh, their local skate park was going to get torn down. I read this thing, and I'm like, I call Rob, right? And it's like, it's the most embarrassing, like, 
you know, uh, it's like the Goonies of skateboarding. It's like they're, they're, you know, their fucking skate park's going to be torn down by the big bad developer and they have to figure out how to raise money over one weekend and whatever. And I was like, this sucks. And I'm really offended that someone made $700,000 to do this. Mm. I call Rob and I said, Rob, we have to write a script. And I was like, we can't let this dude get the next crack at skateboarding in Hollywood because it only happens once ever so many years and we always get made to look bad. And so we need to take this into our own hands and make destiny happen. So, uh, he's like, all right, come down. Uh, I go down to Del Mar that weekend. We, we talk about it a little bit. He's into it, whatever. And I was like gung ho, like crazy. Like I was like, all right, this is and on top of that ambitious. So I was like, this is my door in Hollywood type thing. Right. Like, uh, so we end up, uh, talking and then, you know, he's like, uh, you know, let's get it going. Like try and write something. So I wrote the treatment and then ended up like treatments are normally like two to three, maybe like five pages at the most. I ended up writing like a 22 page treatment. Oh, wow. Right. And I was like, cause I was just like in depth and just kind of going with it. And then Rob, I sent it to Rob and then he's, he kind of like sends back notes. And a lot of it, what Rob did was like, he kind of sprinkled like his experiences in there. You know, which helped steer like it kind of like revert. Like it started out as it's not like it started out as an action flick and ended up a love story. It wasn't sure, that dramatic. It was so just right. like a thing of like you know it had certain elements and then we started adding like a rivalry. Like the rivalry comes from like you know between Paul P Rod's character and Rob's character is actually really based with this early pro skater named Mark Heinzman and Rob. Oh, you know, and then like with the girlfriend and the rivalry of his girlfriend and the father was. Uh, that was actually like Rob's first real girlfriend, oh, like wow. true love experience when he was a kid, you oh, know? So, and then all the rest of the stuff I kind of filled in and tried to make it as like as close to the skate experience as possible, you know? And so, uh, he splits up with the girl from Del Mar. He moves to Carlsbad and he had this really sick house. It was really nice. And so I finally had called it quits with my girl. Like we were back and forth, back and forth. And then I, then he was like, look, just come live with me and let's, write the script you know so i was like all right let's do it you know so i moved down we lived there for i lived there for six weeks maybe two months oh, and, wow. and, and it was like a job it was sick dude it was like we were living together and like i would get up and it was like coffee in the morning and like i have notes out and then he had to go skate and shoot a photo for dc so he'd go do that and i wasn't really skating that much at the point like i would go out every once in a while but i was way into like riding at that point so yeah. like he'd go out and i would write while he was out it was like a job you yeah know? and we were like locked into his crib we would just go to dinner and then come back and write until both of us fell asleep and then but, like get but up can, and like, can I, can I, like he was also that kind of guy where like it was a job but you also felt good doing it because yeah. he was also that guy that was immersed even though he came back from skating. Oh, dude, we had a, like, let me tell what, you, man. It was, we had Bob a is, blast man. riding. It yeah. was so much fun because we were also, you got to understand, dude, we were going through like pretty terminal heartbreak, both that, of us. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, he was, like, we were like really in it, dude. Like, we were both like really bummed out about our uh, girls. Like, I moved, I was with a girl for seven years at that point, six wild, years, five years, bro. whatever. Like, we split up, like, Rob was with this girl that he was like deeply in love with. They split up, and now it's like he's got this new huge crib. And y'all are and two like, low key lover boys too. No, like you know we you know we're dudes. Like we're when we're in relationships, we're in them. You know what I mean? So it's like you don't you don't just get out of it. It doesn't just disappear that way. Hundred percent. I mean? like, yeah. So you know we 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 treated it serious, and like I really wanted it. It's like Rob could clearly afford. Even at that point, he was very well off, so it was like he could afford to do nothing. 
I didn't want to continue fucking bartending. I was like, man, like I'm trying to buy a house too. It's so like, beautiful you know? to see like the, the, the duality of those worlds, but both of y'all like ambition was the same. Hell yeah. There's a reason yeah. like, like shout out to everybody like that's on that wants to like, and I'll make a note of it. Just knowing who Rob is and, and seeing the scenario, right? Every young kitty in this game is like, yo, I just want my friends to come on and like be on and like like we just gotta all do it together. They Assu- don't, but that doesn't mean uh, going no, to look, parties no, look, and Assumption clubs. being made here is this. Rob, even at that time, was the type of dude where if a motherfucker wasn't adding value, he would have left you without a breath towards that. And that's just him knowing that like he's got big shit on his mind. Yeah. Like Nino, you you were you went from like skate world to writing scripts then, but like you were still in skate and also you had a voice and you were a voice that could really like direct like position it well, right? And 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 give like that perspective well, right? And even though Rob was going off doing his thing, you could have sat there and just been like, Whoa, I'm here. But you were putting in work. Yeah, and Rob 100%. also wasn't the guy that was like, oh, great. No, Rob would have left the motherfucker that wasn't putting in work. Yeah, I was Rob trying to is write myself in work. Yeah, I was trying to write myself out of a studio apartment. Is what yes. I was trying to do. Like, okay. yes. I yeah. writing my way into a one bedroom. Like, that was better yes. than a studio. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he yes. Like, it, it, he knew and, that and, and you being, knew that. Being a skater, coming from a humble background, like, Rob's not like an arrogant dude. Like, no. he's not like, now that he has, though, he's not like, I don't know who you are when he yeah. recognizes people in the struggle. Like, he gets it. You you know what I mean? He's he's still for like even in his like he has his own struggles. You know they're just Off on a top, grander bro. scale. Yes, you know? it's like he's he you people like him still are like dealing with like there's a dude that's richer than him that's in more power than him that holds the keys to the next door that he's got to walk through. Like it's no different. You know, mm-hmm. so he, you know, it was a, it was an interesting time and we had a really good time and we wrote it and then we gave it to this agent once again and uh, we actually got. A, in the early days, we got a soft offer from MTV. Oh wow! Wild. Yeah, and were uh, they still music television or were they fuckboys? Well, then? no, no, it was like, music television. Yeah, it was. This was like '04, probably, and like Rob, wow. there was no Robin Big, like wasn't even on the table. No, like, no, Rob, no. Rob, 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 literally, I shit you not. Yeah. Like Rob's ambition at that time was he was he was a pro skater. He was skating pretty regularly at that time, filming for a video part. And what he was doing is he was designing footwear at DC. And he actually learned how to design footwear. And so he was designing. And what Rob did was Rob didn't want to design the coolest, best shoe. What Rob did is he just wanted to design the best selling shoe. And at one point, yo, at one point in time, Rob had more shoes in the DC line than any of their top designers. (laughs) Like it was like, it was something I think it was like a 60 or an 80, 80 skew line. And Rob had 30. Can we take a moment of silence for this genius though? Yeah, it was incredible, dude. It was incredible. And that's where he was also the, like that period of time I lived there was the inception of the first skate plaza wow. the deer deck foundation all of it like it was all starting like and the seeds were all there this fucking house in fucking carlsbad california you wow know? like the most cracker ass like white it's it's like honkyville usa like, yeah. on the west coast you know what i mean it's fucking incredible like everyone's drinking starbucks everyone has a tan and everyone's blonde for some reason you don't know why it's just like that's just the way it is so uh we wrote it 
uh, MTV gave us the offer, and basically the deal was this, which it was uh, Courtney. Her name was Courtney Kivowitz, who was like she was a crafty, cool, young. I don't know what she does now. I'm, I'm assuming she was good at what she did. So That's I'm a shitload of cuz. Yeah, she's probably still in entertainment. I would assume somewhere, but she was good to us. Like she was a friend of Rob's, and believed in at least the project at the time. So uh, she came back to us. And she's like, "Here's MTV's deal. They want to buy it." And that's it. And she was like, they will kick you off the project. They'll give you a shot at doing a rewrite, but they're going to kick you off probably. That's what's going to happen. Oh. It may or may not get made. So she goes, Rob, you have the money. You don't care. Nino, you're broke. Mm. So this is like two she very... She laid good, it out. Yeah, yeah. She was like, this is two varying well, opinions. You're a superstar though. Yeah, no, she was honest. She was straight up, you know, dead ass, like a pair of Tim's on the beach. Like, you know what I mean? She was real and like hit us with it. And so... We decided against it, and we rolled the dice. So, um, you know, it took us some time, and uh, I went back to bartending and, you know, was back in L.A. full-time and still kind of just going back and forth, hanging out. Like, we were doing rewrites and stuff, but, like, nothing super serious and just kind of got back to just, you know, business as usual. And uh, that's when ice cream happened with Pharrell. So that happened when you were mid-writing Street Dreams. How'd that happen? Um, well, when I moved out here, I told him I was leaving, uh, New York and what happened and he was pretty offended and like, was like on some like ride or die friendship shit and was like, I won't fuck with them ever again type mm-hmm. shit, which was okay. really honorable to me. Wow. And, uh, especially for a dude on the trajectory at that point, he was like, this was still like, so beyond white hot. Like, I don't know if there's a word beyond white hot, but whatever it was, he was, you know, like it's a test of you guys. I mean, it shows the relationship that you guys had. So funnily enough, he had pitched, he had been pitching ice cream around when I first met him, but it was very like different. Like he was like, yo, I want to do like Louis Vuitton print shoes, but with a brain on it. He wanted to do the NERD brain graphic. Got it. And believe it or not, there was actually a handful of companies that he had gotten far enough down the road to where they sampled stuff for him. Awesome. Yeah. So like, and he met with everyone, dude. Like they were like, he was just cool. He was like really popular at that point and like started meeting with everyone. So I didn't take offense to it or anything. It just like, I knew it wasn't going to go down like that at zoo. So then I leave. He's like, I won't fuck with them anymore. And we were still friends. And I would always go by the studio. He worked at the studio called a uh, record plant. Yeah. You're not. And, uh, yeah over, right. yeah, over in Hollywood yeah. off of a sycamore. And yeah. so I would always go there and he was like, yo, like I'm still going to do it, like whatever. And he was like, yo, and like, you know, as it kind of, I clearly, he was probably talking to Reebok at the time. He was like, yo, it's serious now. Bathing Ape was popping. Like now there's a bit more of an identity to attach it to. And like he, uh, <laughs> funnily enough, called me, right? I got a phone call when I like four in the morning, my phone was blowing up, like Uh, blowing up. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was him, it was Pharrell. And I'm like, what's up? And he was like, Nina? Excuse me? (laughs) Nina? And I was like, no. I was like, Pharrell? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what's up, dude? It's four in the morning. He's like, oh shit, I'm in Paris. He's like, I thought you were this girl, Nina. He's like, but yo, I got to talk to you anyway. He's like, call me later when you Shut get up. What the fuck? Yeah, up. dude, dead serious, man. And yeah. he called me, or I call. I don't remember. He called me, I called him, whatever. And like, whenever I got up later, because he literally called me at four in the morning, like kept blowing me up. Like it was clearly someone he wanted to talk to. And uh, Paris time. And so uh, he told me all about it. He's like, it's time. And I was, I was like 
so down. I was ready. You know what I mean? I was so tired of working as a bartender and getting like, you know, I, I enjoyed the experience and like talking to people and getting to know like random people in a hotel where wealthy people hang out and interesting. But like, man, like I was done. I was like, fuck, this is a godsend. Like I'm ready to go. But then he tells me that and I start going to all these meetings and they were still very kind of green to how business worked, like him and his manager and everything. So they, uh, they were like, you know, they were taking me to all these weird meetings and I wasn't getting paid and I was getting frustrated because I'm like, so yo. What, like, what was kind of your role with, and what was, what was ice cream at that point? Ice cream was nothing. Okay, so it was like this, it was an idea? Yeah, it was an idea and a a, a much more refined idea, but an idea nonetheless. And And what was your role in that to kind of He was just like, he wanted me to put together a skate team. Okay. Because at this time too, now we're talking post-NERD album, a year later, year and a half later, and now it's like, he's cool, right? Like the Rockstar video happened, he had like Muska and a bunch of skaters in it, and then skaters are starting to get into Hollywood, so they're bumping into him at places, and he's cool. Yeah. You know, so it's like they're like they're like talking, and you know, he's like, you know, he's a dude that'll like talk to people and he's smart and he feels people out. So he's talking to pro skaters, like, I'm doing this. And they're like, he doesn't know the politics and the way that skateboarding works in the industry. So he's just like, I'm starting a footwear brand with this new company. And, or sorry, like, I'm starting a new company and it's with Reebok, you know. And so now they're hearing like dollar signs. So a lot of skaters were hunting him down. He's like, yo, I need you to help me filter through this and put a team together. Yeah. And like, you know, there was one skater at the time who was a very big skater who no longer, you know, he's respect to what he's done, but he was, he's kind of clown himself along the way from like attaching himself too much to people like Paris Hilton and stuff like that. And who was like, yeah, man, like you just got to pay me like $2 million a year and I'll do it. And it was like, fuck you, dude. Like you're taking advantage of this guy. Like he doesn't know any better. That's why you're doing it. And this is like my friend. So I stepped in and gladly took on the role, but I wasn't getting paid at first, you know, mm-hmm. and he was like taking me all these high level meetings and stuff. And he just knew he wanted to do a video and skate videos really sold well back then. Like mm-hmm. the DC video sold something. I don't know. Like shit. I think it was like a hundred, 150, maybe 200,000 copies at like 30 bucks a pop, Yeah, you know, which is three times a CD, you know? So that thing was basically financially certified platinum in the music industry's eyes. And yeah. he was like, whoa, like, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, like that's crazy. I can do this, you know? So he wanted to do that. And, uh, we took a different approach where, you know, like I said, he wanted to put together an all black team and I kind of pushed back where I was like, look, like it doesn't, there's no impact on that in skating. He's like, but ultimately like, he's like, I, I don't care about that. Like I want kids in the hood to see that there's another option that skaters have a good time. They travel the world, they make money. And this is another Avenue besides trying to be a basketball player. It's Mm. much more accessible and cooler and fun, you know, and it's attached to this other stuff, you know, like they get girls and all this stuff, like all the things that you would, you know, as a kid you want to do, you know, he wanted to show possibility. Absolutely. And And so I was, I I was short sighted. I want not. No, you weren't at all. No, you weren't at all. You know why? Because like you already knew that in this skating culture, color was not an issue yeah it's just like when you're in the second grade you don't know that ji Young kim who like you're cool with is korean yeah you also don't know that deray johnson is black yeah yeah like, you don't make that yeah. association absolutely in the skating culture you respect like this is what i want to ask you like you made the point you fought for it then right but you also had Pharrell tell you what his thought was as to why he wanted to do that. He wanted to show his people 
He wanted to show the community, right, that all of this exists and it could be solely for you. Yeah. You also knew that in that culture, being as true to it as you've always been, being as fuck you to those times, to the motherfucker that had the decommissioned fucking uh, blast off on, yeah. right? <laughs> is that you knew that in terms of the culture, in terms of like anthropologically, like understanding it, that didn't, that point didn't need to be made. Yeah. Right? Was there pushback? Was there pushback? From his want for that, or did you, no, just, no, or no, did no. you accept his vision for that yeah. and run with it? Yeah, I knew. I, I mean, I knew he was just he wanted to do what he wanted to do. But I mean, I asked him to meet me halfway, which is how Jimmy Garecki ended up on the team. Because mm. Jimmy was my youngin from Philly, right? Like I've known hey, Jimmy yo, since he was fourteen. Can, can I just tell you this? I love Jimmy Garecki to death. I don't know him at all, <laughs> right? I know him through this digital yeah. world. And mostly through JSP. Yeah. And I've seen his ascent. And, yo, shout out to your shoe company you're doing right now, bro. That's lit. Yeah. And right? Gainer. Is it number nine? No, it's no one. No one. Yeah. There it is. But or number like, one, depending upon how you want to done. say it. Yeah. But, like, this is my thing. I actually saw Jimmy at a Soda Pops. And just like you, when you were... Um, when you had that moment where you like, where you met the dude and you were like, "Yo, you want to go out tonight?" Yeah. Just at that moment, I literally like was like, "Damn, Jimmy's there." I'm in Soda Pops. I know Dave, the owner, because I've been going yeah. there with David then. I literally just went up to him. I was like, "Yo," he looked at me. And mind you, Jimmy is one of the most like. This is somebody that doesn't know him as well. Jimmy is one of the most like, organic and human of all human being dudes yeah. on the planet Earth. And I could just tell that, right? But I walked up to him and I was like, bro, look, like what you're doing for this culture, what you stand for is just so lit. Forgive me for interrupting. I just wanted to let you know that, right? Yeah. I can't remember who the fuck he was with, but he just was like, yo, cool. Like, because I'm a random dude. Like, what, what else could he say, right? I mean... But, in that moment, dog, it's just like, bro, like, when you got to say it, you got to say it. Yeah. And shout out to the fact that it was him that was the one exception because I can't even think about, and I'm juvenile to the skating world, I could not think about anybody that would fit that mold of the one albino yeah. in, the, in, the sea of, <laughs> in, the, in the sea of Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Right, yeah, that could fit in and be a mocha chocolate. Yeah, he, you know, right? but, with, no, but with his Latin roots, though, you yeah, feel well, me? He's, he's, you know, blue. He's actually not Latin. He's half Polish, half Italian. Respect. Yeah, Again, so, I'm wrong. Like, no, like, no, like he's, he, but you know what? Fell. You know what? The, more so than anything, this is the thing. Is like I, speaking of pivotal moments, right? Like I watched Jimmy fight through the ranks in Philly. You know what I mean? I don't know if he's even aware of... He had a very... He had literally had a very life-defining moment when we were kids. Okay. Which was... Jimmy used to come from the suburbs, right? Like, Jimmy's not from Philly. Sorry, Jimmy. I'm about to expose you, but... uh, All love. He's from Norristown, which would be the equivalent of claiming that you're from Compton and, and actually you're from Calabasas. That's about how far... <laughs> wow, really? So, like, I, not to hate, but that's really what it is. Yeah. He's about... No. It's about... Norristown's like a good 45 minutes north of Philly, right? But Norristown's also got its own. It's 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 a hood little area. Like it's not like he grew up in like the rich suburbs. It's just that he grew up. It's not Philly, 
which is funny because I run into people and they're like, no, Jimmy Garecki's Philly. You're not Philly. And I'm like, yo, I grew up on Broad Street. Like, come on. Like, I'm literally like, I could have walked yeah. to the stadiums. Like, He's from Atherton. Y'all like forgetting the, that? Yeah, like this kid's literally. But, you know, he, he it's nonetheless, Jimmy's a Philly kid. It doesn't yes. change anything. Yes. So he used to come to Philly, right? I met him through my friend's skate shop out in the suburbs. And How old were you when you first met him? 18. He was 14. <laughs> Yo, and like, and straight up, nothing's changed. He's still annoying as fuck. Respect. <laughs> he was like the first time I met him. This kid was trying to get me to give him my shoes. He was <laughs> no, like, I had no sample DCs nice. on my feet, and he was like, Yo, give me your shoes. Give me your shoes. Give me your shoes. Give me your shoes. And I just was like, skate out. Friends, like, give me your shoes. Give me your shoes. And I get him, giving them to him. So, no, can, no, can I ask you this? Because like again, <laughs> just like the accident, fucking murderers. Again. What what was it about him? Because like even in that time, like I get it. He ripped and he was cool. What boom? Like that was it. Like he just he. Because for somebody like him to give him his shoes, and for the dude to be annoying off rip, and he knows that it's not like the dude just texting me. And at that point, I was like pretty well. Like I could get free shit, and I was felt pretty lucky, and so it wasn't hard to like. Yeah, it wasn't hard to. It wasn't hard to like get product if I needed it. So it was yeah. no big deal for me to like get yeah. a kid a pair of shoes, especially when you fuck kid. with dude. Yeah. So, you know, nevertheless, but he had like, I watched him fight through the ranks where like he would come down on the weekends and, you know, the Love Park was a very territorial place. And so you were a kook if you came from the suburbs. And he would come and like, you know, people just kind of, it's not that they didn't fuck with him. It's just like they didn't really socialize with yeah. him, you know, and like no one, vi- like they vibed him, but not like, did, did bad. his, did his grit, and did his like tenacity? I think it's get tenacity because grit, grit. If you say grit, that kind of constitutes that he was aware. I don't think he was even aware of it. I um, think he just put his head down and skated. You know what I mean? He kind of skated his way through it. But like, it was his moment, right? That Jimmy had. Holla at me, dog. There was a let or a, a rail across the street from there. Was a building called the Municipal Building, right? And it was this rail, and it's a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a hollow rail square. Right, and uh, it was uh, aluminum. When it was aluminum, it was really sticky to skate. Right, if you try and grind it, you try and slide. It's sticky. It's this fucking huge rail. You have to ollie up really high to get on it. But it's also eleven long stairs. Like you are committed. And if you stick, you're getting pitched like twenty feet to your back, right, or your face, one way or another. It's bad. And he was the first person that ever backside lip slided. I remember skating, and there was a. Uh, Everyone's like, oh my God, like, and they call it, they used to, sorry, Jimmy, once again, they used to call it, Jimmy's nickname was the jock at Philly because he was always wearing like warm up pants and he was kind of like buff because he was a, he was a Greco Roman wrestler. Damn. That was his thing. And uh, he did that like, I guess in school and then he was doing it in college. And uh, so everyone nicknamed him the jock. And they were like, yo, the jock's going to backside lip slide municipal. And we were <laughs> like, oh shit. So everyone went and I'm talking like 150 kids stopped skating and went lip slide and sat and watched him he tried it three times I believe don't quote me on it but nevertheless he ended up doing it and that was the moment where he was like instantaneously accepted he got sponsored like a week later like you know he was getting hooked up but he wasn't sponsored and then he's like sponsored and it's like everything changed that was like a life defining moment for him and it also became what in this at this period of time there's this video called 411 that used to come out it was a 411 opener I believe which was like an epic thing. If you got an opener, it was like epic. Like you were just like the illest dude ever. It's like a four on one opener is like the ultimate level of attention at that time in skateboarding, you know? And uh, I want to hit him yeah. with that right now. Let me know if I can send that. Because yeah. I'm DMing, I don't have a number. 
Yeah, that's sick. Cool. Yeah, he's gonna get a kick out of it, you know. But he like, you know, that was a huge life defining moment that led to ultimately me putting. He got he was riding for New York, and I put him <coughs> on ice cream. And I mean, dude, we traveled the whole world together, you know, Tokyo, Barcelona, like coast to coast on the country, like numerous times. Like, you know, that was that was life defining shit. You know? So when when ice cream started to develop, <coughs> and those meetings when did the, those meetings where you weren't getting paid turn into like your job uh it took it took a little bit and pharrell <coughs> pharrell ultimately uh was like you know what fuck this it's not moving fast enough for me so i'm just gonna pay everyone out of my pocket and he actually took it upon himself he paid us the whole time ice cream was happening <coughs> this is something that's not out there and i swear to god i hope bobby hundreds hears this fucking shit Ooh. uh Everyone hated on Pharrell really hard, right? In skateboarding. It was like a big deal. Really? Well, yes, well, they there hated was, on him. There was like the, uh, you remember, so there was, there was Topher, no, but hold on. Topher and Todd Terso. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to say, what were you going to say? There was the stigma always with Pharrell that he wasn't yeah. a skater. Yeah. Like okay. that was Skateboard the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. And so, so, with that being said, because to be honest, like, even shout out to Lupe and kicking and pushing. No, fuck right? Lupe. No but, no, but hold on. I feel you. I, I respect like, that. Right, I'm saying this. It's beautiful because you know what's wild to me thinking about it is that even with Pharrell always saying skateboard P, yeah, right. I've never even like tried to fucking use that as a benchmark. Like Wayne skating now, yeah. I'm looking at him. I'm like, bro, like what the fuck? Well, hey, look, well man, one, well, t- one Pharrell did <laughs> skateboard. He that's, did. That's the thing. He did, but like this is the thing. This is what I would say to the people I would get into conversation with about. It. I'd be like, look, man, you produce Rump Shaker at 17 years old, and someone puts a path for you. He says, you go keep kick flipping a parking lot, or you follow this path that just yeah. put more money in your pocket than you've ever seen in your life. What are you gonna do? No, but look, you're gonna you, fucking no, Rump Shaker look. your ass right out of Virginia into yeah. being Pharrell I mean, Williams, who you are. Teddy no, Riley, it's, it's, it's Teddy not Riley even a Teddy thing, Riley yeah. only gave him a car for that. No, no, no. I know the story. Trust me, it wasn't a car. It wasn't. Even, it was less than a car. It was. Let me tell you, it was less than a car, but it was still more money than he had ever made it. Done. Yeah. Perfect. That I mean, that's all that matters. Perfect. Someone handed me that money. I'm gonna do whatever they tell me to do. But, right. Period. Yeah. So, but, nevertheless, I mean, his, like his career's music. What yeah, it boiled down to is, at that time, we we took it upon ourselves to defend him to skateboarding. We felt very personally invested because, look, I did the budget every month. I know how much this guy paid us out of his pocket. And, yeah. and at the time, it was pennies. But those pennies could have gone to, I don't know, a fucking cousin or another car sure. or another watch or whatever. It didn't have to go to these kids. I mean, the guy financed everything. He financed our salaries. He financed our trips. He financed the whole budget for the video. We had an extra crew come along. We had a pre-famous Jason Goldwatch filming us, taking photos of us. Like... Why did he do that for y'all? Because he was a part of a... Who, Pharrell? Yeah. Because he believed in what was but, going on. But you know, you were at the helm, right? Yeah. And he believed in it. Dude, he sent... He paid for 25... Nobody else would have done that, right? Probably, in probably not on that level. Hell no. No, it's expensive, man. Like, he... Look, I, I, I won't start spitting too much information out, but, like, look, here's the deal. When we went to Tokyo, right? Let me put it in perspective. Yeah. We went to Tokyo. For the opening of the ice cream store. Word. He sent, it was, there's six team riders. There was me. It was like four filmers. One of the guys from DEF CON who was kind of like an unnecessary person, but he was like a producer, quote unquote. Yeah. 
and uh, like two or three photographers from Transworld Skateboarding because we were trying to. So you're looking at like 15 people, 12, 15 people, right? To fly to Tokyo, round trip from Los Angeles, all their per diems that transfer over to the Japanese yen and hotel rooms for everyone. Just that alone, not including the salaries that and were being paid for that month. And it wasn't recoupable in the industry no, sense. No, fuck no, dude. And like this guy was paying that shit. Yeah. And it's like, and then people are beating this guy up like he's not real. It's like, yo, no company like is putting this out. And like, yeah. and, and that was like what infuriated us, especially when the hundreds in the early MySpace days, they took the uh, Reebok ad that we did with Pharrell chilling with the team. And I remember specifically, we shot it in Miami yeah. Christmas Eve. And he asked me, he's like, should I be in the ad? And I said, absolutely, you should yeah. be. Because I, said, of do not hide. I said, do not hide from this. I was like, you're doing this? Don't uh, hide. I was like, even if people talk shit, don't hide from it. Word. You don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, like you have a back out plan. That's like, own wild. this shit. So uh, the hundreds took it and they took the photo of the team and Pharrell chilling and they did please make him stop behind it in words. Wow. And I was like, dude, I was furious. Like, I like called, I didn't know who they were. And I called, I remember I called my friend Alex. I was like, who are these fucking hundreds guys? And he was like, oh, don't worry about them. They're just some fucking kooks or whatever. They went on to become prominent. And Bobby has actually kind of used it as like this weird marketing point, even though I know it's total horseshit. But like, it bothered us because yeah. this guy provided for us. Yeah. He was, he, you know, no one was doing that. But like, you know, put that money up. That it could take care of 10 family members a month, if not more. You know what I mean? Like, fuck that. Like, and they were attacking our dude, like our boss, our friend. Like, of course we're going to come after you, especially Terry, who was coming from Long Beach, who was like gang affiliated. Like, you best believe that kid's going to run up and fucking call you out. Like, yeah, no way, Especially dude. in like some like TK who's like legit as fuck too. It's yeah, just like, like, you know, it was like a serious issue. And that's why Terry took the photo burning the 100 shirt and like, you know, it wow. was all that stuff. And it was like, you know, it seems kind of trivial in the past, but dude, we really were like very emotionally attached to it at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were getting, we knew how special the experience was that we were getting to share with him. Like when you go to Tokyo and you get picked up by Nigo. Yeah. And you're going to Nigo's house and you're staying in nice hotels that like not skate dirtbag hotels and you're skating and you're doing what you're supposed to do. But at the same time, you're getting to like toe dip in this crazy world, like going and like, you know, going to award shows and all this stuff. And then like, you got to go fucking not like cricket grind a ledge the next day. It's pretty sick, you know, unique. And, and so when people attacked him, we felt like they were attacking us. You know, that's the way it was. And we're like, I'm going to fucking knock you out if you talk shit, you know? And, like, we really felt the need to defend him. And that's even why there was such that, like, you know, even as bad as it was when they went in on Lupe on that Kick Push Pass song, it was like, yo, dude, like, you're clearly jumping on our train. Yeah. Like, we are the ones taking the black eye and skateboarding for everyone talking shit about hanging out with a rapper. And now you're going to be, like, Kick Push on a skate. Get out of here, you know what I mean? Like, and, of course, it's like, you know, and it, it, it was such a mix of things too because it was like also bringing skateboarding to pop culture bringing skateboarding yeah, yeah. to hip hop culture which even though hip hop was prominent through it it wasn't really a part of hip hop culture in terms of the pop sense in terms of the, the yes. viewers audience so like there was like that weird fucking like everything came together and of course when that happens there's going to be that backlash but I mean when you break it down yeah Pharrell was doing something amazing with a lot of credibility a fucking great team and doing something huge for the 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 sport and um for for just skateboarding in general. Yeah, and 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 and, and it was so fucking genuine, man. Like and it's kind of cool, you know, it, like yeah. I you know, it was a long time ago. That was almost 11 years ago, but like there's cool remnants of it and like at the time like I didn't none I, no one knew what we were doing. And when the video came out, I was kind of unhappy with it because I didn't feel like everyone had the time they needed to film the proper part. But once again, like 
that was my perspective as a guy coming from skateboarding, the skateboard industry and kind of what you felt like you needed to do and like go through to make the right video. And for real, it's much more about like presenting a grander picture to kids and people via like, you know, the video had a much more larger scope to it than I was looking at. So, you know, now it's like, you know, like a kid like Sage who rides for F.A., you know, who is owned by Jason Dill now, like Dill is the company, old man company owner. And, you know, like this kid stage is like talking about how those kids got like that video got inspired him to start skating. Like that's sick. That's dope to me. You know what I mean? Like I, even though I was a very minute part of it, I kept it on the rails. Those dudes were the ones skating, you know, and like really keeping it together and whatnot. But like, you know, I just, I was just the babysitter throughout the whole thing, you know, it was an amazing experience, you know, like we were very close to having a TV show at one point in time, like MTV bought a TV show from us, you know, it just ended up falling apart before we ever got to shoot it. But like, you know, there was this really cool moment that like, I don't know, skateboarding has had anything like that since then, you know, there's people that have tried to like, what year was that again? Shit. I think that was so uh, like Oh six. See what was interesting too, at the time that, like you also have to see with skateboarding and pop culture was like that was also the time where Lords of Dogtown came out. Yes. And like <sighs> you had Dogtown and Z Boys, the documentary, and then you had like Lords of Dogtown, which was like the Hollywood like glorified stuff. Even though I, I, I it was actually kind of tight. That that one was kind of tight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, watch the documentary first, and then you know watch the movie. But like I, I, I enjoyed the movie too. I thought it was it was a cool perspective on it, but. What skateboarding was during that time, again, it's the perfect storm. Like you had it hitting on like big major films, talking about like the history of skateboarding. You had yeah. it in hip hop culture with someone like Pharrell, who's yeah. huge. Um, it was really transcending in that like mid 2000s. I, I think there was a massive culture shift in that period of time, like kind of started bubbling in yeah. 2001, 02, but I think it finally like, 06, 07, 08 is where it cemented itself and that's where like the seed the seeds were getting forced into the ground at that time and now it's kind of germinated in this whole thing but like culture for oh god worst word ever but um like culture for us being Fuck like you clothing for worst word ever though it is it's you the worst what, man know, it's like culture know. like like what is culture like what do you talk about you talk about clothes you talk about skateboarding you talk about rap you talk about it all you talk about instagram like who, who knows what the fuck these people are talking about anymore we just know that like when you say culture like, you're just trying to connect with people about something. That's it. And the, the reality, because it's got no weight to it. That's okay. the problem. There's people that are out there saying culture that look like have nothing to do with anything that the word culture really has to do Absolutely. with. Absolutely. But do you know why I spout on you for that? Is because I'm somebody that, like, actually has an affinity for culture. I'm also somebody that, like, after, like, a rebirth of sorts... Mm-hmm understands that if I want to even have the audacity to say that I want to push the culture forward, yeah, I know that I need to dive into it. I need to talk to it. I need to feel it. I need to challenge it. I need to fucking understand You have to exist it. in it. All the other stuff yes, is coming. But all those things are literally components of existence. Yeah. I feel you. But the reason why I'm saying why I'm spouting on you for that is is because your disdain for the word culture, right? Being that you've been around on your ascent as you've been living, being that you've dealt with vultures yeah. off top, right? 
I've had the like literally I've literally substituted culture with community in my in my speak. I I, I don't I, I look fair enough. And fair I get enough. it. But this is this is what I I believe, right? I think culture is something that exists in a vacuum. Okay. And 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 if you're in that vacuum, you don't recognize that it's culture because guess what? It's just what you do when you get up in the morning. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Like I don't believe that kids like play like the kids that are moving what you call quote unquote culture at the moment, being a Playboy Cardi or a Brendan Fowler who's doing like like you know a lot of ill stuff with like T-shirts and like art right now. And like there's a lot of intersections going on. I don't believe any of these people get up and say I'm gonna do like they don't use the word culture. They just get up and they live. They don't. But like do, like. But and, do you and, think? And, they, like in the back of their minds, let's say even like from, a, like from an anthropological point, please, it's culture, right? But but I believe that anyone that looks at it and calls it culture is not truly a part of it. I completely get it. That's that's just like anybody saying, "Yo, let's network." Like you look at them, like you're a fuckboy. Yeah, like it's like what? Well, right, here, just ask for my phone you number. You know what? Like, I get that completely, which is why I understand like the delicate nature of using that, yeah. even though I stand behind that. And at the same time... No, but I know you care. That's yeah. the difference. Like, I'm sitting here and I know you care, yeah. which changes everything. But I don't... Like, I think a lot of people that say the word culture, yeah. like, they don't come from what they're talking about. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And I think they're full of shit. Absolutely. And that's the I thing. Is like, is like, unfortunately, what happens now is you have, like I said, like, things... Like, the, the word culture and what people believe is... The, the, the action, the existence of the word culture is something that lives in a vacuum. Respect. And, and beyond I, I that... respect that. And beyond that, it's like you... If, you, if you're if you throwing the word around, like, you, you're, you're just more, like, observing what's going on. You're not actually really a part of it. And it's like... It, it's it's a thing of, like, the... the, the it's the it's the ready made Googleable world that you live in right now, which is the Absolutely. problem is, and I'm not trying to be the guy that's sitting on my you know my rocking chair. I mean, like not we used to have to work no. so hard no. to be who we were, but it's like the problem is, is most kids aren't really living through much anymore. But the ones that are, are the culture, and they're not saying the word culture. You know what I you love? Know? You know what I love about what you just said right there, and it all comes down to the usage of the word love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because as men in this world, like there's a lot of fuck boy, little promoter boys right now. Yeah. yeah that like will literally take a bitch to God, boa. Yeah. If I see one more fucking club promoter in Chelsea boots and ripped black jeans and a striped shirt, I'm going to fucking shoot myself. I feel you. <laughs> like, hey, but look, I hope the gun is blanks because you're, you're going to see a lot more of those fuck boys. Oh, uh, it doesn't stop. But this is the biggest thing with that, right? Is like for a man to tell a woman, let's take it back to like, Darwinistic days, yeah. right? If you're a man and you're going to tell a woman that you love her, you have an understanding of the depth of what love is. There's gravity right? to it, absolutely. And then being that we've lived in this scene and in, in, in this world, we've also seen those guys that literally are lying to a little impressionable chicky. Yeah. And know that they have no fucking grounds to do that. Yeah. Like if they talk to us, they'd get bitch slapped. Yeah. But when they talk to her, it's like, yo, baby, yeah. let me tell you everything I want you to hear. That's the culture vulture, right? Yeah. And I get why culture can have so much distaste because it's been fucking literally gentrified and inverse inversely butt fucked. Yeah. And it's like, what's the meaning anymore? Yeah. Right. And I can respect that, but it's like, 
at the end of the day, this culture exists. Yeah. For those that care about it, let, let's make the preface here now is that when we speak about culture from this point forward, is that it exists in, in, in three people sitting at the table understands what it is. Yeah, and we appreciate that the fuckboys don't. I'm I'm with you. I just if it's a it's a it's just a I guess it's just you know final comments is it's like a kind of a frustrating thing I guess to like hear because I see it I see it more I want to say it's like a it's like a 70 30 65 35 like being abused versus really just being genuine about absolutely it, you know? and that's what Agreed. bothers me more because the reality is is like now uh, the landscape is kind of even and like there's young kids that are making as fast and powerful moves as like the adults that are surrounded us, right? Like yeah. we have friends that like own clothing companies that have grinded through. You know Dean Andres, those guys are like there's they're they're fucking vets. fifteen years yeah. of battle hardened vets. And then you have Anik who's done antisocial, who's literally made millions of dollars in the last couple of years. You know what I mean? And it's like Neek is tight. Like he's a dope kid, man. Like, Can I ask smart. you something? Can I ask you something? Without even like let's look at all of these things as equal, right? Mm-hmm. No even judgment to Nick. No even like somebody else's perspective. This is me asking Nino for his viewpoint on a scenario presented to him. Nick is somebody that had a love for whatever the fuck his creative expression was, Uh right? And in this day and age, being as real to him as he was, he caught a fucking rocket ship. Yeah. He caught an Elon Musk without going through all of the losses and, and the gains and all of everything that he has. He caught the win without going through three divorces, right? D and Andres at the, in the same breath, right? Yeah. Were young kids that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They got fucked over back and forth. They caught breaks back and forth. They had the grit to go through the fucking lonely times and the fucking on top of the world times and have... 15 years fucking later, right, position themselves to be able to hit literally an intergalactic Grand Slam. Yes, 100%. Right? At the end of the day, when you look at these cats, right, mm-hmm. and especially with, with, with like those two in comparison, I feel like even though knowing that culture has changed and even though knowing that times have changed, yeah, right, and you of all people know very well that they have, it's still all things are equal there. Yeah, well, I look, I say it like this, man. Because like there's so looking, many others, at, there's so many others that don't yeah. deserve that. You're looking at like, this is what you're looking at. You're looking at a pharmacy versus a pharmaceutical company, uh. right? Antisocial is the pharmacy, and the pharmaceutical company is five four, you know, and they're operating. Now it is, right? they, yeah. No, no, they but, went. They went from activists. Okay, we're brand now. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna run the, the company. Like, you don't see a how large the operation is behind the scenes, and Neek is unique in the sense that, like, you know, he has caught this very he's caught lightning in a bottle, and like, you know, anytime anything like that happens with anyone, man, people like. It's so adverse 
and uh reflexive behavior is something i've gotten really into in the last like year and a half of my Which life is but what? Uh, it's basically subconscious behavior that people don't realize like guides your kind of day-to-day judgments and attitudes. Like subconsciously, so, our body so breathes. The word, I hate uh, because it's, unfortunately it's it's a very kind of, kind of dumbs down the situation, but the word hater and jealous and all that, like essentially people become jealous of people. They don't even realize it. Yeah. Right? It's the same way that like, uh, you know, you look at like an old white man and why he would have such an adverse reaction to seeing like a young black kid in a store. Doesn't yeah. know why. And maybe he doesn't even consider himself a racist, but he has a racist reaction to him because of the fact that it's called reflexive behavior. It's deep, deep programming in the back it's of rude. your skull. Therefore, like you see someone like a Neek, right? Who's like, hey, like, you know, he ain't fucking Brad Pitt. He's really the first one to tell you that, you know? Yeah. But it's like, you know, he worked at Stussy. He hit the lottery, and a lot of people have a hard time digesting that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the way he spends his money, he's got jewelry now. He's got cars. He's fucking whipping around. And he's like, you know, he's he's the kid's been through like fucking God knows how many cars in the last couple of months. God bless him. He's having a blast. Yeah. Right. And, and to the to the effect of what he's making versus what he's spending, it's probably not that crazy. It's just As he should. People don't get it. Like they don't understand finance on that level. So yeah. they're like, oh, he just bought a Lamborghini and then he got rid of it and now he's got a, something else. And it's like it's like he didn't buy the Lamborghini. He's like yeah, he put money down as making payments. Shit. Like. Yeah. He lost God, like you know, like a third, he's not paying like, a fifteenth of what the car's worth. You know what I mean? So, but it does trigger something, especially in ambitious young kids, because they all are trying to get to where Neek is. You know, and Neek kind of just did this leapfrog via antisocial club. You know, and they'll, you know, they love to tear it down. Like Kanye wore it, and Kim Kardashian wore it. Who gives a fuck? They wore it, yeah. and he's here. You but know, who knows? And, and, but who, once again, who knows who Neek? Who knows what Neek went through to get there? Of course. So when he know, caught and, the and, break, shout out to Neek because yeah. he's owned it. Yeah, and he doesn't. No, it's not. It's not even more so than owned it. You know what he's done that's better than owning it? He doesn't explain himself. Uh. He doesn't owe anyone shit. Yes. He doesn't. You want to buy my shirt and put money in my pocket, dude? If not, go fuck yourself. Respect. Period. You know what I mean? And it's like that's what. But but at the end of the day, nonetheless. Getting back to what we were talking about, and it's like he's the pharmacy versus the pharmaceutical company. The pharmacy does make a lot of money because they sell a lot of they sell drugs to a lot of people, right? Like, but the pharmaceutical company is a much grander operation that's a slower turning ship. And when it has its hits, they hit big, and when it has its losses, they feel the losses, right? And it's like like Neek is a brand right now that's developing and figuring itself out. He might flop in the next couple of years it takes a long time you know it's like it's the rule of sixes in clothing right it's like six years from beginning sorry from zero to six years your first cut your your first milestone yeah which is usually when you start to make money right and then from six to twelve is when you've arrived and then that could potentially either be your plateau or you fall off the cliff it just depends and that's usually and then and then twelve to eighteen is usually what determines if a brand is here and you become a polo or yeah. a Tommy Hilfiger or you fall the fuck off. You like everyone in streetwear right now that's suffering from Zoomies and PacSun and all these people sure, like yeah. like fa- like cutting their POs. And they're like, oh my God, it was salad days. We all bought Ferraris and Rolexes and now we're broke. Like we don't know what the fuck to do. I have like 900 employees and it's my friends and family that all work for me and I own this warehouse for no reason. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like, that's the difference. You know what I mean? It's just like, but the problem is, is that Neek is very, he's a big thing too is he's young. You know what I mean? These kids, like he's out there, dude. Like we go to bed at nine, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and he, I think that just reflexively, 
people have an adverse reaction to seeing that because they feel like it's like he's pushing it in their face and he's not. He's just doing him. Yeah. You just know, like, just he, like young Nino, like whether you had the fucking millions in checks yeah, or dude, not, we, like you were 20, 21, 22 with Zoo know. York. We were just doing us. We were having a good time. We were enjoying ourselves. You know, there's a lot of kids that are talking shit on ice cream and oh, Pharrell is fucking buying you this and blah, 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 and Who buying cares? Terry's jewelry. And like, it was like, it wasn't even, it didn't even ping our radar. You know, unless you talk shit on him personally, it didn't even ping our radar. Awesome. Like, we weren't even on our radar. Like, we were just, we were having a fucking blast. And that was it. You know what I mean, dude? We had so much fun. I mean, like, the shit, the, the antics and the hijinks and the wiling out we did. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like one of the funnest trips was to the most obscure, shitty place was, like, we went to Dayton, Ohio to, like, <laughs> to fucking, to escape the escape plaza. And Rob happened to be out there at the time, too. Yeah. And it was, like, this is, once again, like, pre-Rob and Big Rob and, like, Mad fun, dude. We were staying in a shitty Holiday Inn. We were wilding out. Cato got arrested one night. We were like, it's like there's like this really famous strip club. We were at Diamonds in Ohio, and it was like it was just amazing. You know, we yeah. didn't know what the fuck. We weren't thinking about the outside world. We didn't see past our own noses, and it was yeah. great. So I'm sure the same way. Like, it's like it's just different. It's just like Neeks not seeing past his own nose is inside the cockpit of a Lamborghini. It's gorgeous. You know, it's like and it's just different. You know what I mean? It's like, but I think that. The the that versus that is a tough argument because it's like Dean and Andres like you know we're taught differently about brands too like a brand to us is uh, office a brand dude like the main kind of visionary like Nick Diamond or a Dean Andres or a drama or a whoever the fuck like Mega from Black Scale you know it's like it's that with a staff a marketing guy a warehouse that's what we're taught is a brand you know? yeah. it's different now like now you have your V-loans you have like you know even under ASAP they have those offshoot things like Merino Infantry and like kids look at them they call it a brand even though yeah. we look at it and we're like yo that's a Shopify account with some fucking gilded Straight things, up. you know but like it doesn't matter because A, I'm not buying it. And B, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not for me. You know, it's for 21, you know, it's from teens to like their mid twenties and that's who they're speaking to. You know? yeah. it's, it's totally different. Maybe that is the new wave of a brand that I, we don't know because it's still early. Number one, number two, we don't have the perspective to call it. You know, no one, no one knew that all those kids opening up cheap offices on Fairfax that just Supreme made them feel more comfortable to do it. Like they didn't, they weren't chasing. people didn't chase Supreme back then. No. Like they were just felt comfortable because they're like, oh, that streetwear brand that everyone knows from it's New York made it. is there. Not even necessarily made, it, but it's like it's there. Okay. So we can get cheap office space around it. So you had like Crooks, Diamond, the Hundreds. Like yeah. they all had office space, which turned into stores, which turned into this fucking weird anomaly of kids hanging out. Like they didn't know. They didn't and know. How much and, of and, an and, impact they had on yeah, the shit. And they didn't know that, like, they were pissing off the Seth Gersbergs, the Damon Dashes, the fucking, uh, you know, whoever else. The L uh, LRG was kind of a little bit like, but, you know, Sean John, they were pissing these dudes off the same way that the V Loans, the Neeks, the fucking whoever else's are pissing off Nick and all these guys and eating their lunch. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, if you don't, it's like, a, you know, adapt or die kind of thing. You know, Straight it's like up. We're, we're at a point, our brands, our peer brands are supposed to adapt. Some of them are fighting it and losing and some of them are figuring it out. You know, it's a, it's a growing process. So it's yeah. painful, but they're figuring it out, you know, off top. It's I, I, ice cream was the same thing. Like, you know, it, it pissed off a lot of people. A lot of people felt like we didn't deserve it because of like, we got to, uh, you know, leapfrog essentially because of the BAPE association, yeah. you know, cause BAPE was so powerful and strong 
and people were so like coveted it. You know, I mean, dude, this stuff like the boxes we would get, like these kids would fucking kill themselves for. Like these kids were skating in ape hoodies. You know, like the, the Swarovski crystal camo ape hoodies, like these kids were skating in this shit. And like there was kids waiting in front of Union to get the, the 15 that Chris could get his hands on from Abe falling over themselves. And these kids are literally jaws on the floor. Like, oh my God, like well, he fell and it's getting dirty. Like, what the fuck? Like, fuck these kids. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, it, it's a reflexive jealousy that doesn't qualify as the same thing as like you have something. I Like when you see someone that has something that you want and you can't have it and you get mad about it, it's not that. It's a different, it's deep yeah. and subtle and like kind of, and it's informed by other things that people don't really understand. Yeah. And yes, ultimately at the end of the day, it's jealousy, but it's not, I don't, I don't deem it as like a, so cheap yes. as like a, a general jealousy, you know yes. what I mean? Like you're just a hater, like fuck your hater. You know what I mean? It's like people, like, there's a real reason behind that, you know? Straight up. So how long did that time with ice cream last? Uh, that was three years. It's a long then, time. Were you uh, still working on the screenplay during that time? So believe it or not, in the middle of it all, Rob decided he was going to finance Street Dreams himself. Oh, shit. We had taken meetings, taken meetings. He really wanted to do it as bad as me, you know? And he was like, fuck it, I'm just going to put the money on myself. And uh, we knew uh, at the time there was this guy, Chris Samosianic. Chris's wife was Pam. Pam Zam was uh, the first marketing employee at DC. Pam Zam. Yeah, and Pam was uh, instrumental in, like, at the time, very valuable to DC. He was getting the Beastie Boys to wear a lot of their stuff. Mm. And uh, placement before placement was called placement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Adam Sandler, who now you laugh, but Adam Sandler, getting Adam Sandler wearing a DC t-shirt I remember that. at the MTV Movie Awards was like, whoa. I like, remember that, yeah. Whoa, crazy. Not to mention, like, everyone wants to talk shit on it. That yeah. thing probably was seen by, like, f- like 100 million eyes. So it's more than your fucking Instagram photo. So who gives a shit, you know? I so, mean, like, so Rob had financed the... the yeah, yeah. He And believe it or not, once again, pre-Robin Big. Yeah. He financed... And this dude put his fucking house up. Now, I want to talk a little about Street Dreams because... So he financed it. What was the... Um, the catalyst to get get all those studs in the movie and, and make it the way you guys wanted to make it? Uh, a lot of talking, a lot of like kind of arranging and figuring it out. You know, it's like we initially, Rob wanted to play the main character and realized he was like too old for it, you mm. know? And so he chose to play Troy. And, and we just knew this. We knew we had to leverage it out with skaters and real actors. We didn't kind of hold, you know, neither of us had made a movie. Because, I mean, it, what, what's interesting is like you have shit like Grind and you have like yeah. Boys of Dogtown. But the thing with Street Dreams is that, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt it was the first movie that came out why it was kind of important for, for skateboarders because mm-hmm. it was like made by you guys yeah. and it also starred you guys. Yeah. So like when you see, you know, P-Rod and you see TK, you see Sheckler in there, Rob and like all these guys, it was like a skate video but also a movie. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was that, like that concise as our goal but yeah, that's what we wanted to do. You know yeah, what I mean? We, we knew we, like, we used to call it like... <laughs> Our, the ongoing joke is we call it Skate Mile. 
<laughs> like that's what we would call it. We would call it skate mile. And we were like, yo, this that's is so like lit. this is every kid's story. Like your parent like no parents want like now it's different. Like I said, like like a parent would be like, Oh, Nigel Houston makes millions of dollars. Like you should go kick flip those stairs, little Tommy. Like back <laughs> it was different, man. Like we grew up like our parents didn't want us to fucking skate, you know, and they fought us. Yeah. On it, you know, and sometimes to the to the, the getting grounded, like girlfriends dumping you, like, ooh, you skate like gross. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Wow. Like you would get like it was tough, you know, and like that's the story we wanted to tell. And then the ultimate like like one of the once again, like that do or die life defining moment of like fuck man, like you're going one way or another, you know what I mean? But it's on you to yeah. make that decision. Like and the thing is is coming from skateboarding the background the industry and a lot of kids pay a lot of money and save up and work hard to go to this contest which the movie culminates at the tampa am contest you mm. know and like there's kids that work, work mcdonald's jobs their whole life and like save up every dime they fucking can to fly to that contest because it's a blind wow. entry there's no qualification you don't have to have a board sponsor it's an am contest but chances are the top five to ten kids are walking out with Bare minimum, a connection for flow for product from a company at the most you're getting hooked up, right? Mm-hmm. And like turning into something. So it was like, I've seen it happen in all varying degrees. And, you know, so there's like kids go there and like literally like will fucking put their whole life on the line yeah. to fly to shitty ass how Tampa, not, Florida. How has there not been like, I get that it culminated there, but how has there not been like a documentary on I, you know, I don't know, actually. It, it would be interesting if someone did kind of take it upon themselves to kind of walk people Because we're through. literally talking well, about also, life on the line shit. Also, yeah, I, yeah, 100%. Like, you are, this is, the like, people need, like, how hard it is to become a professional skateboarder and then, like, maintain it. And, like, it's, like, it's, last. It's, 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 it's last, have some longevity, like, maintain, have some longevity, not lose your fucking mind in the process. Like, I think I'm too sane. Like, I'm a little nuts, but your average skater, that's, like, you have to assume that if a skater's had a long career, they're fucking batshit crazy. Yeah. Like, you just have to because there are, like, it's, you gotta, number one, you gotta think it's the most unrewarding thing on the planet, dude. You're throwing yourself around all day on this little plank of wood, and you're only landing 5% of what happens yeah. all day that you try. Like, think, well, why would you do that? Your average 90, person's not going to want to do that. And ninety percent of the ninety-five percent of that that you miss, you're like hurting yourself. Imagine if yeah. one out of every fifteen podcasts you did was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I mean that. Like, that's what it is. And also, like, this was about street skating too. Yeah. So, like, really, like a lot of people glorified, um, you know. The vert ramp, the big air, yeah. like that's the stuff that was exciting. That was yeah. getting like shown on X Games. Like, well, it's got, got the showmanship aspect to it. Yeah, you know, when you're like, like, holy shit, you see yeah. Tony Hawk coming like out of mom fucking and dad helicopter. Looking back, helicopter. Oh my god, that's a big air he's doing. You know what I exactly. mean? Like nine hundred. Yeah. What's that? Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god, he did a seven twenty. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't say that though. They go, he spun two and a half times. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and he grabbed the back of his board. <laughs> like, so like street skating was like you know the grimy shit that you really only got like in skate videos, which yeah. was cool about Street Dreams because it it, it kind of showcased that what was like what was that like for you guys for actually for you to kind of see this culmination of your writing for so many years develop into this like almost like cult classic skateboarding vid well, uh, i appreciate the term cult classic like it, for me for me it is only because like it has so many people in it and it was like it marked an era like there, there's that that cool wave coming in from what 
again, that where skateboarding was in pop culture yeah. at that time. And yeah. then like coming off the back, there was Robin Big that came. So For sure. Rob, Rob, look, the last no, day, look, check it out. No, the no, last no, day no, we no, were no, done no, shooting, no, no, Rob no, got no. on a plane and flew to LA to shoot the pilot for Robin Big. That's oh, true, that's though. Yeah. I want, no, and I wanted to interject because of this, because literally tonight I found out that Roushi was like a diehard skater for years. The crazy thing is, is before you came on and before I texted you, like, bro, understand how excited I am. Yeah. He hit me and he was like dropping gems on you. And I was like, <laughs> word? I mean, I, like for me, just preface all of this is like, I have a hard time talking about myself on any level. Sure. So it's like, I'm always going to like, you yeah. know, kind of detract from anything. Not That does detract from all the work. I mean, look. That thing, I don't give a fuck what anyone says, man. If they want to make fun of it or not. Like, look, two dudes, like two best friends, got together in a room, started a script. Fucking, like, and, and this is this is on some life shit. This ain't even Hollywood. You take it and put it in the context of Hollywood, it's even crazier. But, like, two friends came, like, I came to California to write a movie. And I wrote a movie about skateboarding. I used what I'd done to fuel a dream, you know? And, like, I don't care if you hate it, you love it, or whatever. I mean, God bless fucking Ryan Dunn, dude. Like, Dunn, oh that guy R. sprinkled R. so much yeah. magic on that movie and was such a sweetheart in the process. <sighs> that guy, like, no one knows. That guy was going through, like, one of the most brutally dark shit you could think of for a person while he was shooting that movie. And that, Like, and, it kept his shit on the rails. And that's another thing, too, is, like, the whole jackass revolution of that era with those that whole skate crew. Yeah, dude. They were, like, it's, it's you know, uh, we, but, we did I mean, it one way or another, man. And, like, and some Dunn, really... Dunn was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Dude, that. he, I mean, he's the reason why we actually... <laughs> we were supposed to come... We were supposed to be in theaters, I believe, a month before we were in the... Uh, the whatever it's called the ratings association fought us because we refused to take the line who took a shit in your vagina out oh of the movie God. and that was freestyle dude all those anecdotes are all freestyle by Dunn because he's really like that guy that guy unfortunately man like just don't fucking drink and drive for sure but like god damn it man like that guy had a brilliant career out of him like he he because you know he just he struggled with like hollywood and in general like yeah. he didn't like hollywood and he's like you know he's a very much a westchester pennsylvania kid and like i grew up skating out there a lot so i grew up around bam and like dunn came in after i didn't know him when i skated but i know westchester and then i got to know him later on and like it is, it's exactly how he was. Like you reject this kind of largesse of Los yeah. Angeles, and it makes people uncomfortable. And that's how he was. Yeah, I mean, but I, I feel like but, that that movie was it, it was important. It was just kind of important for the time. Like I, th I think it was much. It was necessary for. And also hearing your story, like I didn't know it was self-financed. Dude, self-financed, hundred percent. Like to the point where it was like, like I, I no. I actually didn't realize you were yeah. a co-writer on it until like. Before this podcast, and I looked it up, I was like, "Oh shit, he co-wrote it." Yeah, it was it was a weird process, man, because like I wanted to write the movie, right? Yeah, yeah and yeah. then I went to Rob, and then we kind of like I wrote the treatment, and then you know the the way that the kind of rating system works and the way they credit people is very odd, you know. Mm. So it's like we, you know, Rob knew that I wanted to write, and he was being gracious, but he wanted to add some stuff in, and you know, unfortunately, like the way it was is we stupidly submitted uh, a copy with both of our names. He was like, he didn't want to be credited. He didn't care oh, about the writing, but right. like we submitted a copy, and you know, the, you know, they, they break it down into percentages, and then they were just like, fuck it, we'll some award them 50-50 for, sure. yeah. so there's a story by credit he and I have, right? But then, what happens is essentially there's what's called a shooting script mm -hmm. and it's a format in a different way. And there was some cleanup stuff that like kind of 
there was things that we just didn't know because we hadn't written a movie. Like, number one, we didn't know that if you curse every five seconds in a movie, you're not going to get a PG rating and that skateboarding is mostly kids and that kids can't go to R-rated movies, so therefore we just cut out half of our fucking audience. You know what I mean? Like, silly shit like that that sounds silly now, but it's like, yeah, that, like cut into half of the profits in the movie, you know, oh, yeah. and not that there was any profits, but like, you know, what we could have turned it into. So we ended up having to hire this writer who amazingly enough, uh, her name was Elisa and she had written on, she was a TV writer for Gilmore Girls. We interviewed all these writers and she had to do a cleanup on the script and get it into shooting format. But she, by proxy of her agent, had to be credited. So we were agreed to give her credit. Got so it. then it breaks down into, uh, that was a s- screenplay credit so the story by me and rob and then there's a screenplay credit and then all three of us shared it cool and that's the way it worked and then anything beyond that you actually have to go to like this hearing with the writers guild to get credited and you have to prove that you wrote x amount of percentage which it's it's got to be equal percentages to everyone else you can't be like i wrote five percent and there's nine writers they're like right. all right you don't get anything then but if you wrote ten percent and you're the tenth writer then yes you'll get a credit you know so what um and when, when that was completed and kind of that because you started it when you moved to LA and now you saw this thing blossom and be, and be finalized and, and do its thing. And were you still working with ice cream? Yeah. Like Pharrell was, so that was dude, still your thing. So you, so you had he, this movie out, you're, you're doing this, this guy. Listen to me, this guy fucking paid me and let me take six weeks off to go shoot a movie. That's awesome. Like didn't bat an eye. And to top it off, not only that, we approached him in the beginning because, you know, I, I wanted to be transparent about everything. I was like, look, if you don't, you know, I was going to be like, look, you don't want to pay me. Don't pay me while I'm, but I'm doing this. You know what I mean? And, and, um, luckily it was like kind of a downtime was right after the video came out. So everyone was like chilling. But, uh, we, um, I went to him and we actually had written a voiceover in the beginning. We offered to have him just do the VO. And he was like, I'm not really comfortable with it because I don't want people, I don't want to detract from the credibility of your movie was his thing, right? Wow. I'm not a skater. He's aware of it on that level at least, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of a smart move. You know, it's it's humble. Smart yeah. or not, who knows? We don't know. It never happened. But oh, it could have yeah. helped. It could have hurt. But like this dude, you know, this dude scored the credits for us. Like we oh. sent him the credit sequence. He scored it for us for free. Oh, that's so, amazing. Now yeah. keep this, now let's put it in perspective, right? He was coming off of a year after Drop It Like It's Hot. And as a friend, not only did he score a section, he gave us free licensing on whatever we wanted and did free press. Wow. Took his time out to give us free press. That's love though. Yeah, but he's like, he's that, he's, he's, he's that ill. You know what I mean? Like it was like a thing. Like, and it's like, yeah, clearly he's not going to do that for some random kid. That's like, hey, he'll promote my SoundCloud. But like, nevertheless, the fact that that guy, like, could have been like, you know what, man? Like, yeah, like we're friends, but it's still bu- like you know you're dealing with Pharrell Williams, so it's still business. He didn't do that. You know what I mean? That's that's there's that's that's real. Like, I, in all my travels, I'm so lucky to to no matter what to be able to be who I am, whatever the value is, and whatever that quality is, to be able to do stuff like that. You know, if it's talk to Chris Carter and get hired by Alien Workshop, or 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 look Seth Gersberg in the eye and be like, you know, I'm still gonna do this shit with these rappers you don't believe in. Like, or, you know, and have it turn around and become like where it's like, yeah, I'll give you a beat. I don't know. It's not even a beat. I'll sit down, watch this in a studio and not pay. Like I'm paying for the time. It's coming out of my budget 
and score your credit sequence for you. Like, that's some shit. And we own that song. Like, I could go rap over it right now if I felt like it, make it my hit single if I felt like. You know Straight what I mean? Like, it, 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 it's like, in all of that and all the value added in that, that all comes from friendship and honesty with people. You know what I mean? And transparency. Which like, stems from you. Yeah, but I think that's, you know, that's never even been my goal. It's just like, I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't neither, think I could sleep at night knowing that I have a bad reputation but amongst neither, people. neither has it ever been my goal. Yeah. Right? Yeah, which is why you probably, I guarantee you, it's probably not hard for you to get people to do a podcast. Bro, cats you know? are hitting us up yeah. to do a podcast, Like right? I, I just, I just feel like anyone's like, like people will bend over backwards, you know what I mean? No, but, but that's, do you know why? Because I'm able to tell somebody that like can honestly tell me. When I'm like, look, bro, it's time. Like, also understand this. There's a lot of people that, like, last night, one of my homies was like, yo, bro, you need to do a podcast with him, him, and the other, right? Whether I need to or not, what I know is this. I'll never do a podcast. I'll never do business with somebody that I don't know and appreciate as a person. Yeah. I don't care how big you are. I don't care what the opportunity is. Like, one thing that I've always had, which has stayed with me through, like, emptiness and flourish, is you stand by knowing what your values are. Absolutely. Right? And it's crazy that, like, Roushi and I, the silk and stone, (laughs) have been able to do this, right? And it's beautiful because... Our strengths and our weaknesses. My weaknesses are covered by his strengths. Yeah. Right? I'm not even going to call his shit weaknesses. The shit that I have strengths in, right, just add to his value. Right? Yeah. I'm able to, to like, talk to somebody and then to tell me how they truly feel and me to say, like, that's super cute, Barbie. But, like, <laughs> that's not the issue. Yeah. Right? And we get it. Because... The essence of what this is is exactly what we've been going through. Yes. Right? Like, the relationship that you and Pharrell have, like, cool, that's not clickbait for me. No, but I think I think a lot of, you know, you know, those those very vague statements of, like, you know, like, just find passion in what you want to do. Yes. Like, like, you know, be passionate. It's like, you're like, well, yeah, motherfucker, I am passionate. That's why I'm doing this. Like, they don't get it. That's sometimes, like you're going to get through that and you probably, it's, it's not going to work. And then you're going to understand that like you wasn't working because you weren't passionate, right? Yes. Like, be the best you can be and like 100%. all that. Like, but no matter what, if you carry at least that into whatever it is you do, like you'll excel on the strength that like you'll build somewhat of like a, you know, a, a, a circle, you know, and you can call on those people, you know, yes. because it's, it's times change. Like I was talking, you can't about call those, on those people if you like, just want to network with yeah, them. I was, I was talking with a friend of mine this morning. He's a very good friend of mine. He owns like, I'm going to say probably one of the top five largest marketing firms in the whole country. Word. And uh, I was helping him recently on a footwear launch for a Jap- or sorry, a Chinese footwear company coming to America, right? I won't say the name, but uh, it flopped. And, you know, I, 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 I put nominal work into it for whatever it was worth, you know, but he was talking today and I asked him how it was going and he was like, you know, like... I have my ringers, you know, my ringers are people that like I can call on to make things happen. And like you were one of them and this guy was one of them. And this guy was one of them and it kind of flopped or whatever and not making me feel bad. But he was, I was like, look, man, like your ringers, like you need to fucking re up on your ringers. Cause your ringers are all like 40. 
<laughs> like it's time to get some new ringers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like things change. You know what I mean? And like like the the dude that I was when I was that age and the ice cream kid that was out in the streets and like loving to connect with people on that. Like I don't like leaving my crib if I don't have to anymore. You totally. Know what I mean, like I'm like you don't have to you don't have to ask me twice to watch something on Netflix anymore. You know, it's like yeah. that's but you best believe that the kids that are out in front are on the tip of everyone's tongues. That's who you need to talk to. You know what I mean? And that's that's like they're being the best they can be. You know what I mean? Whether or not it ends up in a long-term thing, it doesn't matter. Like right now, it's like they're doing, they're being into who they are and shameless and like, you know, probably possibly arrogant and all that, but that's the best they can be and they're doing it and they're invested and that's why they're getting results. You know what I mean? For all the like older dudes where we're just kind of like futzing along and we're like, yeah, it's like, you know, we call this dude and like get him to fucking post it on Instagram and that guy, like whatever, you know, it's like, that's like no passion into it. You know, you're no, like, what the fuck ever. You're just it's like, just function. Yeah. Bro. And you're just like, yeah, man, like, yeah, I just need this check. Like whatever. You yeah. Know? It's like, it's, 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 you know, whereas these kids that are fervent about it and they're just like fucking on it and they're like, they're doing over beyond just because that's who they are. They're extra delivering and they don't even care. They're not thinking like I'm getting extra credit. They're just doing it, you know? And there's a lot to that, you know, which is pre- being present, you know, and really being in it and owning what you're doing and not being so fucking self-aware, you know, which is like a huge thing, which, you know, like that's really owning who you are and being the best at what you can be, you know, and I think you notice it, you look at everyone on a long enough timeline where they wake up to themselves and things slow down, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's like something that notice. like I notice all the brand, all my peer friends that are brand owners have all like kind of woken up to my to themselves in the last like two years yeah. and they were having the time of their lives making all this money and pack sun and fucking deli- you know like whatever places they were selling to because streetwear is so accepted now right and like you it's know, such a commodity now yeah you know and like you know it's it, god bless man everyone's making a lot of money for the most part we're all fucking idiots like we're lucky we got this far you know sure, what yeah. i mean so it's like but like you know they wake up and then it becomes like, oh man, like I'm like I'm like an old dude in cool clothes now. Like that's kind of weird, you know. Like, yeah. They, they kind of pump fake themselves, that's you know. Funny, yeah. And whereas like you know these kids like they don't bat an eyelash. They're like, fuck yeah, I'll wear I'll wear some wacky fucking extra shredded jeans and whatever weird Nikes they like. These kids were like yeah. you when they told about fucking like, yeah. bro, look, I need two weeks. I can't go to Costa Rica right now. Yeah. They're them. Yeah, 100%. And like they own it and they love it and like they're living it, you know, and that's the very genuine about who they are. And that's like to share with kids like how important that really is. Like that means something. And it's like it doesn't matter if it's technology. Like if you're in tech and you want to be in that world, then you best be fucking at every Starbucks in Silicon Valley, like meeting Bob and Pete and Marcy and be like, my app's killer and it's fucking better than yours. Or if like you're on Wall Street, you best be fucking in, in everyone's face and you better be fucking taking notes on what's selling and what's not selling and whatever it is, man. Politics, like, you know, I've gotten really into politics in the last couple of years and really realizing what a social hustle that game is and how yeah. crazy. Because I was there's been moments where I was actually like, man, I would love to get into politics. Like, yeah. I feel like I have something to say, yeah. you know? And You'd like, be a great campaign like, manager, my G. <laughs> and like really getting out there and like talking to people and like, then I'm like, fuck man, like that's a hefty ass game. I don't even know if I'm built for it, much less if I believe in it, you know? Mm. Like you really got to believe that shit. Like, like Donald Trump is lame as the guy is. Like, you know, we could, I'm not even opening that camera. I'm just saying that guy believes the bullshit that comes out of his mouth. Off top. Kelly and Conway his fucking campaign manager who's now like whatever she has a kind of like non-role former campaign manager like she believes the bullshit that comes out of her mouth she's a soulless harpy but she believes it 
You know what's crazy? She, she can be on television and not. She can be on television and say it like. That's you know what's insane. crazy though? Understand this. I completely agree with that point, right? Yeah. But they're both used car salesmen. For sure. No, but look, hold on. Before the for sure comes, they're both used car salesmen that will sell a whole coast cars. Yeah, I don't believe. I don't. But, and but, tell and tell the people that bought them. I don't believe. I told you what it was. I don't believe. No, I, I disagree. I don't believe that. The, I, like you say, used car salesman, and that connotes some level of self aware that they they know what they're selling is a used car. I don't think they believe they're selling. I think they believe they're selling the fucking hottest Lamborghini that hasn't touched the streets yet. They you believe know, this new this new way that they're trying to steer the country yeah. for better or worse is like better than the way than anything that anyone's ever seen. Do you know? Do you yeah. know why? Like, do you know why I contest that point? And I'll keep it very short. Right is because the difference in what Donald did as to what Hillary did was Donald went to, at this point, God knows how many hours in. Donald won because when he went to that town that eradicated DUIs, he got their votes. Yeah, he definitely, I'm without a doubt, everyone in in Pennsylvania voted for Donald Trump. That's why the used car salesman quote, it's not that they believed it or not. Donald doesn't need to believe it. He, all he needs to believe is that he got you. Yeah. yeah he absolutely and he does. he got yeah. 50% of the voting community, 50% didn't vote, right? There's a reason Obama won first black president, right? Yeah. And Twice. It was, and, Twice. It, and it wasn't because, like, oh, damn, we were ready for a black president. We weren't, right? It's because he literally went to where he didn't need to well, go he, he, and he played the game. You're right. And Donald there, played the a, game there's too. There's a lot of mitigating factors though and I think a lot of it is this, man, is the pendulum swings Talk in life, me. right? Yeah. And it swings and it swings drastically in both directions, right? So, you know, we got fucked so bad with George W. Bush, he lied and he lied and but he Dick lied. But Dick Cheney and, was our president, know that. Well, yeah, but he, regardless, George Bush was the one lying. You know what I mean? He lied left, right, and center. He said there was yellow cake uranium in, in fucking Iraq. There wasn't, yeah. right? There was there was proof positive. There was no yellow cake. They were never going to make a fucking weapon. He wanted to get in there and fucking snatch the oil. Right? Dick and, did and, and, and George and, and was And we did. And he wanted, he wanted those Halliburton contracts because there's money in war. So That's nevertheless. Dick Cheney again. And that swung so far that way. And I'll tell you a story and I'll keep this very fucking short. I, you know, my family went into Louisiana, right? Yeah. I, my aunt, who is an older Sicilian woman and she's in her late 80s, right? Yeah. I'm not going to say racist, but I'm going to say unexposed. They moved into prejudice. the South, right? Yes, prejudice. prejudice, without a doubt, right? They moved into the South. My father passed away. My brother and I fly down there for the funeral. At the wake, uh, this was going into Obama's first election. My brother and I were like devout Obama supporters, right? We were so pumped. I was pumped. I was purely on the fact the guy smoked cigarettes openly. I was already you were ready like, for change, yeah, bro. I was already in there. I was like, dude, this guy smokes cigarettes on TV. Like, fuck it, let's do it. Like, I was down for him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I... Uh, I was at the wake or whatever it is you call after the wedding, right? And uh, my aunt actually said she was voting for Obama, and I almost passed out. Oh, wow. My whole family, and they all agreed because they got tired of all of the Social Security programs getting fucked with when their checks getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, my aunt's retired. She lives on Social Security, and then I had, like, two other relatives that were there, and I was blown away. 
openly and they, they were like but they all prefaced it with like I never thought I'd see the day that I'd vote for a black yeah. president but here I am yeah. and then the pendulum swung back if the people that hated Obama the reason why is because they just couldn't deal with seeing a black guy in power yeah. that's all it was and, and, and Tupac so, called it though yeah and it was just it literally fucked their heads up to see a black guy as our president like yeah. it was nothing and, and, and I think psychologically America needed it you know it needed to dig into everyone's brains that like you know this is possible and the thing is like look even in the best best case scenario we still he's only half black you know unfortunately you know it's like not unfortunately but unfortunately but, for the but, cause but, but everyone yeah. thought like, he was like yeah. muslim but, and islam you and know, like, but, but look at look at the panic incited by him just a black face potentially being our president is like he's not from america he's fucking muslim and sure. they were calling out his fucking priest from way back and like well, he was like it was like come the fuck on you guys like are you really that shitty that you're gonna jam him up that hard like get the fuck out of here you know but ultimately it swung back that way and now it's swinging back the other way unfortunately and we have to sit through it at least bare minimum it's gonna take a year to impeach him so we're all in for a year-long ride bare minimum at the most four possibly eight if he steals it you know what i mean if he goes in and uses the electoral college there's no way he, he steals it eric well, garcetti is gonna come up out of nowhere well you never know man so. like he you know look no one thought everyone thought that g dubs did such a bad job he'd never come back a second round and he did so here we are anyway let's 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 segue out of politics because i'll keep you guys yeah, here for five I got more you. Days. no but look this is where we're gonna segue right and roushy i love you to death and and we're gonna segue here You've been somebody that literally has been driven by skating culture. You also were somebody that like literally like when the time came that you understood that skating wasn't going to be a thing, you still wanted to impact the community. <laughs> yeah. Not you the still Yeah, I know. You still wanted to like played a role you had so many wild experiences you had so many experiences that you literally could have never like said yes this is why I did that right even after the glory days which were hazy days still if a motherfucker looks back and like tries to connect the dots cause like somebody that would have tried to connect the dots would have been like wait then where was like my pop off, firework, jump off, right? At the end of the day, to me, it's like this, Uncle Nino, is that the reason why you literally are still, even still, to go from Nego to Neek, right? And understand that and be in the impact and everything you've gone through with and without the community, every time that like your skating world turned from damn, I left behind photography, damn, I pursued literally scripts, man, I delved into the tech world, which we're, we won't get into, right? <laughs> Is this you're one of those cats that even as much as your lips flap or not, the nerd in you knows why to yourself you made that decision now whether that decision like produced the fucking glacier of water spouting everywhere or not and you're 38 right now right yeah is this when it's all said and done right i firmly believe you're going to be at the top of the hill and whatever flag you put down 
you're going to put down with ownership and I'm going to be there for the fucking ceremony. You understand me? <laughs> Somebody that's literally been through this game of life even, right? Somebody that's cared enough to be a historian as you are. Somebody that's also known that you're not bound to what your previous predilections or your previous fucking glory moments were. Like, you're somebody that is a testament to testing. Yeah, right? I think... Uh, Before you think, I'm going to keep <laughs> go going ahead. on this monologue. Go ahead. Is this. The beauty of this scenario right now is that you've come this far. Nothing, everything that you've done previous has built you as a person. Everything that you've also done previous has let you understand what these moves and what's happening to you career-wise and what has happened glory-wise or what has happened like it's fucked up-wise. You have grit. You have grit because you're still standing and you're still the same person that you've always been, right? When you look at it and you think of being on the cusp of 40, right? Seeing so many people rise and fall in front of you. Yeah. Knowing that you're still in the middle because you haven't risen or fallen yet. I know you're going to rise. I know risen is in your cards. <laughs> you do too, low key, because you're smarter than that. If you would have fell, you would have fell already, right? For sure. You're one of those people that the grit outlasts all of it. You're one of those people like D and Andres, right? Whether they can call it or not, understand that there's things unbeknownst to them that have kept them here, but they're still them. You're still you. Yeah. You're still flapping at the mouth. For sure. But you know what? Your flaps at the mouth are meaningful, right? So knowing this and culminating in this, being the first 38-year-old that's on the podcast, <laughs> being the first 38-year-old that's allowed to even say that he's 38, you're not Gaga, <laughs> or, or, or you're not somebody that's a carrot on a ring, and we know who yeah. we're talking about now. Yeah. He won't listen to this. He doesn't have the time span to do so, right? Yeah. Is this. You are so you, and that's what I respect the most about you. You have also the... You, also the you have also officially become the longest podcast we've ever had because Anusha's vagina monologues aren't going to get edited out this time because he hasn't had them. Hold on, Joe. Can we dual clap for this? Not, not quite. <laughs> he has not. That's, that's not. That's that's got nothing to do, and I doubt that even if you cut those out, it would cut into like the five hours that I've been flapping anyway, but still, yes. Good. Uh, hey, Toucan Sam, good for good you. Good for you. Cool. No, but, no, but, no, but good for good you. For you. <laughs> no, but good for you. Your little toucan is flapping. Like, I'm still eating like, food. Like, like, just no, do me, no, do no, me a favor. No, no, if if there is some a kid out there that makes it the whole way to the end of this, I want you to go into all of our Instagrams and comment and let us know how you made it through to the end. I would be curious to see if you like, I want proof, like mention something that we go, we close out on or something. You just, you have to go into all of our Instagrams 
and find us and let us know. No, look, okay. First of all, I'll tell you this. Joe and Joe and I hit him for that. No, no, look, no, no, look. Joe and I are literally just beginning to even set up the pipeline of the marketing we're doing because we haven't done any regardless. We actually just missed our marketing phone call yesterday, right? I phoned out of work because I was literally sick. Right, yeah. and and I could be considered one foot in, one foot out. I'm not. I'd rather die for fucking five four. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. At the end of the day, is this that kid? Instead of fucking like saying that blabber jabber bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. I'll make a prose to the question because what you need to understand is like even on the Vanity Play, our longest podcasts have got the most listens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the difference here is this, bro. That little kid, fuck saying what he learned. I like. I wish the little kid could be you. Yeah. I wish the little kid could have gone through what you've gone through. I wish the little kid could have seen everything that you've seen. You're a king. And yeah. the crazy thing is, like, you have photography, skating, script right, screenplay writing business starting tech in your shit and also at the end of the day you're relatable to all of them because you don't do it based on the plug and the play you do it based on what fits in the moment right yeah. and mm-hmm. your moment is going to continue to live and your moment is everlasting and look like i told you you're 38 now when you're 45 i'm throwing your celebratory party i look you know i think i got to say this man it's like one thing i'm like beyond the fucking nine million lucky stars that I can count is that like I've always pursued what I've been curious about every time, you know what I mean? And that's beyond like, like, and, and, and it's like, especially now that it's like, there's, it's better time than ever. You yeah. know, you have so many tools at your fingertips to learn about things. Like I remember there's a period of time where like, you know, I really want to get in the music industry and the best thing I could do, it was like read double XL magazine and the source. There was no music industry in Philly. And like, I, I got like Russell Simmons, like autobiography and like read about it in this book called everything you wanted to know about the music industry and like learned like now it's like, it's a Google search away. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? And then you start networking on Instagram and like hitting people up and, you know, throw out a, 50 DMs, someone's going to get back to you. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it, it is a great time to like pursue healthy curiosities. I mean, I hope that, you know, like for the most part, kids like don't, you know, there, there's the kid that wants to like pursue like sneakers and clothing and all that, which is great. You know what? Then there's so many great things you can pursue as well that are like, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I just think the more intelligent, the better, you know? Absolutely. And even, even, even if it's approaching sneakers or clothes, just be intelligent about it. Like it works, you know, it's like, I, uh, and also take advantage of opportunities. Absolutely. You know? Don't, don't be scared, man. That's like a, that's and a huge one is like, don't say no to the Costa Rica call. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> don't. And, and, and what's, what's kind of been cool about your, your, your journey and what you've shared is that, um, you know, you, you've approached these opportunities not really even being prepared for the job yeah, blind. and going blind yeah. and, uh, and and making it work and realizing you could you could do those things yeah. and finding the the moments in those to take advantage and create something cool, whatever that may be. But you've also learned a lot from them that, that took you to that next step. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's not uncommon for people to want to wait till like all the stars line up or wait till they're super prepared or wait till... 
you know, the, they need the perfect this or the perfect that until they take that step. And sometimes you just have to go in blind and realize like, fuck it. This is where I'm at right now. And, you know, going way back to what we talked about earlier was like things line up the way they do. And sometimes you have to let go of the control of the things you, you think you want and yeah. just enjoy and those opportunities that make yeah, something of it. I, like, I mean, it's like I said earlier, you're absolutely right. I would tell myself if I could go back, the only thing I would say is like, just fucking chill out and enjoy it. You know, it's like, it's, 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 I was so serious, you know, like even, mm-hmm. even though like it would probably look like I would go back, it would appear that I was, I was very serious. Like I wanted to be taken seriously, you know, as a team manager, which is like, who cares? It's your fucking team manager. It's like, you're, you're a babysitter. That's what you do. You babysit. And like, you know, you don't need, like, even if you're the best babysitter or the worst babysitter, you're still babysitting at the end of the day and you get to have fun and you should, you know, and it's not that I didn't, it's just that I, I was very ambitious and my ambition made me serious. You know, it's like, that's fine, but you don't need to be so like wear it on your, uh, you know, on your shoulder so much, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, you can, you can be focused. Yeah. Know? You could be focused and ambitious, but it, it's not like everything has to be fucking life or death. Every yeah. Single yeah. Moment. And, and sometimes I was, you know, and that's like, that's what I would tell me. Like I think in kids in general, which I don't think kids are, kids don't, they seem to be like really relaxed and enjoying themselves and, definitely smoke a lot more weed than kids did when I was like, I mean, we smoked weed, but these kids like they smoke weed, like they smoke like a forest and they somehow function very well. But like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I think that it's like be intelligent, pay attention. Don't be too serious, you know, but take like, like every, there's lessons to be learned everywhere. You know, it's dead serious. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's something you should take serious is like lessons and information because it's invaluable and it's free. Awesome. You know, that's the thing is like, I, 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 I'm telling you, like I work inside an industry where everyone got free educations, yeah. you know, either by experience, you know, by trial and tribulation or literally just being smart enough to pay attention and learning that, you know, making sure that you didn't make the same mistakes as the people around you. That's invaluable. You know, and having a set Absolutely. of nuts, man. Put your nuts on the table and go for it. Like whatever it may be, like just do it. You know? Put your nuts on the table, and we're gonna end this right here. Yeah, Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. And I'm gonna end this with my iPhone. <laughs> Several issues of the Whole Earth catalog, and then when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid 1970s, and I was your age. On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road. The kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. It was their farewell message as they signed off. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And I have always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much. Mama, we made